For Wednesday, March 17th, this is episode 100 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. be again a podcast quite like this one that brought us together and started its own forum list where the hosts are all our friends all the stories told by Jen Will it drive Ryan round the bend? Part of it weekly, where the story never ends. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Masterfic Theatre. Today we present to you a retrospective, at least one scene from every story heretofore covered by Potterfic Weekly. You may laugh, you may cry, you may be moved, you may even be moved right off your chair. Potterfic Weekly accepts no responsibility for any bruising sustained during extended bouts of hilarity. And now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy. This scene is from After the End. Um, the scene is one in which Ron tries to convince Ginny to help him nail Malfoy, and Harry and Hermione tease Ron about the cannons. Oh, Jenny, you did it! You did it! I didn't even thank you! I'm so sorry, but I was, I was delirious! You're brilliant! I'll never know how to thank you! You did it, too! I couldn't have helped if you hadn't built that spell. I was just there at St. Mungo's. I was telling Harry. My parents have been moved to another wing, and the Mediwizard's already working on their muscles, and there's someone else who's going to work with them on speech. That's great. I hope they recover quickly. I'll keep visiting them. Thank you. Mum was trying to move her mouth already today. I can't wait to hear her voice. What's wrong? They were just trying to work on something from Alfoy's case, trying to find a way to get information. Well, we found one. If you just tell me. She signed a contract. She didn't have to want that. Malfoy never paid her. And she still won't tell me what she knows, even though she's legally allowed to. Can you not talk about me like I'm not here? You can tell Ron what you know. Malfoy didn't pay you. Is that true? But I want to keep my oath. Ever heard of an oath, Ron? It's like a vow. It's something you keep. Ugh. You'd better not marry him, Hermione. Or if you do, you'd better get it all on paper. I didn't. I promise. Quiet. He's being the stubborn one. He won't even let me go to Culprat and speak to Malfoy, which is all I asked to do. I'm going to get a court order that says you have to break your oath and tell me what you know. I can do that. And I will do that. And what if I still won't say anything? Are you going to put me in Culprat, force me to take Verita's serum? If that's what it takes. Um, Ron, perhaps we should all sit down and talk about... The she might be able to help you, Harry. And she could help our dad and the Ministry and all the dragon riders, and she's just being un... Unprofessional. He called me. Well, who's unprofessional now, Ron? You're using everyone we know as leverage to try and make me talk. How professional does that make you? You're helping Malfoy. And I should help you? I'm sorry, but you are being such a proud that I don't feel like it. Unprofessional. Right there. 
Well, according to you, I'm not a professional. Just the other day, you said I wasn't licensed or a part of any legally recognized body. So how about you make up your mind? You're acting like a spoiled little baby. And you're acting like putting Malfoy in prison should be everyone's number one priority, as if nothing else matters just because you hate him. Why don't you stop being so bloody vindictive for a minute and take the whole picture into account? Just being vindictive, am I? Just putting him in prison over Hogwarts grudge, is that what you think? Forgotten all about the things he's done, have you? Forgotten about last June and about the Grangers. Don't you dare. Don't you dare say I don't remember those things. I know all of it. I know he's horrible. I know what his father did to you and to me, to to all of us. Don't you tell me I don't know. But Draco isn't the same person as his father. Draco? On first name basis now, the two of you? How sweet. Ron, don't say things like that. You know she remembers. She just did something amazing for my parents, and she's only trying to help you. Even if Malfoy hasn't committed as many crimes as his father, how can you want to give him a bargain that lets him go free? How? You know, he's not innocent of unforgivables. He can't be. And of all the people to pardon, he just does not deserve... I told you, I don't want him free. But I wonder if there might be a good enough reason to give him that bargain. All I want to do is ask him some questions and try to work out what he knows and what he's willing to do. Willing? Right. Look, you're not going to get anything out of him. He's a total wanker, and he always has been. So you might as well skip a step and tell me what you know now. Or wait until you get ordered by the Ministry, and then tell me what you know. Well, just let me talk to him before you do that, would you? There's no point. Yes, there bloody well is. Explain it, then. I can't. I can't explain myself completely without giving something away. Haven't you heard a word I've said? Why can't you just let me talk to him? What do I have to say to you? Why don't you trust me? Oh, here we go with the drama. Just like Mum, honestly. You know, Ron, she might be able to get Malfoy to tell you something. She's worked with him, after all, and it says in her textbook that healers create strong bonds between their patients and themselves, even under the worst circumstances. It might actually be better for you if she spoke to him first. If you would speak to him, you'd have to tell me every single thing you found out. No, I wouldn't. The kinds of things I feel when I work on people are extremely private. You know you wouldn't like it if I repeated things I know about you. You've worked with Ron? No, but if I had, he wouldn't like it. It's, it's not the same. I'm not hiding things that might really hurt people, but he might be. And if he is, then that means you are. Ginny, you realise that Mediwizards are required to break the vows for certain reasons, don't you? Life-freshening information can be revealed. You know that, don't you? Mediwizards have been kicked off the board for keeping their oaths in certain situations. I have a research in my room. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if he can even do anything. It's just a feeling. It's not... Harry? Yeah? What do you think I should do? You feel better if I spoke to Malfoy first. First? Before doing what? Before going ahead and telling Ron what you know or what you think you know. You think I should do that, then? I think, yeah, I think you probably should. I suppose... I suppose if... If it's illegal to hold back in life-threatening situations, then I should say something. I didn't realize, but Harry... If you think I really should... Oh, she'll listen to him. That's nice. Shh. I just don't want to break my word. It makes me feel terrible. I'm not trying to be stubborn or make things harder on you and Charlie and Dad. I'm just trying to sort things out. You know how much I want to help you. Let's you talk to Malfoy first. There's no reason why she can't. Oh, fine. Have it your way. I'm telling you he's not going to say anything. It's just going to be a waste of time. But we'll get him innovative for you if you want to talk to him so much. When? I want to do it soon. Can I go first thing on Monday? Yeah, that's fine. But you'll need an escort and I can't be there. I have too much to do. I 
can go back to culprit on Monday, and Penny and Fleur and Bill will be there. We're still working on the enchantment, and I wasn't planning to go back yet, but I have taken two days off, and they might need me. I'll go with you, Jenny. Actually, Bill might be the best one for it, just because I might have a question about something, and he'd be the right one to answer it. <laughs> I'm sure you could answer it too, but he's got field experience. Don't get in a snit. You won't want to help her anyway. You'll have your elves to boss around. They are not my elves, and I don't boss them around. Admit it. You tell them right where to go, and they love it. That's not funny, Ron. They've been oppressed, and if they like to be told what to do, it's only because of centuries of horrible conditioning, and I never play into that. I'm very careful to consult them. Come here, you lunatic. You know I love the elves. No, I really do. I love them. In fact, I think I want one. <gasps> Is everyone happy now? Good. Back to the match, then. Is it still on, Harry? No, it's all over. Sorry, I forgot to tell you. And then while you were out walking. <sighs> the the semi-finals are next week. We know who's going? Yeah. And who's going? The Bats, Puddlemere, the Falcons, and, well... Spit it out, Potter. Did they win? They did really well until the end, Ron. I listened to the last of it with Harry. The Cannons had a great season. No one can say they didn't compete for it this year. And I'm sure Oliver's pleased that he turned the team around the way he did. They'll only prove next year, after all. And won't that be nice? They... they lost? They lost the match? It was so close! So close! It's all right. It's only Quidditch. <laughs> this is funny. You can laugh. <laughs> well, they played really well. Really well right until the end. I think it's, you know, worth celebrating. Y you have to. Hermione, I can't. Have to what? Look, someone had to tell me what the hell is going on so that I can go down to the pub and order a bottle of fire whiskey. There's no need for that. Why can't you just be happy that they did really well until the end? All the way until the end, when Knight caught a snitch. When Knight... They'll be the fourth team in the semis. Honestly, I can't see why you're so upset. Yes, I knew it. They're going to the semis too. If they're playing, it'll be the bats. I can't bloody believe this. I never thought I'd missed my last match of the season. Or I'll be at the next two. And there will be two. That wasn't very nice. You really had him scout there for a minute. He loves it. Look at them. I don't like the cannons anymore. He went and gave me that shirt and ruined them for me. Ruined them? No, no, I'm teasing. I'm only teasing, I promise. Of course you didn't ruin them. You made them better. Ugh, get a room. Do you want to walk me home? Because I should go to bed soon. I'll walk you. Bye. <laughs> How do you say bye? Bye. 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 Bye works, okay? Oh, this is very flummoxed in the end. Julia and I are sleeping together. Oh, my. <laughs> This scene is from Chapter 30 of The Seventh Horcrux by Melinda Leo. The script was written by Kayla. Harry has just killed Voldemort and has gone unconscious due to his Horcrux being ripped from his body. He sees himself leaving his body while Ginny weeps, holding him, trying to wake him. He passes over the battle below and drifts through to the circular room at the Ministry. Is able to pass through the locked door. He sees a flickering light in the distance and heads towards it. As he comes closer, it becomes a fireplace, closely resembling the Gryffindor common room. He takes a seat on one of the chairs and begins to sip hot chocolate. I'm glad to see that you have made yourself at home, Harry. Uh, sir, um, am I dead? <laughs> no, my boy, you most certainly are not dead, thank the heavens. Your body has a long recovery ahead, but I am more concerned with your mind. 
my mind. This room, this place, is a representation of your mind, Harry. Am I right in surmising that you are presently feeling rather desolate? Uh, looks like the Gryffindor common room to me. Yes, I conjured the fire to try and light your way to me. You created the image in your mind of a place you felt warmth, some security perhaps? I am, of course, pleased that Hogwarts has always felt like a home to you. So, uh, this place is inside my mind? Precisely. The only way to enter that locked door at the Ministry is within your mind. I imagine that you were feeling lost and rather hopeless right now, and you felt the need for explanations. Hence, you called for me. I suppose I have traditionally been the one to offer you my advice after you have been through a trauma. So, you're not real, then? I'm only imagining you. <laughs> oh, I am very real, Harry. More importantly, not everyone could simply have called me back, such as you have done. Your need must be very great. I'm confused, sir. I'm aware of that. Let me offer as much in the way of an explanation as I can. Miss Granger may have more of the answers you seek. I have been watching over you for nearly a year now, and I cannot tell you how proud I am of your achievements. I killed Voldemort. Yes, you did what you had to do, and the wizarding world and all of your friends will be the better for it. You've been watching me. I have. I have waited and delayed fully passing over while I tried to guide you this past year. Now it is finally my time to cross into the afterworld. You're leaving again? I departed your world a year ago, Harry. That hasn't changed. Most likely, I could have survived that potion. I may have even been able to thwart Professor Snape, despite my surprise. But I would have been a frail, useless liability to you. It was better this way, and I have been able to be of greater service. Greater service? Am I right in surmising that you knew after Miss Weasley tossed you the snitch in the death room, and you had uttered the killing curse, that you had created your own horcrux? Yeah, I worked that part out myself. Miss Granger came to me several weeks ago with the idea, and I thought it quite splendid that she had worked out so much of the detail. I merely did a bit of tweaking, as I understood some of the Romanian text better than she. The snitch, however, was my idea for the item to be used as your horcrux. I told Miss Granger how to charm it to make it fly directly into the veil. Rather brilliant, if I do say so myself. So, I've lost part of my soul. Is that why I feel so empty? No. You've lost none of your own soul, Harry. When Miss Granger told you to focus on the love that you felt for others, it is because that great abundance of love that you hold within your heart shielded your soul from splitting. The piece of Voldemort's soul that was attached to your own like a malignant growth could not understand that great love. It was that piece that was split off, while your own soul remained whole. So, the soul is split by murder, but love can shield the soul? Precisely. I think you will find that the Dementors are less likely to be as drawn to you now that there is only one soul within you. The other, the evil presence forced upon you, is gone. How did I manage to get the killing curse to work against Voldemort? He was definitely off his game tonight. I shouldn't have been able to do that. He was much more powerful than me. You are again underestimating your greatest strength, Harry, and Tom's utter lack of that same quality. Love again? When you were dueling Tom earlier, each time you struck, you uttered the name of one of Tom's former victims. Why did you do such a thing? He thought there was no consequence, that they didn't matter. Do you know that I found Bertha Jorkin's bones scattered in the woods, as if she was nothing? Which is, most likely, exactly as Voldemort saw her. 
but she buried her and then struck back for her to let him know that she wasn't forgotten, that she did matter. You did the same for Cedric and Frank Bryce, and every other person you named. Their spirits understood this and sang your praises for it. Pardon? The voices, Harry. Did you not hear the voices rising behind the veil? I did, but I didn't think anyone else could. Snape said those voices come from trapped souls behind it. They are not trapped. The veil is merely a gateway to the afterworld. Not everyone can hear the voices, however. It has nothing to do with magical talent. Only those in the mortal world who are pure of heart are able to hear them. But Voldemort heard them. You just said he did. As in most magical equations, the opposite also holds true. Those with a heart lacking of all compassion can also hear the voices, only they are frightened and alarmed by them. As you saw with Tom, he could hear the voices rising and detected the light growing, and he knew death was nearby. Death frightened Tom more than anything else, and in the end, it was your dead loved ones who enabled you to defeat him. So, what happens now? The battle is still raging at Hogwarts. Although the Death Eaters have begun to notice the dark marks on their arms disappearing, and that Voldemort is gone from their minds, they are frightened and confused, which has made them rather rabid. A dangerous situation, but I suspect the Order will have it contained shortly. And the losses? That remains to be seen, and is something you will have to learn when your body awakens. Which brings me to my next point. You need to give your spirit time to heal. My spirit? Your body is broken, and your recovery will be slow. I suggest you use the force confinement to allow your emotional recovery. I'm fine. Harry, the barrenness of our surroundings says differently. I suggest you allow Mr. Weasley, Miss Granger, and particularly your Miss Weasley to assist you. They are your greatest strength. You do them at the surface to shut them out. It is not meant as a criticism, merely an observation. You have been forced from one life-threatening situation to another since your arrival at Hogwarts. You have spent the better part of a year preparing for this battle, and what you fully expected to be your own demise. I expect it will take some time for your mind to adjust before you are able to relax and live life to the fullest. It's over now. Killing not only takes the life of the victim, but it takes a part of the killer as well. For you, I hope the only part it takes is the part that ought never to have been there in the first place. You've fulfilled your destiny in regards to Tom, Harry, but not your destiny in regards to you. You are a young man with a bright and glorious future ahead of you, if you allow yourself the happiness to experience it. You deserve that. Miss Weasley deserves it, and your friends deserve it. This one last burden rests on your shoulders, because they won't fully allow themselves to heal until you do. I'll try, sir. That is all I can ask of you. And with Miss Weasley's determination, Mr. Weasley's stubbornness, and Miss Granger's cleverness, I am certain it will be enough. What about Draco? What will happen to him? He actually came through in the end. Mr. Malfoy also has a long and difficult road ahead of him, and, like yours, his future is unclear. As with you, the support of loved ones is a key factor. I suppose an olive branch of friendship would go a long way. I'll try, sir. He's not the easiest person to be friendly toward. <laughs> that he is not. 
I think it will be beyond your capabilities to do so, at first, anyway. As I said, your recovery will be longer than you expect. I was thinking perhaps your cousin Dudley and Mr. Malfoy should be encouraged to continue their friendship once they return to their lives. They each need a friend and confidant. Dudley? Oh, they make a pair, all right. Yes, they certainly do. Put the bug in Miss Weasley's ear. If she knows it's something you desire, she'll move heaven and earth to make it happen. There are those in residence within my realm that fear that girl's temper. <laughs> Where is your realm, sir? The afterlife, Harry. Since I've been here, I've had the opportunity to speak with your parents and Sirius. They've all been watching over you. They are so proud of how far you've come and the life you've made for yourself. Although they did give me an earful regarding some of my choices toward you, your mother in particular beams with pride when she speaks of you and the man you've become. Your father is pleased with your choices and friends, and Sirius's comment had something to do with the phrase, smoking red-headed birds. <laughs> I also had the chance to speak with Remus, Tonks, and Percy as they arrived. None of them regretted their decision. You haven't let their sacrifices be for naught. All of them were among the voices you heard beyond that veil, and all of them have been avenged. So, what happens now? You shall return to your body, and the door will close once again. I shall travel beyond and continue my grand adventure. Do you have to go now? Eventually. But I can stay until you feel ready to return alone. What if I never feel ready? Then I shall have to give you a slight push. After all, Miss Weasley would come after me if I kept you from her for too long. That she would. She loves you, Harry. Allow yourself to love her in return. I would like to see you return to school, not only to finish your education, but to have one year to live as a normal adolescent before real life commences. Although, I dare say you have enough detentions under your belt. I would like to see you earn a few for doing things that will give Minerva some additional gray hairs. I suppose there are a few broom cupboards that Jenny and I haven't discovered yet. Excellent. Professor Dumbledore paused, raising his head and tilting it to the side, as if listening to something at a great distance away. Sir? Miss Granger and Miss Weasley are perplexed over where to take you and what to do with Tom's remains. Hogwarts is still under attack, and both the Ministry and St. Mungo's are under Death Eater control. That is how it appears. What did you do? While it is true that Tom's Legion has been withholding care at St. Mungo's, a large number of the healers have banded together and have been running a renegade hospital of sorts. The same is true at the Ministry. As Kingsley and Alastor have rounded up the Aurors and formed their own resistance, there are a number of Ministry workers who have done the same. Sometimes it takes a great tragedy for the bravery within some people to show. I have planted a thought within Letitia Warbank's mind to inspect the Department of Mysteries. Letitia Warbanks? She is a ministry worker from the Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes. She has been the focal point for the small resistance at the ministry. She will know which healers can be trusted at St. Mungo's. The Wizarding World will have to go through a long and, I hope, thorough period of reconstruction. I hope people like Letitia, Alastair, Kingsley, and Arthur are heavily involved for the betterment of all. Unfortunately for you, I do not see the public's interest in you fading any time soon. We all have our part to play, I suppose. A very mature attitude. Sir, if I imagined you here, 
Could I imagine anyone else that I wanted to see? I cannot answer that query. Nothing has ever gone exactly according to the rules when it comes to you. Perhaps you should take a chance. I wish it was something I could do for you, Harry, but it is not. This is your mind, and only your thoughts will be heard. What the bloody hell is going on? One minute I was chatting up a delectable blonde bird with very little between her ears aside from peroxide, and the next minute I'm in the middle of nowhere, alone. Serious? Harry? Harry, what the... Where are we? Did you... Oh, no. No, Sirius. Harry's still among the living, and his body remains back in the ministry. Why don't you pull up a chair? Bugger, Harry. This has been quite a shock for an old man. So tell me, what's happened to make this visit possible? I've never heard of anything like I've done before. Have you got yourself knocked out again, Squirt? I thought you said they'd been watching me. I've been keeping an eye on you, but not 24-7. Does this have anything to do with Voldemort? He's in your realm now. You did it? Yeah. Woo! Sirius, I think that Harry is not quite ready to celebrate yet. What? Why not? You're finally free. You'll no longer be hunted. No more Dursleys, no guards, or any of it. Um, I know. It just... it's not real yet. Harry, think of all the parties. Every bloke in Britain will want to buy you a drink, and every witch will want to... I am certain Harry is fully aware of that, Sirius. He is merely asking for some time to adjust. Right. Besides, you already seem to have your hands full with one witch you've got. She's a looker, that one. I'll be certain to pass that on. So, how long have we got? I would surmise not very long. Once the healers get hold of Harry's physical body, they will most likely ply him with potions that will break this connection. Besides, Harry has friends and family waiting for him in the land of the living. He's got friends and family right here. Would you choose to keep him here, then, Sirius? What? No, I want him to live. I just want some time with him. I was robbed of that time twice already. <clears throat> what if I want to stay? Your future is in the present, not the past. He's right, Harry. Merlin, it's good to see you, but everything I did, I did it for you, because I wanted you to live. I may be childish, but I won't take that chance from you now that you finally have it. Don't worry about me. I'm good. I see your father and Remus every day, and when your mother lets us, we relive our glory days. Perhaps there are others you'd like to see before your time here is through. Remus, you old dog. Harry's here. Hiya, Tonks. Harry. What did you have to go and do that for? Hiya, kids. How you feeling? <laughs> Little shell-shocked. I bet. You did it. You saw what happened earlier with Voldemort, Harry. You were magnificent. I couldn't have done it without your help. Professor Dumbledore told me it was you and some of Voldemort's other victims that distracted him, and Dumbledore and Hermione came up with the idea to create my own Horcrux. I don't care whose idea it was. You were magnificent. Not only did you get Voldemort, but Severus is now on his way to Azkaban. You got Snivellus? You didn't tell me that part. How could I have missed that? You missed everything. Where have you been? Lily's beside herself. You got him good, Padfoot. You should have seen it. Actually, young Ginny even gave him a whopper of a bat bogey hex when he tried to attack Harry after it was all over. You saw my mum. He attacked him after? We were with her and your dad during the battle. They're both so proud of you. Hey, why don't you bring them here? It'll be like a party we always should have had. Harry will call them when he's ready, Padfoot. What's to be ready? He called us. He can do just the same for them. 
They'll be furious if they find out we've been here all this time without them. They won't be furious. Perhaps you don't need a specific memory, but merely the feelings they inspire within you will do. James! There you are, Padfoot, you old dog. Who is she this time? You haven't been around for weeks. Where are we, Sirius? Sweet Merlin. What is it, James? Harry, is that you? My baby! Come on, Lily. Let him breathe. You're embarrassing the poor bloke. I am not embarrassing him. Oh, you so are. Our Harry here embraces quite easily, actually. I used to like to make sport of him and see how ready he would turn. Hm. I've enjoyed watching you play Quidditch. Yeah, I've played since my first year. I know. So proud when that happened, wasn't I, Lily? When you were born, I brought you this little toddler starter broom. Your mother was furious and insisted that I couldn't put you on it for at least five years. But I knew you'd be a natural. I have plans to build our own pitch in the woods behind the house at Godric's Hollow. Did you notice it? Plenty of room for a secluded clearing. And I thought it'd be great to play with the smell of the ocean on the breeze. Oh, I did see the wood there. That would have been a great place for a pitch. <laughs> you never could have built that pitch. The Ministry denied that request because you were foolish enough to give them your lighting specifications. Well, what's the use in having an ocean view if you can't see it at night? I could have cast Muggle Repelling Charm myself, when it caused them any trouble. Me know, dear. I think it would have been brilliant. It would have been, wouldn't it? I wish I could have finished it before... Well, I wish I could have left it for you. Your friend Ron and you would have had a grand time. You like Ron, then? Of course I like Ron. You've got the best set of friends I could ever wanted for you. And I thank Merlin for them every day. We were both happy with the friends you made your first year at Hogwarts. Ron will be okay, won't he? I don't know. Why don't you know? You said you've been watching everything. The future is never concrete, Harry. It is ever moving and changing. It shifts according to how events unfold. We are mere observers. Hmm. It's probably time for me to go back. And it is time for me to move forward. Do you want to say your farewells? I think it would be easier if I left first. Go forward knowing that your departed loved ones are all watching over you. Your hair has always been so soft. I used to play with it when you were a baby. I thought it was just baby hair, but it's still just as soft as it was then. I miss so much. We've missed so much. Take care of the marauders. I want to leave remembering them this way. I, I will. Always remember that we love you and that we're all so proud of you. You've grown into a fantastic young man, and I can't imagine a better son. I'm very pleased with the girl you've chosen. Be a gentleman and let her inside your head as well as in your heart. Take care of each other. I'm not going to make a horrid scene. I'll let you play macho. I love you, Harry. Oh, now I've done it. I'm going to stand with Tonk so you can return to the life you've made. It's a good life, son. Let yourself live it. Live well, Harry. A year like none other. At this point in the story, Harry is living in the dungeons for reasons of safety, and, due to the death of Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon, has no warded reinforcements protecting him, as he did when his home was Private Drive. Snape, Draco, Dudley, and Harry are discussing if it would be possible to war the dungeons in the same way. In this scene, Snape finds a rather surprising solution to this dilemma. 
Dudley Dursley, do you give consent that this domicile may host the powers that will protect and preserve your mother's sister's son, Harry James Potter? Yes. Do you consent to yield up such blood that his mother's love sacrifice may continue to reside in this place? Yes. Is that it, then? I think it didn't work. No, it didn't. The physical manifestation of the spells should have turned the color of blood, and then the color of your mother's love, and flow back out to melt into the very stones that comprise these rooms. What went wrong? Draco flew the kitchens for something light to eat and drink. The form of the incantations was definitely not the problem. I think it must lie in the applicability of the spell. You said Dudley's blood could only be used to ward a personal residence. Maybe this doesn't count as one, even if you have been the sole occupant for years and years? No, I did some spells to check for that. The rooms here believe I'm the owner. Then that's the problem. He should be the owner, surely, if he's going to be the key to warding this place. We're looking for things to be parallel, right? Harry's aunt owned her house, after all. Well, the bank owned most of it. Mortgage. Mortgage? They borrowed money to buy the house. If your aunt could ward a place that she didn't literally own, then Dudley's lack of ownership here can't be at issue. And with the physical presence of his blood bonded to the spells, his lack of residence shouldn't be a problem either. So why did the spell fail? It's him. He's the difference between that situation and this one. Isn't it obvious? Yes. Of course your spells wouldn't work. Harry was supposed to be living on Privet Drive. We were his family, bad as we were at it. And the spell is a family thing, isn't it? His mother's blood and all that? Harry belonged with us. He had a right to be with us. This place is just a set of rooms to him. The blood dripped through that gooey magic thing because it saw that he doesn't have any real right to live here. Albus, if you bring your considerable influence to bear, how soon can I be signing adoption papers on Harry Potter? <coughs> Severus, perhaps we should discuss this in my office. Would you flew up here straight away, please? Are you going to be all right? Um... We'll talk when I return. That's really great, Harry. I'm happy for you. Oh, that, I... Um, I'm not even sure what he meant by that, really. Seemed clear enough to me. I guess you're just shocked, huh? About time you had a doubt of your own, if you ask me. Dudley, don't say anything like that again, all right? Especially not once Professor Snape gets back here. Because, well, assuming he even really meant what he seemed to, he's really not the, um, dad type, all right? Don't shake your head so. It's just for the spell. It's a legality. A technicality. It doesn't mean anything, Dudley. You ungrateful little brat. It doesn't mean anything, eh? Yeah, well, when I needed help, Severus sure as shit didn't come up with a plan like that for me, did he? You needed a different kind of help. That was all. He could have adopted me instead of setting things up so I'm emancipated from my parents' control, but adoption didn't even occur to him, I bet. Never mind the fact that I'm a Slytherin, while you're just a bloody irritating Gryffindor. Never mind that I'm the one who's known him forever and ever, while up till late last September he actually hated your guts, and you just throw it all back in his face with this, it's just for the spell, crap. But it is just for the spell. The spell's just a catalyst! Oh, no wonder you don't get it. Look, in the first place, with your lousy marks and potions, I bet you don't even know what a catalyst even is. And the second, you probably don't think Slytherins have any feelings. I never said Slytherins don't have feelings. You sure did. You do every time you forget it gave you back your damn wand. 
Every time you make some snide remark about how I just have a way to full barrister at him. Every time you act like I'm some species of slug incapable of the slightest loyalty. Yeah, well, veritaserum or not, I know you lied to me. I just felt so bad when I heard what my father did to you. Even Snape says you're a bad liar. Did you know that? And you were lying. I know it, and you know it. But the only one who doesn't seem to know it is Snape. So don't go on about how he's choosing a Gryffindor for you, Malfoy. If he was doing that, I wouldn't have to put up with your lying face. I take back everything I said before. You aren't overcompensating at all. You're completely mental, Potter. And there's something wrong with the eyesight, Alexis, since you're blind as well. You honestly can't see that Severus cares about you. Well, sure he cares. He's a decent man where it counts. But why does he care? Because I'm the vanguard of the war effort, just like you said. Snape will do anything it takes to make sure I can fulfill my damn destiny. One look at Dudley here is all you need to prove that true. Snape didn't want a muggle in his quarters, but he went to a lot of trouble to arrange for it just to keep me safe so that I can off Voldemort someday. This latest idea of his is more of the same. It's strategy, Draco. I think a Slytherin could see as much. You aren't just strategy. For Merlin's sake, he lets you chat him up every night. Well, I read the book, just like you kept harping on about, so that's not so hard to explain, is it? Very clear in there, all that stuff about trauma victims needing someone trustworthy to talk to. He knows he's just about the only person I trust these days, so he's trying to be there for me. I said he was a decent man, didn't I? Harry, it's not like that. Listen, all right. Severus, he told me he wished you'd been sorted into Slytherin. Said it would have taken him one heck of a lot less time to see who you really are if... Crud, Potter. Just how dense are you? Severus is really fond of you. Ugh. You're a complete mess. Do you know that? You just better hope that spell does mistake technicalities for real relationships, because you're so psychologically damaged you can't wrap your mind around the idea of a family, can you? Don't be mean to Harry. That's it. I'm going to bed. Right. Uh, so, could you spell the lights off for me? I'm sleeping out here tonight. You don't think we might have a few things to discuss? No, sir. Really? No, sir. You're willing to have me adopt you just like that? Yes, sir. Stop this yes-sir-no-sir-nonsense at once. I'd appreciate knowing what you actually think of the idea. Um, well, I think it's a pretty good plan. Plan? It wasn't so much a plan as a paradigm shift. Whatever. Dumbledore, though, he thought it would work? I mean, to trick the spell? I think you're missing my point. I have no interest in adopting you in name only. You mean I have to change my name? Um, Harry Snape? That wouldn't suit you. Are you being deliberately obtuse? I'm not talking about anything as shallow as names. Well, good, because I like my name. And whatever my father did to you, he was my father, and even you said that in the end he came out all right. I think Potter is my name. Besides, as much as I hate being famous for something stupid like managing to live, even though I got my parents killed, the name's kind of stuck to the war effort now. You know, how's it going to look if Harry Potter isn't Harry Potter any longer? No one is remotely suggesting that you change your name. Well, good. Now, if you don't mind, could you spell off the lights? I think my headache would go away if I could just sleep. Why didn't you say you needed a potion? Because I don't. I just need to be left alone to sleep. Not until we settle things. Come into my office where we can speak in private. Snape enters his office and gives Harry a vial of headache-calming drought, which Harry drinks. All right, then. Time to talk. I meant what I said, Harry, quite sincerely. Well, I figured that out. I mean, you wouldn't have suggested unless you thought it would work. You're still thinking of the warding spells. 
That isn't the central issue. Will it work? We think your cousin is right about why the spells failed, yes. That's it, then. That is not it. Sit down. We aren't through. Harry, Dudley's epiphany, while valuable in and of itself, has managed to confuse one thing with another. The truth is, I had been thinking along the lines he suggested well before the warding spells failed to lock themselves in place. Right. You were going to adopt me anyway. Sure you were. I admit I hadn't gotten quite that far in my thinking. Long before Sylvain, I'd realized that we'd gone on surprisingly well. And after your uncle was killed, it came to me that you had no guardian left. Actually, that you'd never had any adult caretaker truly looking out for your interests. Not since James and Lily. Professor, why do you think I never let on to anyone about the cupboard and all that? Ron and Hermione don't even know. Not the worst of it. He went on in class for years about how pampered and spoiled I was, and I never said a word to refute you, did I? Why do you suppose that was? That's another conversation. No, it's this one. Go on, think about it. Why didn't I tell people I'd been mistreated and unloved almost my entire life? I suppose you were embarrassed. Possibly you were even ashamed. Possibly. But the main reason was that I didn't want people feeling sorry for me, you see? You think I pity you, then? Well, you did just say that I'd never had anyone, a grown-up, I mean, who really took care of me. Me, not the child of prophecy or the warrior in training. Sirius could have, I think. But Azkaban left him... I don't know. He loved me, but he was damaged. It's like fates conspired to snatch away from me anybody I get one way or another. I know how pitiful that is. The fact that people look at you and see something other than your true self is unfortunate. But when I think of the wasteland that has been your entire childhood, it isn't pity I feel. What? Admiration is there, because I have suffered too, Harry. It is easy to become embittered, but you have risen above the impulse. Oh, Dudley isn't so bad. Maybe now, but I knew you before you could occlude. You will never convince me that it was easy growing up alongside him. I'm really not that admirable. You're entirely normal, and that, perhaps, is my whole point. You've never been treated normally. You went from ten years of base deprivation to being held up in honor and glory, which you've done nothing to merit. You said a moment ago that you managed to survive despite getting your parents killed, but you did neither. She managed to make you live and give up her life in the process, and the consequence was to make everyone treat you as something other than normal. Tell me about it. Everyone except me. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. No offense, all right, because it's over, but you spent five years being awful to me, absolutely awful. I wanted to hurt James. Irrational and inappropriate response. Immature, assholish response. Yes, because I had let myself become embittered. But for all my own issues, I am the only one here who tried to insist that no matter what nonsense the prophets spouted about you, in school we should ignore your celebrity status. Is that why you were so mean? You were trying to balance out the hero worship? <laughs> you imbue me with too much altruism. Don't sugarcoat how I treated you. It was ill done of me. And why do you say you treated me normally? It was more a case of trying to make the headmaster do so. I wasn't able to rise above my anger to do it myself, but I entreated him to keep you to the same rules others were required to abide by. First years are not allowed to have brooms at school or play on house teams. You were. Neither is it standard practice to issue students invisibility cloaks. 
Time and again, he allowed you to circumvent the rules, his purpose being to forge in you the strength to fulfill that prophecy. Worse than that, he set you to challenges no child should have to face. Fox could have rescued you from the Chamber of Secrets, you realize. He did carry you out in the end. Instead, the headmaster had his blasted bird deliver you the sorting hat so you might have a sword. A twelve-year-old expected to slay a basilisk, and as if that weren't outrageous enough, he wanted to see if you could vanquish the memory of Riddle as well. The fact that you could do it didn't make it right to subject you to what amounted to another form of abuse. Albus and I have had words on the subject more than once. You can't be saying you cared about me all those years ago. <laughs> no. I thought you were arrogant, and that raising you as a savior instead of a boy would make you even more unbearable. I even thought it would be counterproductive, that you would begin to disregard your elder's instruction, which would make you less likely to fulfill your destiny, as it were. I was not concerned about you as a person, not at all. Not then. But still, I was the only one who fought Albus, who argued that you should be treated normally. You were right. I was arrogant, just as you said. Everyone told me to learn Aquamancy, and I thought I knew better, and Sirius died because I was too stupid to listen to advice. Your godfather died because I made those lessons an exercise in humiliation instead of strength. He died because Albus spent five years conditioning you to save others, because he deliberately inculcated you in the conviction that you were responsible to do so. Fox could have spirited Miss Weasley out of the chamber, Harry. The second task did not need to be one that endangered a loved one. Diggory's death only hit you so hard because by then you had been taught that you should be able to save anyone. But you think you can treat me normally? I think you present challenges in that regard. Because from the moment Voldemort marked you as his equal, you ceased to be an average child, to say the least. I also think, however, that I am the only one who so much as realizes you are a child, Harry. I'm sixteen, in case you've forgotten. The only one who realizes it's wrong to expect you to live as a quasi-adult instead of an adolescent. All right. It's adoption idea. It's not just for the spell. I see it's not solely a classroom behavior, this failure to pay attention. Sorry. The spell was a catalyst? Perhaps you do sometimes pay attention. All right. You, um, cared about me before the warding failed. I get that. But you said your thinking hadn't gotten as far as actually uh, getting yourself stuck with me for good. So what were you thinking then? That's what I'd like to know. I was thinking I didn't want to lose the understanding we'd come to have, Harry. More than that, I wanted to be in a position where I could help you if you needed it. And I certainly don't merely mean with warding, or even magic in general. I want to be able to help you with life. Adoption didn't occur to me, as parenting is rather outside my area of experience. I had actually toyed with the idea of offering you an apprenticeship when you graduate. An apprenticeship? In potions? Daft idea, I know. Best idea I had, however, until Dudley spoke up and I experienced a paradigm shift. Paradigm shift? I'd never considered adopting you because, quite simply, I couldn't conceive of myself as a parent. Then Dudley pointed out how much you needed one, and the universe changed, Harry. I could see myself in the role. Will they let us do this? Oh, I think so. The headmaster has a way of getting what he wants. He wants this? He was rather startled, I will say. He hasn't seen us together very much of late. His primary concern appeared to be that I would, I believe the word was, bully you into it. Do you feel unduly pressured? 
Not by you so much. I keep thinking about the wards, about how Voldemort isn't too likely to just pop in for lunch, seeing as this is Dumbledore's domain, but also about how he keeps fighting a way in. So you do feel pressured to accept my offer? Yeah, if it'll make the spell work. That's ironic, isn't it? I was sort of upset at first, and sort of depressed, thinking that you wanted to protect me, but you didn't really want me. And it turns out you do, but I can hardly stand the idea of anybody being my parent. Because I've never had one, Professor. I, I guess I need a paradigm shift, too. But it's all right to depend on someone that 16 isn't grown. Something like that. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude. It can't be nice hearing me say yes just to let the warning proceed. What would be nice is to hear you say yes at all, because the rest, well, it will either come or it won't, but I would like to have the chance to let it. So what about rules, then? What would they be? I have no idea at the moment. We'll need to negotiate them as needed, I should imagine. Negotiate? I do know you aren't six, Harry. I know you have needs and opinions of your own, and a mind fully capable of appreciating multiple points of view. There will doubtless come times when you will have to accept my judgment on certain things, and accept it even though you vehemently disagree. But when it is feasible, yes, we will negotiate. Is the whole thing going to be some secret I can't tell anyone? You may tell whomever you wish. So can you. Oh, and I mean yes. I probably should have said that part first. Yes? Yes. To the future. Shoebox Project. In this scene, Remus and Sirius are out without dates to the dance, while Peter and James are enjoying the opposite sex, much to the horror and dismay of Sirius and Remus. They then decide to spy on James and Peter, as any good dateless marauder would, and what they find, they are appalled at, to the point of quoting this. I think I need to go somewhere and be ill. Truly, Sirius, you know the way to a woman's heart. I am shocked, shocked, for you are not off somewhere having a glass of wine with a truly classy woman right this instant. No one is more shocked than I, Mooney, but that only leaves my schedule wide open for a sneak preview tonight of the Honourable James Potter's first date. What do you say, eh, Mooney? Let's make a night of it. Serious, if she finds out that we're there... She won't, she won't. We'll take James' cloak and we'll be very quiet. We can even help him out if he looks too pathetic. It's his date, not yours, not mine. Correction... It is your date. You and your Yates and all the information you spoon-fed him about being a gentleman and sliding out chairs for girls and telling them their eyes are starry vortexes of infinity. I never said that. Well, you never said anything about slamming doors and mounting bases, that's for sure. More's the pity. Catch the right kind of girl that way. If you catch any at all... <sighs> I'm sorry, Sirius. I'm reading. I've been reading. I'm going to keep reading. I don't believe in Valentine's Day. And going to Madame Puddyfoot's would be deeply hypocritical. But, if I go alone and you're not there to keep an eye on me, think how James' date might just be ruined. You wouldn't. Wouldn't what? You would. Would I? You would! I can see it in your eyes. Starry vortexes of infinity that they are. <laughs> You've got ten minutes to get ready, Mooney, or I'm riding for doom and destruction without you. Yeah. Someone's going to sit on us. You're already sitting on me. Much heavier you are than you look. Mercy on my poor lungs, Mooney. 
don't worry, no one's going to sit over here. It's much too public. Believe me, no respectable girl will sit in this chair with you. This is the chair of lonely, voyeuristic bastards. I've seen them in here before. Severus Snape is extremely fond of this chair. Has he got a date? Not anymore. Can you see either of our targets? There's Peter and what's her name? Right there, just to your left. But where? Just there. Can't you see the pink? <laughs> I'd rather I hadn't. It's blinding. Why do you let him wear that? The other options were worse. Hard as I know that is to believe. Well, they look like they're having a good time of it anyway, don't they? You look nice. You really do. So do you, Peter. I love that shirt. Well, Peter's found himself a complete nutter. <laughs> Can't hear. I, I didn't know what sort of flower you'd like, so I got you one of each and sort of had it all wrapped together in one bouquet-like. Oh, Peter! Oh, my stomach. Oh, shut up. Oh, you're welcome. Moving on... This holiday is horrifying. It's the most depressing thing I've ever borne witness to. With you 100%. Where on earth is prongs? I hope his body hasn't been dumped in the gutter. God. No, Lily wouldn't do that. She'd cover her tracks. There. I really do hate this place, James. Me too, Lily. What are they? Where are her hands? It's like... like being ripped by a marshmallow. That's what it's like. <laughs> oh, God. God, he did not say that. Oh, God, he did. <laughs> That's it exactly. What were you thinking asking me here? I don't know. I thought you might be distracted by all the glitter and forget that it was me that you were here with. Not working. Did you try to comb your hair? What is she doing? She's she's undermining is what she's doing and I won't stand for it. Quiet! <laughs> I'm a big believer in making an effort. I did my best, you know. <laughs> How much sleek easies is in there? Look, if I bent it, I swear I would snap it off. Try knocking one. It's like a helmet. <laughs> this is disgusting. We have to do something about it. No, we don't. Ah, come on. Let's give them some privacy. They don't need privacy. They need someone to stop this madness before the two of them fancy themselves... Well, you know. Look, do you see them having such a good time? I spent hours teaching James Yeats, while Yeats spent hours rolling around in his grave. This is something worth protecting. This is a triumph of will and perseverance. This is the fruit of all our labours. This is James not getting punched in the nose. Aren't you in the least bit happy for him? I don't like her. I don't like her at all. Well, James does. You're just going to have to get used to it. I hate this place. Let's get out of here. Well, I don't suppose you want any chocolate. Yes, give it here. It's the worst holiday in the world. Where is he? Why isn't he back? What if he's soon run over by a coach? No one would ever know. He knows I get worried when he gets in late, and he hasn't even the consideration to owl me or flu me or anything. He's always in late, and you always wake him up in the morning and give him a high five and the Inquisition. Where's he supposed to flu you from, anyway? He's not always in late with Lily Evans. Ugh. Mooney, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't mean to be like this. I swear I don't. We all wanted it to work. I'm happy for him. Honestly, I am. That's unnerving. Please, please don't smile anymore. Oh, I hate this bloody holiday. Didn't you offer chocolate? I don't see what you're so depressed about. You could have had a date, if you'd liked. I didn't like. I hate dating. It's the romantic equivalent of making small talk about the weather with the man who's about to give you your lottery winnings. Everyone knows what's going to happen, but you have to go through some useless ritual with someone who isn't even your friend, who doesn't even really care about being your friend, just to get there. It's pointless and degrading. I hope he's lost in the snow. The rejected parties always leave their chocolate offerings of appeasement behind. Thwarted love ruins the appetite, I've heard. Do you want one? Sure. One of the ones with coconut. What about you? I mean, why aren't you on a date? Someone's got to stay behind and make sure you don't fling yourself into the fireplace in despair. 
could have had one, what with your poetry and your gentleman's guide to getting the girl and all your great advice. The girls would have been lining up for you. Well, the ones without dates already, anyway. And the ones I didn't sneak away with in the night. Why didn't you? Serious. What would I know about what to do with a girl? Talk to her about poetry? All night long, she'd fling her fork at my face to get me to shut up. If she didn't fall asleep from boredom before she managed it. Or I'd just sit there staring at her, not knowing what to say, my tongue some great sausage in my head, my body frozen to a spot, while she was left to wonder if I'd been bitten by a poisonous spider, or if I was simply having a fit. No, thank you. I have enough trouble talking to people. I'd be a glutton for punishment getting myself into talking to girls. Girls like you. They'll get over it. You always give up on yourself. It's irritating. Someday we'll find you a girl worth your time. Ah, that'll be my teeth for the rest of the year. Here, this one's coconut. I can smell it. You're a good friend. Though all too well do I know the folly of being comforted. It's almost yeats. I know. You're listening to the Off Topic Network. Abiyothema, swish and flick. Unrelated stories all day, every day. Stay tuned for our Wizarding World news. Naked Quidditch Match by Anya, script written by Hufflepuff Dan. When a magical game of truth or dare goes wrong, the Gryffindor Quidditch team must bear up and face the consequences. And as the news spreads like wildfire in M-Mails, things get quite out of control. <laughs> Albus, I am very concerned about Harry Potter's mental state with regard to the upcoming Quidditch match. As you are no doubt aware, the Weasley twins have managed to put a magical wager in place, one that they unfortunately have lost. The end result, the entire Gryffindor team must play the upcoming match in the buff. Understandably, the teammates are not impressed. But I do not think anyone anticipated the depth of Harry's revulsion at this idea. To be honest, I cannot blame the poor lad. His fan club, of which I am having difficulty identifying the founding members, has set up a mass marketing scheme for Andis featuring Harry's play at the upcoming game. Albus, the boy has threatened to join forces with Voldemort unless something is done. Help! <laughs> to M. McGonagall, Deputy Headmistress. From Albus Dumbledore. Minerva, the bluff behind the school is quite dangerous. Since the Forbidden Forest is strictly forbidden, we may be able to invalidate the terms of the dare. Besides, surely the Slytherin team would never agree to play there. Albus. <laughs> Albus, of course they're not going into the Forbidden Forest, you git. They're not playing in the bluff. They've dared to play stalkers, naked. Nude, now do you see my problem? Minerva, oh my. Well, I think our first priority is to establish the president of Harry's fan club. If they are to profit off of the calendar, a certain percentage should be returned to the school, do you not think? I shall make a request of all staff for the identity of the club president. Albus. Harry, the most alarming email has been issued to me. I'm sharing this to you in confidence, son, as it's the least I can do. Apparently your fan club is planning to capture pictures from the upcoming game. I did not think this at all unusual until I found out the terms of the game. Fred and George have certainly created a ruckus with this one now, haven't they? 
Harry, there is no hope for the calendar, I'm afraid. McGonagall and Dumbledore have been unable to find the organizers or the methodology for how they'll get the pictures. Obviously, cameras are strictly forbidden. I've sent word to Sirius. This is the kind of thing that the marauders are best suited for handling. Mooney. <laughs> Fellow Gryffindors, it has come to my attention that my unauthorized fan club intends to produce and market my assets from the upcoming game. Given the unlicensed aspect of this, plus the fact that I am a minor, I feel it needful to point out that without my express consent, this is a form of assault. As such, we'll have charges laid against anyone who wants a copy of this calendar or aids in the production. However, given this situation has already been blown completely out of my control, my legal counsellors advise that should a proposal be made to me on my terms, I may license such an enterprise. At a profit to me, people. If you want your naked pictures, you can have them. But I'm going to be splattered across Britain in all my natural glory, and I want to cut. Harry. <laughs> Harry, my lad, that was really brilliant. If you're going to be burned this bad, take it over and make it a statement in your favor. Look, here's my take. You're not the bad-looking boy, or Witch Weekly, Good Witch Keeping, and then Broomsticks wouldn't have you as the number one eligible man in Britain. You consistently ousted Lockhart, and I know what you think of that. Quidditch has built up your body. No, you're not as broad in the shoulders as that muggle Arnold, but you're enough to give a full-grown man a few minutes' thought before taking you on. So here's my suggestion. In keeping with your ploy, let's get some professional shots done. I know a good photographer of high taste and great tact. Let me make a media ploy in your favor, rather than humiliate you. Trust me, Harry. You can do this. Snuffles. Harry, I'm willing to bet you're freaking. I'm not one to do a testosterone display, but here's some words that may get you through this. A mantra, if you will. When you got it, flaunt it. You've got the prowess in the game, you've got the admiration of the ladies, the respect of your peers, and I heard about that M-mail. 13.3 by 4.4, wasn't it? You can definitely take that to Gringotts. Remus. Tom, I've been thinking, why should we be enemies? I've got the skills you're looking for in a Death Eater, and, well, I won't do subservient. I think you could use a young, canny partner. What do you think? Harry Potter. Harry. I'm sure it will come as no surprise that I'm president of your fan club. I'm ashamed to admit that, yes, we were planning to do a calendar. But, seeing how much this is disturbing you, we're willing to scrape the project. If we do scrape the project, we will at least make your unofficial fan club an unofficial one. Ginny. Harry, is 13.3 centimeters? Are you kidding me and you're worried about what again? Padfoot, please stop trying to help. Thanks. Mooney. How did you get my email address, Potter? That's a side, I would rather see you dead than never ally with you. Either you are my minion, or my enemy. Lord Voldemort. Ginny, how could you? Know how I feel about celebrity. I didn't ask to be famous or want to be. I just want a normal life. I won't authorize a fan club. But, before you go ballistic and vengeful, how about a compromise? been pointed out to me that if I have to go down in flames, let them be flames of glory. I will agree to a calendar publication as long as A. They have professionally taken photographs. B. I have final approval. And C. 25% of sales go to a charity of my choice. Agreed? Meet me tonight in the common room to discuss further. Harry. <laughs> to the fan club. Hold on to your hats, ladies. While we will not be an official fan club... Harry has agreed, with terms, to the production of the calendar. That's right. We're getting our naked Harry after all. All 13.3 centimeters of him. And, as Lavender pointed out, that's an unexcited 13.3 centimeters. 
I met with Harry earlier this evening, and we worked out some details. The photographer will be arranged by Harry and paid for by Harry. Harry is asking that 25% cut to go to the St. Mungo's Victims Unit. I think that that's very reasonable. He's also going to arrange an undercut production charges and legal fees for marketing. Is the man a prince or what, Ginny? Listen, Oliver, this may sound nuts, but I've got a plan. Since the calendar can't be stopped, I'm making it into a charity thing, and I'm arranging for professional photos. What's this got to do with you? This. You're being mobbed by your fans, right? Well, I won't pose with you if you're gutsy enough to do this. We can increase revenues, which are going to St. Mungo's Victims Unit, and make us look less like victims, and more like celebrities in control of the situation. What do you think, Harry? Harry, you're completely stark raving nutters. You know that, right? That said, it's a ruddy brilliant plan. My dignity is gone. So why not make the descent into madness look planned? I'm in! And taking a wild guess at what you're going at, I've sent feelers out to the other young studs of the Quidditch leagues. Crumbs in too, if you're interested. Ollie, the bigger staff. Oliver, Victor, welcome aboard. I've arranged a photographer, Ms. Sally Mann, a very controversial American photographer slash artist that's been highly recommended to me by Charlie Weasley. The school has consented to allow us to use the grounds, at no charge, given the charity nature of the project. If possible, I'd like to get the photos done before this bloody Quidditch match that I have to deal with, or the market saturated with product, before the game, as a distraction tactic. How's Wednesday for you gents? Harry. P.S. Bigger staff. <coughs> Sorry, Ollie, but we shared a locker room for too many years for that to wash. You're good, but you're not that good. <coughs> Quite okay, Tommy, old chap. I'll just take over. Harry Potter. <laughs> Ladies and bastards of the Gryffindor Quidditch team, I want you to be aware of some of my recent business ventures. First, my unofficial fan club plans for the calendar. You will be pleased to know that no photographs will be taken during the game. All of the especially charmed Omnioculus, charm TM of my good friend Hermione Granger, have been given into my custody. Secondly, professional photographer will be visiting the school on Wednesday, and I have reluctantly agreed to go this route. Joining me for this calendar, although not at the same time or on the same page necessarily, will be Oliver Wood, Applausio Gasps, and Victor Crumb. I realise that the unholy duo will be racing off at the mouth with this news, and I should forewarn them. I've already informed the profit, plugging the charity aspect of this venture. 25% of the proceeds of sale of the bloody calendar will be going to St. Mungo's Victims Unit. I may have to go out there starkest, and I may have to put up with the slurs of the sliverings and the giggles of my peers for the next two years, but by damn I'll have this mess enhance my reputation and not humiliate me. As a good friend pointed out, when you got it, flaunt it. Ladies with unabashed candor, you've got it. Bastards, we're gonna make you look bad. And lastly, I have heard the rumours of an alliance between Voldemort and myself. I realise that I made the threat first. Be assured, there will never be an alliance between Voldemort and I, the Seeker. Harry, I've been thinking... Can this photographer create an illusion to nudity without the full Monty? Ginny. Why, Ginny? Don't you want my full Monty anymore? Harry. Only if it's for private showing, Harry. Very private. Harry, what do you think you're doing making a pass at my sister like that? There will be no showings, private or otherwise, exclusive or whatnot, of any Monty to my sister. And Ginny, watch your language or I'm telling Mum. Ron. Dear Ron, first, what do you do snooping through Harry's sent files and trash? The emails I send or he sends me are none of your business. Second, regarding the calendar, Mum knows about it. I told her myself like I promised Harry. 
and she said it was very ingenious, and I should have taken Harry's feelings into consideration. So stuff it. And by the way, look up the word montage. You know, the library is in an evil place. Your vengeful little sister, Ginny. Potter, are you threatening me? Lord Voldemort. Why, yes. Now that you ask, what's going to do about it? Kill me, Harry. P.S. Ooh, I think I tore a big bad Voldemort. I did, I did. I did tear a big bad Voldemort. Ginny, the Daily Prophet said Harry, Oliver Wood, and Victor Crumb are all posing for the calendar. Apparently, the photographer is a top-notch American woman, and the shoot is to be done sometime this week on Hogwarts ground. Do you know any more? Will we be able to watch the photo sessions? Just to ensure accuracy, mind you. Even if Harry has said he's generously proportioned, wouldn't you like to validate that? Sassy. Hermione, I do ask Ron, but my big brother is oversensitive about this subject. Do you know where they are doing the photos or how security is going to be done? I'm not asking to get a sneak advance peek, but, well, that would be nice. Still, I'm more concerned that Hogwarts Femmes will try and swarm the photo area. Somehow, I don't think Harry will forgive me if that happens, and I really, quite frankly, don't want any other woman fondling his bits. Ginny. Ginny, do you mind? That's one of my best friends you're mentally molesting. I feel quite rightly nauseous, H.G. <laughs> Excuse me, O'Shea, who snuck pictures of my own brother in the buff. No matter. I'll just go talk with Ron. Gee. Jin, I'm dying here. Do stop. Photo shoot is Wednesday. Dumbledore and Flitwick are providing charms to shield the area, and Sally is using a very special professional camera. If you want to come shoot, that's fine. There are charms being placed on Ollie, Victor, and myself, so that only the camera sees us, uh, you know. Your brother is coming down with three dragons. We're doing a shot of Quidditch with us riding dragons. Don't ask. Please. Apparently it's a campaign for the more humane treatment of fantastic beasts. The dragons are enough of a spectacle to keep people's eyes off of my chums, don't you think? And please, don't go spreading that news to my unauthorized fan club. And, Manny, you're the one with pictures of Ron. You do know it's driving him utterly insane to figure out, right? I mean, rightly nutters. What are we thinking of, HP? P.S. I mocked Voldemort. Ask me how! <laughs> Harry, Guinea, I am not discussing this with either of you. And either of you tell Ron, I will make sure he knows the full contents of your discussion two nights past. Hermione. My, my. Hostile, aren't you, Hermione? Go ahead, tell Ron. I wonder what will distress him more, the candid nature of Ginny and my conversation about the calendar, or your subversive acquisition of a series of nude photos of him I'm given from my sources. To understand such pictures were obtained from the men's locker room. That means you used my invisibility cloak. And if others were to find out, well, the outrage would know no bounds, Ms. Prefect. HP, I am Mark Voldemort. Ask me how. I think I utterly love you, Harry. That was sheer genius. As for the photo shoot, I wouldn't miss it for the world. I do appreciate the spells being cast, and will respectfully keep my distance. Do you suppose I'll be able to talk to Miss Mon? I'd love to learn more about photography without actually touching or looking through a camera. You understand. Ginny. That's blackmail, Potter. Hermione. Does look that way, doesn't it? Kiss, kiss. HP. I mocked Voldemort. Ask me how. Ginny, talk to my friend who put me in touch with Sally. Perhaps after we guys are done and properly attired again, you can have time to interview with her. The pictures will be ready almost immediately, and as I said, I get first right of refusal for the calendar layout. Has the rest of the design been done, Harry? I'm Mark Voldemort. Ask me how!
Uh, Harry, listen, mate, you're scaring us. And why is Ginny grinning at us every time she sees us? Fred and George. Fred, George, Ginny's on the inside track. As for your fears, I've only just begun. HP, I marked Voldemort. Ask me how. What do you mean you marked a Voldemort, Harry? Doesn't everyone? Jin. No, I actually mocked Voldemort, Jin. Hey, how would you feel about being my right hand when I conquer Voldemort and take over the Death Eaters? Create a new regime of utter evil. Here, Weasley, you've proven to be devious and ingenious, and you do have a past history in this area. What do you think? As for the mocking, I think I taught a big bad Moldemort. I did, I did. I did tea a big bad Moldemort. HP. I mocked Voldemort. Ask me how. <laughs> Harry, you did it! Ginny. <laughs> I did? Why? What's the worst you can do? Jump up and down, shrieking, Kill him! Kill him! HP. I mocked Voldemort. Ask me how! <laughs> Malfoy! Kill him! Kill him! Your Lord and Master, Voldemort. <laughs> Big point, Harry. Here's a thought. Want to have a series of t-shirts or robes made up with the I think I taught emblazoned on the back? It'd send Maldemort through the roof. Jenny. I think I love you, Jenny. Who do you have that can pull such a project off? HP. I marked Voldemort. Ask me how. What are you doing with our sister, Harry? She just came to us with an offer. If we produce a series of robes that shimmer the following phrase, I think I taught a big bad Maldemort. I did, I did. I did tea a big bad Maldemort. And if we do it at our cost, it will reduce the vengeance we're currently experiencing. Uh, Harry, that shrinking potion will wear off in a week, right? George and Fred. <laughs> Ginny, you are so good. HP. I mocked Voldemort. Ask me how. <laughs> Dearest twins, Ginny and I launching a very lucrative business relationship. And as for the shrinking spell, that depends entirely on you two. HP. I mocked Voldemort. Ask me how. <laughs> How many robes do you want, Ginny? Traitor, your brothers. You give me 25,000 units by week's end, with a reserve for another 25,000 after the next match, and I'll provide you with the antidote to your little problem, dear brothers. Ginny. Well, Lee, our sister is in cahoots with Potter. Downside, we have to produce some robes that openly make fun of Voldemort. We're still hoping we can make some sort of profit off this deal. Upside, the sooner we produce 25,000 units, Sooner our masculine glory is restored to us. So stop researching potions and get ready to sow, man. Us, not them. <laughs> what will it take to get you to pull those robes off the market, Potter? What is your price? Nightmare of Futures Past. Harry has joined the Weasley crew for Christmas at the Burrow. And now they are all on their way to King's Cross to catch the Hogwarts Express back to school. They stop and pick up Luna on the way. Harry falls asleep in the car, and when he wakes up, everyone is staring at him. Not sure why, he waits to ask Luna what's happened. Uh, Luna? Yes, Harry? Did, uh, did something happen while I was asleep? Why, yes. We rode from Odyssey and Catchpole into London. No, I mean, did anything unusual happen? Well, there were 
nine people inside a muggle automobile enchanted to comfortably hold more people than a trolley car. I suppose that's a bit unusual. I'm also fairly sure I saw a fump gizzard nest in the hedgerow we drove past. Luna, why was everyone staring at me when I woke up? Oh, they were probably just a bit surprised by what you were saying. What I was saying? When you were asleep. What did I say in my sleep? You seemed to be quite angry with someone. You kept saying, you can't have them this time, and I'll kill you first. You also used some words I'm going to have to look up when we get to school. But from the look on Mrs. Weasley's face and the grins Fred and George were wearing, I can probably guess. You stopped talking, though, after Ginny began rubbing your forearm. Oh, fucker. I don't see why they're so surprised. Whatever you have to do, which you can't tell us about until everyone learns occlumency, is obviously unpleasant. If I had to do something I didn't want to do and wasn't allowed to tell anyone about it, I'd be rather cross as well. Oh, good. There's Neville. After joining up with Hermione and Neville, they board the train and get a compartment to themselves. Harry uses a special locking charm on the door. Hermione inquires why. Harry explains. On the way home for the holidays, we all fell asleep. When I woke up, the door was ajar. I'm just making sure, in case it happens again. So you're just being careful? I don't think careful is the right word for Harry. He used some language in front of Mum that I don't think anyone could get away with. He was asleep, you prat, having one of those rotten nightmares you badger him about. Mum wasn't about to punish him for that. You were talking in your sleep, Harry? About what? I, I don't think we should... I think we should leave it alone. I agree. Harry will tell us when he can, probably when our occlumency is good enough. I imagine that's all part of his plan. Plan? What plan? I don't know exactly what it is, but he seems to have one. He's training us and making little improvements here and there. I mean, look at me. I'm not as alone as I thought I'd be at Hogwarts. Neville said he used to be painfully shy, and in the past, he was even a little afraid of that unpleasant boy he pounded. I liked watching Neville do that. It made me feel very special. Anyway, we seem to get along better than most Gryffindors our age. I'm sure that's Harry's doing as well. Harry's plan seems to involve making us better, helping us work together as a team. So naturally, I want to see where it leads. I don't think we should do anything that might interfere with it. Uh, thanks for the vote of confidence, Luna. Will you not accept a rain check until we can all keep Snape out? I promise I'll explain everything at that point. Everything? You can ask me anything you want, then. You know, I might just hold you to that. Uh, appearances aside, I don't like secrets. This scene is from Coven of Echoes by H. Whimsy, and the script was written by Sue. Healer Ginny ventures into the droguery, Madame Koslova's shop, to find the elusive Moondu, a very rare plant, in order to save a young patient in her care. As Ginny entered the shop, she saw a tall, striking-looking woman standing behind a counter, lined with candles of all shapes and sizes. Come in. Do not tarry in the night air. 
Behind the older woman, countless cubbyholes filled every inch of wall space, holding jars, bottles, beakers, and small boxes sealed with wax. Branches of drying herbs hung with ribbons of different colors from the smoky rafters overhead, perfuming the air in a heady blend of lavender and clove. Her gaze shifted back to the woman before her, whose eyes of clear amber rippled surprisingly to black, and then back again. Why have you come all this way to see me? The door shut on its own behind her, sealing them in like a crypt. Something moved in the shadows. A shiver shot down Jenny's spine. A grotesque creature scurried across the sawdust-covered floorboards. Oh, do not be frightened. There is nothing here that desires you. Isn't that right, Claude? The abomination grunted, sliding along the floor. It jumped onto the counter and shrieked in glee. Jenny's heart nearly exploded in fright. The creature, half monkey and half alligator, grinned at her with hunger in its smile before it slid down and out of sight. A small, hairless dog, which had remained silent and cowering in the corner, began yapping in fear. The gypsy merely smiled and reached into the thick folds of her robes. She removed a silver beaded amulet bag and pulled a tiny wiggling animal out of it. She threw it to the dog, which devoured the helpless creature in one bite. Susan sent me. She told me that you might be able to help me. You see, I'm in need of the spores of a certain plant, a rare plant that grows in your garden. Many rare plants grow in my garden. But this one is special. I have a patient, and without this plant, I'm afraid she'll never recover. And this is why you are here? To save your patient. A most noble goal. Do you have any money? A little. A little. They all say the same thing. They come in here, desiring my plants. A little is not enough, my dear. We may, however, barter for what you desire. You provide me with what I want, and I will provide you with Imundu. For it is the reason you are here, is it not? Jenny blinked a moment in slight shock. What could she possibly offer this woman? There are three acts you will need to perform for me tonight. One act needs to be carried out before we begin. I request it of all my customers. You merely need to sign my register. The third act will take place when we are ready to part. And the second? That is not my choice. I really don't think... Then good evening to you. I have much to do while the moon is full. All right, as long as it's... No, my dear. I would have you perform nothing unseemly. I only ask that you respect my secrecy, and I, in return, will instill in you my trust. My livelihood depends on it. Now, if you will excuse me for one moment, please make yourself comfortable. I will not keep you waiting long. Jenny glanced around her, taking a moment to feel for the wand in her cloak. Every instinct in her body demanded that she leave this place, leave as fast as she can. It is evil, evil at its darkest. The moment her eyes met the door, however, the hairless dog began to growl, causing her to move back to the counter. 
Her gaze returned to the register. Names scrawled too quickly and with apparent nervous hands dotted the page. She took the peacock feather quill and without thinking signed Ginevra Weasley on the bottom of the page. The ink soaked into the parchment and then eerily disappeared, returning a moment later in a darker shade of scarlet, like blood. I hope I did not keep you long. Uh, many things happen on a full moon. You look very pale. Would you like something to drink? No, no thank you. I'm fine, fine. Blinking into the light, Ginny's eyes fell on the peacock-feathered curtain behind the counter. It swayed from some unknown breeze, a strange melody coming from the other side. The gypsy followed her gaze. Ah, they are calling to us. We should not keep them waiting. Helping Ginny to her feet, she escorted her to the curtain, the large silver earrings clinking against the copious necklaces that adorned her neck. Ginny's eyes spied the designs on her robes, circles joined and broken a bird resting its head among them. They rustled as she walked, her feet seeming to barely touch the ground. A golden chain resided about her waist, holding the amulet bag. It jangled softly each time she moved. Without warning, a muffled scream wrenched her gaze back to the cubbyholes. Tiny hands pressed frantically from inside one large bell jar, bubbles percolating from the blackened lips. She froze dead in her tracks, her mind reeling. Ginerva, come. How do you know my name? I am Madame Koslova. I know all. That is what my sign says. Ginerva Weasley, your name was in the prophet almost every day for quite some time. All wizards know your name. Ginerva, both the good and the dark. Does that bother you? No, no, it doesn't. But I never wanted it. You have both lied and told the truth in one sentence. If I take you to my garden, I will ask that you only speak the truth. There are certain beings within those walls that do not take kindly to falsehoods. Ginny swallowed hard, nodded before following the swish of the gypsy's robes down the darkened corridor. The floorboards creaked beneath her feet, and she had the strange sensation that something was living below them. They stepped out into a large, walled garden. Ginny gasped, gazing about in horrified amazement. It could have been any proper Scottish garden. Finely terraced plots of herbs and shrubs dotted the dark soil. Vines tendrilled up the surrounding brick walls. Except all of the plants moved. The garden was alive. A chorus of hisses assaulted her ears. Hush, my children. We have company. With her words, glowing balls spun down from the trees, illuminating the plot in faint golden light. Peering closer, Ginny's hair stood on end. The glowing balls were mutant spiders whose countless eyes fixated on her their incisors dripping saliva in anticipation. Ginny stepped quickly to the gypsy's side, who merely chuckled dryly, her silver hair blue in the moonlight. Uh, they do not feed unless instructed, but they are hungry. 
There is not much on you to feast, but what there is, is choice. It is a chore to maintain such a garden. The plants are often demanding and uncooperative. Ginny wanted to flee, but then she heard a voice in her head. Everything is perfectly fine. You need the Mundu. You want to save her. As they walked through the garden, Madame Koslova would nod occasionally to a rare and exotic plant. By the time they reached the far end of the garden, the night had become cooler, the moon at its apex. A copper gate lay before them, set into the brick wall. From her pocket she took a formidable key, its base bearing a winged bird. Both the lock and hinges of the gate are well-oiled, and the thick door swung inward silently. A haunting sound, the same Ginny had heard earlier, twinkled like wind chimes from the very branches themselves. Drawn by the melodious song, Ginny felt compelled to reach out and touch them. Every rational instinct in her body was screaming at her to stay away, but she could not resist. Again the battle raged in her mind, and again a voice whispered, You need to save the child. Stay. Ah, the exsanguitas. Would you like to see? Ginny was already standing before the tree, however, mesmerized by the hollow, reed-like tubules that hung from the branches. The melody seemed to pulsate and grow from deep within them. Go ahead and touch them. It is what you want, no? Suddenly the tubules lashed razor-sharp against her fingers, slicing through her skin. Pain shot down her arm like fire. She screamed and pulled back in horror. But the plant latched onto her wrist, sucking her open wound like a ravenous vampire. The gypsy smiled in glee as the plant sucked voraciously. Enough. The tree released its prey begrudgingly. Ginny stumbled backwards in agony. With tears burning in her eyes, she raised her fingers to her lips in order to stem the flow of blood. The wound had healed completely. You have paid your second price. Ah, but look, we have company. A rat had crawled over the wall and began sniffing near the row of the dangerous-looking plants. She wanted to shout to the rodent to flee, run. The words never made it to her lips. Ah, you see, my precious ones become very succulent when the dew forms on the leaves. Mundu? The gypsy nodded, her eyes bright. Meanwhile, the rat had begun to nibble on the leaves, tearing at the spore casings that were forming on the stalk. It happened in a matter of seconds. A terrible sound of panic erupted from the animal as lightning-fast feelers seized it. The rat frantically struggled, mewling in terror. Ginny watched in horror as the spores exploded, drenching the rat's matted fur in acid, dissolving the animal before their eyes. Within this flower, there is both poison and healing. Treat it with respect, and all ills may be cured. Disturb it, and one dies. It is the same with man as with Mundu, for evil is never without use. It forms the spirit. It creates great and powerful things. 
There is nothing living on this earth that is so vile that it hasn't some purpose to serve, nor anything so good that it can't be turned to evil. Man, most of all. The gypsy looked up at the moon. Yes, I believe it is time. You will need to leave me now. I don't understand. You will feel sleepy, that is all. I cannot have my secrets known. You must understand. No harm will come to you. Ginny drifted off to sleep. When she awoke, she was sitting again in the large velvet armchair in front of the fireplace. A perfumed shawl wrapped about her. Madame Kozlova stared down at her intently. What, what happened? I cannot have my secrets revealed. Drink. Well, I finish drying the moon dew. No, no thanks. You have agreed to three acts. The final one is to allow me to read your tea leaves. The spores securely wrapped up. The gypsy stood before her. Ginny shivered like a mouse beneath the talons of a predator. Here is the moon dew. You must administer it in the next three days, or else it will be useless. A simple distillation should suffice. A third of a cup must be imbibed in an hour. When will I see the results? Three days, no more. Now, I will read these for you. You will bear only one child. You've made a mistake. I don't have a... I'm not involved with anyone. Ah, uh, but this is not right. This cannot be. Has he seen you? Who? Has who seen me? Your lover. Has he seen you? I, I don't have a lover. Do not lie to me, girl. Where is he? Where is Potter? In a flash, the gypsy clutched Ginny's wrist tightly. Ginny recoiled. She knew she couldn't apparate within the confines of Vile Alley. There was only one hope. Grappling for the velvet bag, she wrestled herself from the gypsy's death grip and spun around to face her, wand raised. It trembled before her. Don't touch me! Do you think a wand could stop me if I wanted to hurt you? Insolent child! You don't know who you are dealing with! How dare you threaten Madame Koslova? I who have scoodled them all. Now answer me. Have you seen him? Once. I've seen him once. I doubt I will see him again. Good. Very good. I've given you everything you've asked for. I'm leaving. I owe you nothing. Ginny backed up in dread. Tearing open the door, she tripped down the stairs, the hysterical cries of Madame Koslova following in her wake. Terrified, she ran down the alley, clasping the velvet bag tightly in her hands. Her heart lurched in her chest, a cold sweat covering her forehead. This is Living with Danger by Anne Walsh. Script by Hufflepuff Dana. In this scene, Sirius finally gets the trial he was denied years ago. The other pack adults are on trial, too. Things look bad. 
that the Peck's children have a plan. State your full names for the record. Gertrude Kelly Granger Lupin. Bemis John Lupin. Aletha Karina Freeman Black. Sirius Valentine Black. The charges are as follows. Sirius Black, 13 counts of murder. Treason in the form of serving he who must not be named. Two counts of accessory to murder. Escaping from Azkaban prison. Evading justice. Abduction of one Harry James Potter. And burglarizing the Museum of Magical Curiosities. That's a new one. It was discovered upon examination of your personal effects that your wand was in fact the one supposedly at said museum. That exhibit was found to be a transfigured stick. Aletha Freeman Black, aiding and abetting a fugitive from justice. Remus Lupin, Gertrude Granger Lupin the same. How do you plead, Mr. Black? Not guilty. How in the name of Merlin can you sit here and say that? I can say it because it's true. The only one of those things I actually did was escaping from Azkaban, and that wasn't a crime because I'm not guilty of anything. So I was unlawfully imprisoned and within my rights to escape. Sit down, Lars. Let Amelia handle things for a minute. Mr. Black, if you are not guilty of these crimes, then who is? My wife, Miss Freeman Black, stole my wand from the museum, and it was Remus Lupin and his wife, Gertrude, who took Harry Potter from his relatives. Is this true? Yes, ma'am. Certainly. Adjust the record accordingly. How do you plead to the charges against you then, Miss Freeman Black? Not guilty, by virtue of extenuating circumstances. And how do you plead to the charges against you, Mr. Lupin? Not guilty. How do you plead to the charges against you, Miss Granger Lupin? Not guilty, by virtue of extenuating circumstances. Very well. Let the record show that the defendants have pleaded not guilty to all charges. Mr. Black, how exactly did you escape from Azkaban? Can I pass on this question? No, you cannot pass on this question. Answer it! Your Honor, may I waive this question with the understanding that I will answer it if I am convicted, so that my escape will not be repeated? I believe that would be acceptable. Where did you live after you escaped from Azkaban, Mr. Black? In London, at numbers 71 and 73, Crozer Street. Numbers 71 and 73? The houses are semi-detached. At that time, it was owned by Aletha Freeman. She lived in one half and rented out the other. To whom? To Remus Lupin and his wife Gertrude. According to our files, Mr. Lupin disappeared about nine years ago, shortly after your escape. There is no record of him ever living at a London address. They were using false names to avoid detection. They called themselves John and Kelly White. False names, I see. And how did you avoid detention, Mr. Black? I stayed indoors a lot and wore a glamour charm when I went out. Very well. Do you have a witness you could call? Someone who can testify that people with that name did in fact live at that address? I don't think so. We really didn't have many friends outside the family. I can testify to that. If you would come forward, please. Have a seat, madam, and state your name, please. Susan Mary Robertson. I'm a muggle. And how is it that you are here today? My daughter's a witch, and my grandson's a wizard, and he wheedled me into bringing him here today, and now I'm glad I did. I always did wonder where you ran off to. What was your relationship with the defendants, Miss Robertson? I worked with... What is your name, really? It's Remus. I worked with Remus, then, for five years. I knew him as John, and his wife as Kelly. Good people. Friendly. The kind you'd want in your neighbourhood. 
I knew Miss Freeman, Freeman Black it is now, slightly by association since she was their landlady and a friend of theirs. I never met Mr Black, though, but the three of them definitely lived at that address you mentioned. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Only this. Their children were happy. I've always remembered that. They had some of the happiest children I've ever seen. Tell us about their children. Well, the Whites had two of their own, twins, James and Jane. They were seven, or getting close to it when the family disappeared, and then they'd taken in a cousin of theirs, Reggie. He was the same age as their twins. They said his parents died in a car accident, and Miss Freeman had a daughter, Megan, a few years younger than the Whites. Thank you, Miss Robertson. You may step down. Miss Freeman Black, you claimed when you worked at the ministry that your daughter Megan was adopted. Is this true? No, ma'am. That's not true. Megan is my blood daughter. And who was her father? My husband, of course. Wife, is your daughter present today, Mrs. Freeman Black? No, she's not. She is. State your name, please. I'm Amy Freeman. Amy Judith Freeman. Since you people like middle names. And your relationship to the defendants? I'm Mrs. Freeman Black's aunt. Her father was my brother. Very good. Miss Freeman, are you a muggle? No, I'm a witch. I work for the Noxit Bank of America. And how did you get here on such short notice? You would be amazed what goblins can do if they feel like it. So you are this child's great aunt. Why did you never intervene in her life? Should I have? Her parents seem to frighten her. She looks very unhappy to see them. Megan is only young, Minister, not stupid. She knows what's going on here and what could happen. She's not afraid of her parents. She's afraid for them. Mrs. Freeman Black, may we question Megan? What is your full name? Megan Lily Black. Not enough he betrayed the fathers. Now he's naming his child after them. And how old are you, Megan? Seven and a half. Old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. Tell me, Megan, has your father ever done anything wrong to you? Has he ever hurt you or made you afraid? No. Has your mother? No. Have any of these four people ever hurt you in any way? No. Why are they all chained down? They didn't do anything wrong. They are accused of doing wrong things. That means people are saying that they have done wrong. Your father is being accused of having betrayed James and Lily Potter to Lord Volmort. He didn't. It was Wormtail who did. Who is Wormtail, Megan? His real name's Peter Pettigrew. He was the traitor, and he killed all those people, not my dad. Is this true? Yes. Peter Pettigrew was the real traitor. He betrayed the Potters, he killed twelve muggles, and he framed me for it. Of course you were framed. Honestly, Black, first you refused to tell us how you escaped. Now some cockamamie story about Peter Pettigrew, and we're supposed to believe this without a shred of evidence. Evidence exists. The court recognizes Minerva McGonagall, Professor of Transfiguration at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Evidence exists to support this story. May I introduce this evidence at this time? You may. <laughs> oh, for the what? This is a trial, not a circus. These animals are not animals. They're transfigured humans. And key witnesses in this case. If I may have the court permission to untransfigure them, that being my area of expertise. You may. <laughs> State Jones. Hermione Jane Granger. 
Draco Regulus Black. Harry James Potter. Have you ever used other names? When we lived in London, we were James and Jane White and Reggie Gray. What is your relationship to the Defendants? They are our guardians. They take care of us. Are they your legal guardians? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How can they be? Is that what you want to ask? Well, which of them are your guardians and why? Miss Grainabin is my old sister. She's been my guardian since I was one year old, when our parents died. Sirius Black is my godfather. He was the guardian my parents wanted for me if anything happened to them. I have something here you should see. It's a contract signed by my birth mothers, Narcissa Black, Malfoy, and all four of my guardians, transferring parental rights to them, and it's magically binding. Signed in blood, so it is. <laughs> the legal guardianship of these children is not in question. What is in question is whether or not Sirius Black is a traitor and a murderer. He's not, and we can prove it. Then do so. This rat is not a rat. This rat is an animagus. His name is Peter Pettigrew, and he is a traitor and a murderer, not Sirius Black. Professor McGonagall, can you turn him back? I most certainly can. Wait, if this story is true, and I'm not going to say that I do or don't believe you, Mr. Potter, until I see the proof, but if this story is true, wouldn't Pettigrew be a flight risk? He's asleep. He'll be asleep until three o'clock this afternoon. Hagrid gave him a potion to make him sleep. Very well. Proceed, Professor. Pettigrew? Ors, take this man into custody. I believe this bears out Mr. Black's story fully. Indeed it does. This evidence having been presented, those in favor of clearing the defendants of all charges. Aye. 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 And those against? Very well. By a unanimous vote of the Wizengabbit, these four people are cleared of torches. You are free to go. Woot! Hey! Hey! Yes. I have to say, no one could have done that like we did it. to the Off-Topic Network. Second war hero, Hermione Granger Weasley, is a tribal warrior. Find out more in our in-depth coverage of her otherworldly trial. This is With All My Love, written by Lady Chi, and the script was written by Hufflepuff Dan. It is seventh year for the Marauders and Lily, who has just spent the summer sorting through her mother's things with Petunia's help after their mother has died. Lily is looking forward to going back to Hogwarts after the awful summer, especially as head girl. In this scene, she's standing on platform nine and three quarters, waiting for the Hogwarts Express. Petunia, I just wanted to say thanks, and, well, take care of yourself. Be careful, Lily. I will. Do you mind if I help you with your bags? Thank you, Remus. How are you feeling? A little better, actually. <sighs> I was going through Mum's things. That helped. You know... I told myself I was ready for her to go. It's been coming for such a long time, and realistically we knew she wouldn't last much past Christmas, but... Losing someone is always hard. Would you like to sit with us? I imagine you could sit up in the prefect compartment, but... Uh... They're all stuffy kids who are insufferable half the time. <laughs> oh, 
I think so, too. Believe me, they've made Nottingham Prefect this year as well. I don't think I can take a train ride to Hogwarts with him in the same compartment. I think that's asking a bit much of anyone, really. Will you come sit with us? The blokes would be more than happy to have you. Well, I suppose I will, if I have your word of honour that nothing will be done to me on purpose whilst we're on the train. Oh, whatever makes you think you'd be in any danger in a car with us? <laughs> I think that anybody in their right mind would be just a little bit suspicious to be invited to sit on a train with the infamous marauders. Don't think I don't think you're not up to something. You have my word, Lily. No pranking on the train, I swear it. That's good enough for me. Look who I've found. Lily Evans, the love of my life, apple of my eye. Who needs Hogwarts? Say you'll run away with me, Lily. I'll be the man you've been dreaming of. Serious Black, I'd love to run away with you, darling, but I just don't think you can afford it. <laughs> I didn't think material possessions mattered all that much to you, Lilsey Boo. Hello, Peter. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for saving me a spot there, Moo. Hello, James. Come in, you great prat. You're letting a draft in. Hello to you too, Sirius. Hello, Lily. What did you do this summer, Remus? You know what I did all summer, Sirius, you daft prat. Just because Lily's in the car with us doesn't mean we can't carry on as usual. In fact, she's here for a reason. But we could use a witch for considerable talent. Thank you, but I would like to know what I'm helping you with before I agree to lend you my services. Oh, Merlin, you didn't expect me not to ask, did you? Uh, we were kind of hoping you wouldn't, uh, but that didn't seem very likely. She's the only one in the school who could possibly fix the problem. I'm good, but I'm nowhere near as good as Lily is. I don't have an opinion. We know. We know. Finally! I wonder what was taking so long. They were searching the train. Things have got really bad this summer, Lily. How bad? What do you mean? I mean, I'd read the paper this summer, but with all the packing and dealing with Petunia and everything else that was going on, I just didn't get the chance to really understand, I guess. Lord Voldemort's been on a killing streak for the past few weeks. He's gone after some muggle families, and notoriously muggle-friendly ones, too. Pruitt's are gone. Oh, no. How awful. Yeah. How was your summer, Lily? I spent the entire summer trying to keep my sister from stealing all of my mother's things right out from underneath my nose. This sounds like a good story. Oh, it is. For instance, there was the occasion she wanted my mother's favorite vase, a very beautiful one that we both knew mother wanted me to have. Well, she couldn't just walk off with it, so she slipped it under her shirt to hide it. A vase? Under her shirt? <laughs> I can't... I just can't believe this. <laughs> And she had the nerve to tell me she was pregnant of all things. Hold it. There's something not right here. Do you hear it? It's a whine. I've never heard that before. It doesn't sound good. No. No, it does not. This is from Hero with a Thousand Faces, from Laurie's P.O.U. Trilogy, script by Jen. In this scene, Ron and Napoleon are getting to know each other over a stiff drink. They are, in fact, quite drunk. Anything could happen. I feel terrific. Who is this guy, Sarloff? And when did he invent this marvellous substance? Oh, some Finnish potions master. Hit the market about five years ago. He must be a gajillionaire by now. Yeah, he's laughing all the way to Gringotts. So, what's it like being back? Is it weird? 
not as weird as I thought it would be. All those years I was away, starting to feel a bit hazy, like they didn't even happen. What do you think of friends? Are they what you expected they'd be? I'm not sure what I expected. Hey, oh, don't bullshit me, are they? No way. The man is just so grown up, confident, a lot more easygoing. Yeah, what about Harry? Harry's just, well, Harry. I don't think he's changed that much. Except, um... Except what? He's flipping gorgeous. When did that happen? <laughs> I'll be sure to tell him you said so. You're doing that way, old man. If you do, I simply must introduce you to this doctor friend of mine. He's absolutely... I don't swing that way. At least I don't think I do. It's not like I've had a chance to test myself out. Name me five movies in which Brad Pitt takes his shirt off. Uh, okay, let me see. Um, well, he spent half a Fight Club shirtless. Then there was, um... Eh, uh, sorry, your time's up. You're straight. You had to think about it. Fair enough. But honestly, you don't have to be gay to have eyes. About Harry, I mean. But he doesn't think he is. You can tell just by the way he carries himself. I know. And his fame. Well, women must... Oh, they do. But he doesn't think they do. He's bloody unobservant about things like that. Anyway, he's only got eyes for her. Takes one to know one. <laughs> they told me he was sharp. How long? Feels like forever. About a year. Almost as long as I've known her. I'm over it. Okay, so I'm not over it at all, but I'm... Okay with it. I've had to be. It ain't easy having a thing for the boss's woman. Harry's your boss? Well, yeah. Didn't you know that? No! I just said you were a friend who helped with my rescue. Oh. Yeah, he's my boss. I'm Harry's, uh, first mate, if you will. Second officer of the CCO division. Blimey. That's a hell of a dynamic. Seem pretty friendly, Ron. I've always been friends with her, but Harry used to hate me. He's over it. At least I think he is. Long story, not important. He knows how I feel about her, but he also knows I'd never do anything about it. Well, I even helped them get back together when they had their little problem last summer. Not that they wouldn't have anyway. Tell me something about my friends. Something I don't know. Anything. Harry speaks eight languages. Wow. He's got a weird knack for it. Even though two of them are magical languages, so they hardly count. Hermione's a bloody horrible cook. She gave up on it years ago. Oh, it's considering the skill of potions. Harry can't whistle. It's the great shame of his life. <laughs> what did he do past the graveyard, blur kazoo? <laughs> Hermione hates shopping, but she has a hat finish. She must own several dozen. Never wears them, just buys them. And Harry lost their wedding rings a few weeks ago. No kidding. Oh, he found them again. He bought them last month. One day he took them out to show me. He set them down somewhere and couldn't find them again for days. He was frantic, but he didn't want to tell Hermione he'd lost them in the first place. Naturally. Everyone keeps telling me about the relationship, how it's, uh... Oh, no, you don't. I don't want to sit here and have yet another conversation about that grand Tooby love affair. Aren't you sick of hearing about it yet? No, I'm fascinated. I might be sick of it if I could see it at all. What are you talking about? Well, if I were Harry, and I had a woman like Amani, I think I might, you know, kiss her once in a while. Hold her hand, even. Is that so difficult? They do. Not in front of me, they don't. All I see is my two best friends. And we're acting just like Bernie that. Best friends. And yes, I keep hearing about their, how did you put it, their grand to-be-love affair. Except I'm starting to think it's just a big joke on me. 
We'll tell him we're desperately in love and then see how long he buys it. Ron, take it from one who pays close attention. It's not a big joke. I haven't noticed them being, you know, restrained. That's because you're not me. I don't care if you see, uh, stuff. Maybe they don't want to upset you and make you uncomfortable. I'm already uncomfortable. So I'm enough to try and pick up with everyone again without them trying to hide the reality of their lives from me. Why do they bother? Because, well, uh, how the bloody hell should I know? You're asking the wrong guy. Do I look like a goddamn shrink to you? Yeah, I'm just confused is all. I haven't done anything to indicate that I have a problem with a relationship. Except watch them like a sorting chicken hook, which they must have noticed. They're probably a tad jumpy themselves. Here's a novel thought. Talk to them about this. Ugh, I don't know if I can handle it. I've only been among the living less than a week. I don't think I'm ready for concentration. Probably just make it worse. How'd you bring it up delicately? I don't do delicate, I wouldn't know. It'll sort itself out. If you say so, mate. Are we? Are we what? Mates. Uh, I think we just might be. The Paradigm of Uncertainty Trilogy, and this is a scene where Ron and Laura sit down and talk for the first time. You know, if we're going to do this, we're going to actually have to talk. You're right. You're the best man. I'm the maid of honor. We'll have to cooperate. Look, can we just agree to be civil to each other through all of this? I don't know, can we? I don't even know why we're still fighting. You know I gave up my plan. Because you were forced to. No, I wasn't. You're right, it was stupid. I, uh, I, I saw the error of my ways. Don't I get to be forgiven? Maybe. One condition. What's that? You have to apologize for yelling at me in the dooryard down in Devon. That is the most childish thing I've ever heard. Calling me childish isn't earning you any points, you know. And I thought my mother was stubborn. I'm not stubborn. I just know how I feel and stick to it. Yeah, like someone who's stubborn. At least I'm not sublimating everything. What does that mean? Surely, through all that book learning you did while you were away, you learned about sublimation. It's a physical process through which a solid bypasses the liquid phase and evaporates directly into gaseous form. Usually it reduces pressure and high temperature. Being a smart ass isn't earning you any points either. What do you think I'm sublimating? All of it. You're going to just have a meltdown one of these days, Ron Weasley. You have to be experiencing some intense emotions about your imprisonment. But you haven't expressed them because you're so afraid of upsetting anyone. You're terrified of being an inconvenience. Is that so terrible? Yes. Damn inconvenience. You ought to just feel what you feel. Like you, right? Why not? If you're such an emotional all-star, then why is it I never hear you talk about this man you supposedly committed to? Because it's none of your business. Oh, but my hypothetical sublimation is your business. Okay. I guess it's safe to say we've both got some issues. But you're right. This isn't about us. This is about Harry and Hermione, and one thing we do have in common is that we both care about them. Right? Right. So you and I are going to have to call a truce if we're going to work together to make sure this wedding goes off all right. So I propose an agreement. Hit me. Don't tempt me. You said we... Okay, okay. I'm sorry. It was just too good to pass up. All right. Point the first. All arguments between you and me are to be shelved until further notice. Check. Point the second. I'm in charge. Who says? I say. 
I've been dealing with this wedding stuff for months. You're new. So I say that means I'm in charge. Well, I see your point. Point the third. We should agree that our goal is to give our friends the beautiful wedding they deserve and to make the entire experience as stress-free for them as possible. Should we write a profession statement? Repeat after me. Being a smart-ass is earning me no points. Repeat after me. Being stubborn and bossy makes Ron want to be a smart-ass. Reference point the first above. Fine. You're a boss. You're the queen of everything. You rule the world. And you're just sitting there all in your shame. You happy now? Very. Shall we proceed? Yes, master. All right, then. I have a long checklist of items to go over, so I hope you're ready. I'm ready. What's the status of clothes for the men? Harry's wearing his dress uniform. He's taking care of that for himself. Everyone else has been fitted, except for me. Are you and Napoleon cooking up some sort of wild party for Harry? What makes you ask that? Because I know Napoleon and I'm starting to know you. So what if we are? I'm just curious. I think Hermione might prefer for the groom to be somewhat coherent when he says his vows. Don't worry about it. Well, whatever you do, it can't be the night before the wedding. You know that Hermione's parents are throwing them a dinner party after the rehearsal. Yeah, I spoke to Doug about it the other day. Told him I'd help him get everything together. Smashing. Isn't the rehearsal party usually given by the... Oh, right. Good one, genius. Since Harry's paying for the wedding himself, Doug and Claire wanted to contribute something. This was their idea. What about my parents? But now my mum should be passing herself off as the mother of the groom. You might say she's been standing in for Harry's mother, in an unofficial capacity. If the Dursleys come in. Hermione wanted to invite them, but Harry made her promise she wouldn't. Don't tell me she did anyway. No, no, she wouldn't do that to him. No, this wedding will be Dursley free. What order are you all standing in? Huh? You know, there are four of you. What order? How do I make that determination exactly? Usually it's by height, with the tallest person closest to the middle. Of course, you and I have to be first. On our side, it'll be me, then Jenny, then Sarah, then Cho last. Hmm, who's tallest? Let me think. I guess it'll be me, then Remus, then Napoleon, then George. I'm not sure, though. I couldn't really say if Napoleon's short and Remus. I think they're just about the same. I think we definitely want Napoleon in the number three spot. Why's that? Look who that pairs him with, Hermione's cousin Sarah. Do you know her? Yeah, I met her a few times visiting Hermione on summer holiday. Don't you think it'd be very convenient to stick them together? I think I know where you're headed with this. They're like two peas in a pod. They'll have to hit it off. They're met. Hmm, I don't think so. But they're both single. They definitely seem to be of a mind. My first thought when I met Sarah was that she'd be perfect for Napoleon. Don't you agree? Well, Napoleon could certainly stand to get some. That's all I have to say. You men always thinking with your dicks. Crude. Uh, paging Mr. Kettle, there's a Mr. Pot on line one. Are we agreed in the Napoleon-Sarah question? You women. Why is thinking we are limbic systems? Are what? Limbic systems. It's a primitive part of the brain that produces emotion and impulse. See, my clever turn on your comment about men and dicks was to insinuate that women always think with too much emotion, leading to the kind of matchmaking tendencies you're displaying right now. I see. Kind of a long way to go for a lame joke, don't you think? I can see that it lacked the spontaneity and verbal zip of your remark, but I think I'm the clear victor in terms of sheer erudition. Do you have to go to school to learn to talk like that? Nah. Twelve years in prison surrounded by books. You sound just like me. I think I'll pass, thanks. Of course. You've been in a kind of prison just about as long, haven't you? Keeping yourself locked away like a clad figurine in a curio cabinet. 
Wait a few days here and there with this man you're... Don't talk to me about my relationship, okay? You don't know anything about it. You don't know, sorry. Do you? Harry Potter and the Power of Emotion by Melinda Leo Scenes from Chapter 4 Having spent most of the summer all but cut off from everyone, grieving serious, Harry has just been whisked to Grimald Place after Death Eaters were spotted swarming Little Whinging. Very reluctant to be there, he does not respond well to overtures by Dumbledore and the Order. Harry! Oh, thank heavens you're all right! When was the last time you had a decent meal, Harry? Didn't that talk we have with the Dursleys at King Cross do any good at all? He was locked in the room with a dead bulk, Mum. He scrambled to use the loo when we got there, so I'd say he'd been stuck for a while. What's happening with the Death Eaters? Why are they at Privet Drive? How did they get past the wards? And what are you lot all doing here, anyway? Fred, George, take Harry's trunk up to Ron's room. I'm going to put together some food. Everyone will be hungry when they return. And we'll get your questions answered then, Harry. I don't know any more than you do about what's happening at Privet Drive. Harry, I'm sorry about the howler. I don't know what I was thinking, and I'm not sure what possessed me. I never meant to get you in trouble with the muggles. Don't worry about it. I was already in trouble. So how long have you been here? We've been here for about a fortnight. There was some trouble for us, so we've been staying here ever since. Trouble? What kind of trouble? Someone tried to breach the wards. The alarms Bill installed worked perfectly. We all got out and we even hold up here. We used the extendable ears to learn that it was some Death Eaters. They finally managed to get in, but Bill's traps gave them quite a run for their money before they succeeded. Harry, it isn't your fault. Oh, no? Which one of you was Lord Mullen? Well, it could have been any one of us, really. More than half the family is in the Order, and we've made no secret we support Dumbledore. Bill and the twins can be right pains in the arse when they set their mind to it. Yeah. Where's Ron? Is Marnie here, too? Hermione isn't staying here exactly, but the flu network is open to her house, so she's been here quite a bit. She and Ron went into Diagon Alley with Bill this morning. I suspect they'll be back soon. They've been doing a lot of studying lately. Studying? We don't know what classes we'll be taking yet. Did they get their owl results? No, I don't mean schoolwork. More like studying each other. No. Don't tell me they finally got a clue and missed it. Oh, don't worry, Harry. You'll catch plenty of it. Rather revolting, if you ask me. Carrie, you know it's a risky business leaving the twins alone with your stuff. Why don't we go up and check that they're not leaving you any surprises? Hmm. You know, when we arrived here last summer, the twins tried to prank Sirius. We were all a bit shocked at first to find him here and to discover that he was innocent, but the twins took to him quickly and they tried to get him to eat one of their canary greens. He didn't fall for it, though. When they tried one of their new inventions on me, Sirius came up to me and told me what they were doing. Together, we switched the belching bangers back to Fred's plate, and George thought that it was the funniest thing that ever happened. Sirius loved life, Harry, and he lived it to the fullest. That's how you will honor his memory, not by giving in or giving up, by living and having a damn good time doing it. I know that's what he would want, but I don't know how. It hurts to eat, to think, to breathe, to walk and talk and to feel. I keep trying to push it away. It suddenly overwhelms me. You have no idea what I'm supposed to do with that. You're supposed to let yourself feel it, Harry. Bearing it only makes it stronger and more determined to get out. Until you let yourself feel the hurt, it's not going to get better.
Hey, Ami. How are you? I think your mum knocked me out. Well, honestly, Harry, can you blame her? You still look like it's been ages since you've had decent sleep. You're terribly thin, Harry. Got to eat. Let him breathe, Hermione. Sorry, mate. Mum did slip you a sleeping potion. She was just worried about you. What time is it? The rest of you ought to arrive back from Surrey? Where's Ginny? The other members of the auto are downstairs. The Death Eaters gave up without much of a fight after they hit some resistance. They probably figured you'd already been whisked away. Your relatives are fine, and weren't even aware anything was happening until Mr. Weasley let them know you'd be gone until next year. It's just after dinner, but Mum saved you a plate. You better go and eat some of it or she'll have kid it. Ginny's off sulking in our room, I expect. Sulking? She got an owl from Dean. He broke up with her. The git. Good riddance, I say. The bloody hell was he thinking anyway? It's beyond me. I have to admit, Hoop's point of view, things were strange. Ginny couldn't tell him where she was. She couldn't meet with him and told him to limit the number of owls he sent. Not very encouraging from your supposed girlfriend, I would think. Uh, maybe she can fix things when we're back at school. Maybe. Dumbledore's downstairs. He's waiting to talk to you. Let's go down, then. It's good to see you, Harry. You too. I hope you're not angry, Harry, but you really look like you could use some sleep. What happened? We're still not sure. Though there were a significant number of death issues on Privet Drive, they never got close enough to breach the wards, which remain intact. If they have found a way to get through them to enter the house, it is still a mystery to us. We are going to be keeping a close eye on the house for the next several weeks, but since they have at least figured out the location, we feel it is safer for you to remain here. I thought it best to update you on what's been happening since the end of term. Right. Right, Potter. Is that all you have to say? I would expect a bit more respect when addressing the headmaster. Obviously, your arrogance has exceeded even your... Severus, that will be all. Sell the Pogboy returns. Back to finish the destruction begun by your cheerless godfather before he met his end. You lied to me, you son of a bitch. I'm gonna rip your foul, lying head off. You said you'd taken care of him. I'm sorry, Harry. He was supposed to stay away from you, but you arrived earlier than expected. I'll see to it you don't come in contact with him again. You. Am I supposed to believe that? Am I supposed to believe anything you say anymore? How much of the truth are you actually giving me? How much have you decided I can handle? I don't know what to think, or believe, or, quite frankly, whom to trust at the moment. Harry, you can trust all of us here. You know that. Let's sit down and get back to the meeting. No, I'm not listening to this. I don't need to. I know exactly what Voldemort's been up to, as I've witnessed most of it. If you had taken Optimancy seriously, this wouldn't be happening at all, and you know it. Yes, and if you'd taken the time to actually teach me something, and not used it for continuing sparring match with a man who's been dead for nearly 15 years, a lot of things might be different, wouldn't they? You insufferable, arrogant little... Severus, that is enough. You can all go on discussing and rehashing all you want. It changes nothing. You and I both know how this has to end. Scenes from Chapter 29 Spooked by a nightmare featuring Voldemort, the chamber, and almost all of his emotional buttons, Harry has been avoiding any time alone with Ginny, his girlfriend of approximately two months. 
After a flu conversation with Tonks, he realizes he might not be doing the right thing, and several days later takes an opportunity to stop her when they're alone in the common room. Ginny. Finally decided I'm worthy of your time. It's not like that, Ginevra. No? Why don't you tell me what it's like then, Harry, since I'm not the legitimate here and I can't read your bloody mind? I'm trying to protect you. Protect me? Protect me? I don't need your protection, Harry, nor do I want it. I'm perfectly capable of taking care of myself in case you haven't noticed while you've been moping about. I'm not moping. No? What do you call it, then? You go off and brood and won't let any of us in when we're just trying to help. I thought we moved past all this, Harry. I thought we'd finally broken through and you'd accepted we're in this for the long haul, whether you like it or not. I do know you want help. I also know he'll kill you for the simple reason that you care. It's dangerous to be around me. That is my choice to make. I won't let him dictate what I do and don't do with my life ever again. Do you get that? I've loved you for as long as I can remember. It's my choice to wait for you, to fight for you, to stand by you. I'm always here and always will be. There is nothing you can do to change that. I had a dream the other night, Ginny. Voldemort knows about it. He knows that you mean something to me and about what happened in the train. I'm afraid he'll try to get you again, and I can't let that happen. Then I'll have to be extra careful and take some of the same precautions you do, won't I? Ginny, I think the best way to keep you safe keep you far away from me. Will that change your feelings? What? Oh, of course not, but... Then it won't really matter, will it? You can get in your mind and know your heart. I'm not going anywhere, Harry. <sighs> You've got this crazy notion that you can give up your life for anyone you care about, but we're crazy if we're willing to do the same for you. You may not have a family in the traditional sense, but you do have a family who loves you and would do anything for you. We want you safe, Harry. Safe and healthy and happy and whole. I do need you. I don't understand why you want to risk so much for me. Well, I do, and that's my choice to make. It's going to get worse before it gets better. If it ever gets better. It will. You have to believe that. I'm so bloody scared, Jen. I don't know what I'm going to do. You will do this, Harry. I know you will. I wish I could go and do it myself for all he's put you through. Don't say that. I don't want you anywhere near him. Most certainly not over me. Why not? You did it for me when you were twelve. It, that's, that's not... I... Why now, Harry? I know you said you had a nightmare, but why are you all of a sudden pushing me away again now? Something else must have happened. He's been in all these defense lessons with Mr. Taylor. He's good. I'm learning a lot. We talked a bit about ending it and how it can be done. I don't know. I guess I've just been thinking a lot more about it. The reality of the situation isn't good, Ginny. You really want to stick around and watch me die? You are not going to die. Don't start thinking that way or we've already lost. This isn't fair, Harry. I know it isn't. But it is what it is, and this is what we have to work with. You have to do this, but you will never be alone. Thanks, Ginny, for everything. I think I'm going to head up to bed. That's a good idea. You look exhausted. Promise me next time it all starts to get to you that you'll talk to me about it? Deal. At least, I'll try. I suppose that's about the best I can expect from you, Mr. Hero. Yeah. All hail the bloody boy who lived. <laughs> no. Try the bloody boyfriend who's going to get his ass kicked if he doesn't stop trying to take on everything himself. <laughs> I like that title better. I keep that one. You've got it. Night, Jen. Night, Harry. Stay tuned for the off-topic news at 11. I am Gilderoy Lockhart, radio personality and 12th time winner of... Yes, yes, we know. 
Stay tuned after this program for our nightly world newscast. Today covers several strange events occurring in North America. We've sent a top team of reporters to investigate more. I don't know why I wasn't sent. I mean, I obviously After have. After that botch up last time, obviously even your memory charms are getting rusty. She remembers the tiniest motes, if anything. And really, she wasn't an author at the time. How was I to know she'd make all that out of it? Hmm, I suppose no one's likely to figure out what really happened. Sparkling vampires, honestly. Uh, I say, is that thing still supposed to be glowing? Oh, crap. They Shook Hands, Year 3, Fic by Death Roll, Script by Ray. In alternate but realistic universe, Harry Potter fic. Excerpt from Chapter 17 and 18, The Truth About Sirius Black and Setting Things to Rights. How the confrontation in the Shrieking Shack would go down if Snape were to actually listen to Harry. Everything to this point roughly follows canon, though Harry is Slytherin and friends with Draco and the gang. Halt. What do you want, Potter? Got no Muggleborns to petrify tonight? (sighs) Shut up. What are you doing out here? What business is it of yours? I don't see you wearing a prefect's badge. Why are you down at Hagrid's hut? What have you got in your hand? Stop squirming, scabbers. It's just an evil Slytherin. We can take care of him. It's the dog from Magnolia Crescent. I knew it'd be great for terrorizing Weasley, but I need to find out about Pettigrew. Hey! Let him be! I need to know something! Incarcerous! It's pulling us down the Whomping Willow. That gap in the roots. Maybe there's a room down there. Whoa! Where'd my wand go? Ah, here. Lumos. Okay. Not a room, a tunnel. Wow, this tunnel is long. Ah, finally a room. How did that dog smash everything? No, it looks like no one's been here for years. It's so dusty. He must be near Hogsmeade. I haven't walked so far, but none of the buildings at Hogsmeade were of this construction, except... The Shrieking Shack. Ghosts can't do damage like what's been done here. Weasley, where's the dog? Not a dog. He's an animagus. <gasps> Going to kill me, Harry? You killed my mom and dad! No, I've waited too long. You killed my parents. Why? I know I killed your parents. I can't deny it. But you've got to listen to me. You'll regret it if you don't. You don't understand. I understand a lot better than you think. My mum tried to stop Voldemort killing me, and she's dead now. You did that. You did it. Not me. Not me. And who? Him. Weasley? Your crackers. 
Help! Sirius Black is here! Help! Expelliarmus! Sirius, my old friend. Looking rather ragged, aren't we? Finally, the flesh reflects the madness within. Well, you'd know all about madness, wouldn't you? It's over, Sirius. Remus, wait! For what, Sirius? For you to trick me the same way you tricked Lily and James into making you their secret keeper? For you to betray me the same way you betrayed them? For you to kill me the same way that you killed Peter? No, it's over. I'm going to take you back up to the school and turn you over to the Dementors. He's not dead. What? I said he's not dead. Who? Peter. Peter isn't dead? What fantasy is this? The Dementors have driven you insane. Peter Pettigrew. He's alive. He is. Don't listen to him, Harry. He's a tricky one who'll say anything. Tell me about Peter Pettigrew. He was at school with us. We thought he was our friend. Harry, we don't have time for this. Then go. I'll deal with him. After rushing down when I saw him drag you off, I certainly will not. I believe him. You do? I've seen him before, in his animagus form. On Magnolia Crescent. He could have killed me then, but he didn't. And I've got other evidence. I've seen Pettigrew's name floating around the castle on this map I've seen. Map? Map, do you say? <laughs> Remus, my old friend. Young Harry's been up to no good. How do you know about the map? <laughs> know about it? I invented it. Remus helped some, and your dad, too. We were all together in Gryffindor. Do you know that? Harry, how did you get the map? It was confiscated by Filch many years ago. It doesn't matter, Remus. The map never lies. Peter is alive, and he's right here. Where, Sirius? There, on the bed. What? Not me. But then, why hasn't he shown himself before now? Unless... Unless he was the one. Unless you switched without telling me. Yes. I was watching the sky when I saw them. I saw you attack them, and I thought the worst. Forgive me. There's nothing to forgive, Mooney. Now man up. We've got unfinished business to take care of. Right. Of course. Do you think I could have a look at the rat? Why? What scabbers got to do with it? Everything. Could I see him, please? What? What's my rat got to do with anything? He's not a rat. He's a wizard. An animagus. You're mental. Peter Pettigrew's dead. He killed him twelve years ago. I meant to. But little Peter got the better of me. Not this time, though. Ah! Serious. No. You can't do it just like that. He needs to understand. We've got to explain. You've got to wait. I did my waiting. Twelve years of it. In Azkaban. We can explain it afterwards. He's got a right to know everything. Ron's kept him as a pet. There are parts of it even I don't understand, and Harry... You owe Harry the truth, Sirius. All right, then. Tell them whatever you like, but make it quick, Remus. I want to commit the murder I was imprisoned for. You're nutters, both of you. I've had enough of this. I'm off. You're going to hear me out, Weasley. Just keep a tight hold on Peter while you listen. He's not Peter, he's Scabbers. There's one way to prove what really happened. Weasley, give me that rat. What are you going to do with him if I give him to you? Force him to show himself. If he really is a rat, it won't hurt him. Fine, Professor. Here, take him. Thank you, Ron. Ready, Sirius? Together, here's your wand. 
Stop! You're hurting Scabbers! What? He's... Well, hello, Peter. Long time no see. Caesarius! Remus! My friends! We've been having a little chat, Peter. About what happened the night Lily and James died. You might have missed the finer points while you were squeaking around down there on the bed. Remus, you don't believe it, do you? He tried to kill me, Remus! So we've heard. I'd like to clear up one or two little matters with you, Peter, if you'll be so kind. I must admit, I have difficulty in understanding why an innocent man would want to spend twelve years as a rat. Innocent, but scared! You know whose supporters were after me, because I put one of their best men in Azkaban. The spy, Sirius Black! How dare you! Lily and James only made you secret keeper because I suggested it. I thought it was the perfect plan. A bluff. Voldemort would be sure to come after me, but never dream they'd use a weak, talentless thing like you. It must have been the finest moment of your miserable life, telling Voldemort you could hand them the potters. Remus, you can't believe this. Wouldn't Sirius have told you they changed the plan? Not if he thought I was the spy, Peter. I assume that's why you didn't tell me, Sirius. Forgive me. Old friend, there's nothing to forgive. And will you in turn forgive me? Of course. And now we must deal with the vermin. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. It was the one happy thought that the Dementors couldn't take away from me. Will you join me? Yes, I think so. You won't. You, you won't. Harry, Harry, you look just like your father, just like James. How dare you speak to Harry? How dare you talk about James in front of him? Harry, Harry, James wouldn't want to be killed. James was understood, Harry. He would have shown me mercy. Because of you, he'll never know what James would have wanted. You sold Lily and James to Voldemort. Do you deny it? Serious, serious, what could I have done? The Dark Lord, you have no idea. For weapons he has, you can't imagine. I was scared, serious. I was never brave like you and Remus and James. I never meant it to happen. He forced me. He would have killed me, serious. What would you have done? Died! I would have died rather than betray my friends. And you should have realized if Voldemort didn't kill you, we would. Goodbye, Peter. Expelliarmus. Give me a reason. Give me a reason to kill you, and I swear I will. Our vengeance is sweet. How I hoped I would be the one to catch you. Severus? I've told the headmaster again and again that you were helping your old friend Black into the castle, Lupin. And here's the proof. Not even I dreamed you would have the nerve to use this old place as your hideout. Brilliant, Snape. You put your keen mind to the task, and once again you come to the wrong conclusion. Now if you'll excuse us, Remus and I have business to attend to. Severus, you're making a mistake. Two more for Azkaban tonight. I shall be interested to see how Dumbledore takes this. He was quite convinced you were harmless, you know, Looper. A tame werewolf. Imagine. Severus, don't be a fool. He can't help it. It's habit by now. Why don't you go and play with your chemistry set? Why don't I just kill you now? I could do it, you know. But why deny the Dementors? They'll be so very pleased to see you, Black. Please don't have to give you a little kiss, I dare say. It's said to be unbearable to watch, but I'll do my best. Professor, wait! 
Carter, what are you doing here? He's innocent. Peter Pettigrew is alive. This piece of vermin is the reason I have no parents. <laughs> Pettigrew, you look well for a dead man. Severus, my old friend, you've come to rescue me. Let's not be hasty. They were going to kill me. Shut up. We'll take you back up to the castle. <laughs> Harry, you, thank you. It's more than I deserve. Thank you. Get off me. I'm going to hand you over to the Dementors for the kiss. Petrificus Totalus. Incarcerus. Stupefy. Right. Weasley, I can't mend bones nearly as well as Madame Pomfrey, so I think it's best if we just strap your leg up until we can get you to the hospital wing. Ferula. That's better. Thanks. Severus, will you assist with Peter? If anyone can prevent the sneak getting away, it's you. Huh. Mobile corpus. It's over. You're free. Harry. My word, Mooney. It's just like looking at prongs. I know, Padfoot. Harry, you know what this means? Turning Pettigrew in, I mean? You're free. Yes, but I'm also... I don't know if anyone ever told you, but I'm your godfather, Harry. My godfather? Really? Your parents point to me your guardian. If anything happened to them... I'll understand, of course, if you want to stay with your aunt and uncle, but, well... Think about it. Once my name's cleared, if you want, a, a, a different home. What? Live with you? Of course. I thought you wouldn't want to. I, I understand. I just thought I'd... Are you insane? Of course I want to leave the Dursleys. I've never wanted anything else. Have you got a house? When can I move in? You want to? You mean it? Yeah, I mean it. Let's go tell Dumbledore. Gain admittance. Headmaster, there have been some rather startling developments in the past hour. Behold, Peter Pettigrew. Peter Pettigrew? Hmm, yes, and... Hello, Professor. Serious? Yes. How? It's a long story, and there'll be time for it later. Some of the Dementors, Pettigrew must die now. Serious, it can't be just like that. It was for me. My wand was snapped, and I was carted off to Azkaban without so much as a formal charge. So don't tell me we have to observe the legal niceties. If you won't call them, I'll kill them myself. Forgive me, Sirius. This is all happening rather quickly. I must inform the Ministry. Make your calls. Hello, Fox. I'd say that about proves it, Professor, all things considered. So it does. Let me flew... Department of Magical Law Enforcement. Emily? Albus Dumbledore speaking. Let me speak with Director Bones. One moment. Dumbledore? Amelia, good. What I am about to tell you may sound rather strange. As opposed to any of the other things you've said that are perfectly normal, Professor. Believe me, Amelia, I am in most sincere earnest. I need you to listen to all I have to say before you begin reacting. Go ahead. Sirius Black just walked into my office. What? Amelia! Sorry. He was accompanied by Professor Snape and Professor Lupin, and the three of them have laid Peter Pettigrew on my floor. What? On my floor! Pettigrew? 
he is alive and restrained. It would appear he has been living the life of a fugitive. I believe it highly likely that he was and or is a Death Eater. This is a mess, Dumbledore. I'd better come myself. I will see you shortly, then. Never fear, Sirius. We'll straighten all of this out. I give you my word. Now then, would someone please tell me what's been happening tonight? I was watching the sky, thinking about how much I hate the moon when I chanced to look down toward the grounds, where I saw a giant dog attacking Ron and Harry. I recognized Sirius immediately and ran for the gate. I encountered Professor Snape, who was bringing me the Wolfsbane potion. I guzzled the stuff and hurried on my way. Severus. I puzzled over Professor Lupin's expeditious exit for a time. I had my suspicions as to what he was up to, but I could not follow him to confirm, as I was immediately taken up by another matter. When I was free to pursue him, I tracked him with the help of the portraits. I was fortunate enough to glimpse him ducking into the secret tunnel beneath the Whomping Willow. It took me several minutes to find the precise knot to freeze the branches, but I eventually made my way to the Shrieking Shack. The rest you know. Cross the threshold! Hello, Dumbledore. Yes, that's Pettigrew. Cor, what a jumble. Dumbledore, do I dare ask what Harry Potter is doing here? You can ask. Very well. Mr. Potter, what are you doing here? Making sure that the wizard who betrayed my parents to Voldemort doesn't escape justice. Pettigrew was working for you-know-who? Yes. He was the secret keeper when my parents went into hiding. Sirius Black was a decoy. When Pettigrew was a spy, he sold James and Lily to Voldemort. I went after him, and I was going to kill him, but he blew up the street and faked his own demise. Hold up. I need to take notes. Tell me the story as it happened. When I heard the news, my clever little scheme tasted like ashes. I got in my, uh, broom and headed for Godric's Hollow. I got there just as Hagrid was coming out of the ruins of the house with Harry in his arms. I said, give Harry to me, Hagrid. I'm his godfather. I'll look after him. It was what James and Lily wanted. He said that he had orders from Professor Dumbledore and that Harry was to go live with Lily's sister, Petunia. I didn't have time to argue with him about it, and I knew Harry would be safe with Hagrid until I tracked Peter down. So I gave him my uh, uh, broom and apparated to one of Peter's usual dives. I found him. Before I could do anything, he framed me and blew up the street. When the Aurors came to take me away, I was laughing at how very stupid we'd all been. The rest I think we know. Amelia, have you heard enough? And I thought I knew some good fairy tales. Very well, Black. On my authority as head of magical law enforcement, I declare you innocent of all criminal charges. <sighs> Thank you, Director. We'll see about proper rewards and recompense at a later time. Dreams of vindication kept me sane, Director. Yes, well, as to the Death Eater, I see no reason why he should not receive the kiss immediately. I will go collect one of the Dementors. I told you once, Amelia, that no Dementor will ever enter this castle while I still draw breath. If Pettigrew is to be kissed, you will have to deliver him to them. Very well, Headmaster. I'll come with you. As will I. And me. I will not allow a thirteen-year-old wizard to witness the Dementor's kiss. So try and stop me. I recommend letting Mr. Potter go, Director. Otherwise, he is apt to do the deed himself right now, just to be certain. I suppose it is your right, though it's terrible beyond description. I'll do my best. Be it on your own head. Let's go. We shall be meeting two R's outside. Stop. I have declared Black to be innocent. I now order you to guard the Death Eater, Peter Pettigrew.
Dementors, under my authority as head of magical law enforcement, I hereby rescind all orders concerning Sirius Black. His innocence has been proven. Furthermore, I release you to perform the kiss on Peter Pettigrew. It is done. 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 Very good, then. Mr. Black, the word of your innocence will be disseminated to the corners of the world by Moonset. Good night. Moonset? Moonrise! Not for a short while yet, but you better not wait any longer. At once to your office with you. I've got to go with Mooney right now, Harry. That's also a long story, and I promise to tell you all about it. When's the next Hogsmeade meeting? Uh... Not till after exams. Well, that's a bit longer than I'd like, but I suppose I must take the time to get my affairs in order. If you're really going to come live with me, that is. Are you trying to get rid of me, Black? Hardly, Harry. And it's serious. Or Padfoot. But I have to go now. Find me in the Hogshead Inn when you visit Hogsmeade. Good luck on the exams. Severus, has he had your potion tonight? Yes, Headmaster. As I said earlier, I delivered it shortly following dinner. Ah, uh, yes, I had forgotten. Well, we had best get back up to the castle, I think. There's a little point in standing around. Unless, of course, anyone wants to watch the full moon rise. Uh, not really up for it. Ah, uh, well, on your way then, Mr. Potter. Severus, do stay a moment. Good night, Mr. Potter. Good night, says. This scene is from The Book of Morgan Le Fay by Lavender Brown. The script was written by Oliver's gal. Harry, Susan, Ron, and Hermione just got confirmation from Ginny that Luna is the descendant of Morgan Le Fay. Worried about who else Luna has shared her secret with, the students begin to speculate about her crush on a certain head boy and his affiliation with the Death Eaters. Did Luna mention whether she told anyone else about the book? No, as far as I know, she hasn't told anyone but me, but... What? Look, it's probably nothing, but I do know she has a crush on Eddie Carmichael. I knew it. I knew he had something to do with this. Ron, be sensible. Luna has a crush on him. That doesn't mean he has a crush on her. And it certainly doesn't mean he even knows anything about the book at all. You didn't see the look he gave me in the Great Hall when he was helping Luna with her books. Looked like a cat who just ate the canary. That's not proof of anything. To be honest, I don't think she's told Eddie. I mean, when she told me, it was like she was relieved that she was finally telling somebody. But if she told Eddie, wouldn't he have had to report it? He's head boy in her house and everything. Surely Dumbledore would have mentioned it at your meeting the other night. Unless Eddie's working for the Death Eaters. Oh, Ron, really? Eddie doesn't have the dark mark, for heaven's sake. That's not proof of anything. Snape does have a dark mark on his arm, and supposedly he's a spy for the Order. Maybe Eddie's a spy for the Death Eaters. Maybe Eddie doesn't get his dark mark until he earns it by handing over the Book of Morgan Le Fay and her descendant. That seems awfully far-fetched. No, it doesn't. Look, Voldemort has to find a way into the school somehow, right? But we know he can't just apparate here and grab it. Wait, wait, say that again? What? The part about how Voldemort can't operate into the school? Thank you, that's all I wanted to hear. 
that you finally got it into your head that you can't apparate or disapparate in and out of Hogwarts. Ha, ha. The point is, Voldemort can't just send one of his Death Eaters into the school to get the book. Well, he could, but it would be difficult. It's a lot easier to have someone on the inside working for him. You mean Eddie? Eddie, Snape, Malfoy... Malfoy was picking on Luna the other day, and his father's right up there in rank among the Death Eaters. Snape's a spy for our side. He could be playing both ends against each other. Eddie's a flirt. What if he's been flirting with all those girls because he's supposed to find out which one of them has the book? Well, there's a dilemma. Trying to decide who's the most evil. Malfoy, Eddie, or Snape? Do you think you could find out from Luna whether she's told Eddie? That shouldn't be hard. I'm meeting with her tomorrow for an owl study group. I can take her aside after. That'll tell us whether she's told him, but it doesn't tell us whether Eddie's evil or not. We can still work on Eddie. Oh yeah? How? In case you haven't noticed, Ron, Eddie is a sucker for female attention. What if us girls just started being a bit more friendly to him? What? I knew he wouldn't go for it. Damn right I'm not going for it. You really don't think I'm going to let my baby sister and my girlfriend flirt with that dirty, great prat? I'm not a baby. Excuse me, but I wasn't aware I had to have your permission to do anything wrong. What? You want to cozy up the car, Michael? No, I'm just saying, desperate times call for desperate measures. Oh, really? And how desperate are we talking here? A bit of a hand-holding? A snog in the library stacks? Oh, Ron, for heaven's sakes, don't get hysterical. I'm not hysterical. Maybe not. You're about to wake the whole bloody castle. It's just a bit of friendliness. Wait, wait, who said you're going along with this? I did. You have a problem with that? Yeah, I do. Ron's right. Eddie's a dirty great prat, with the emphasis on dirty. I don't like the way he looks at girls. Yeah, he never makes eye contact with them. You notice that? Because he's always staring at... Well, you know what I mean. Oh, like you two don't ever look at breasts. We, we don't. don't! Well, okay. But we don't leer at them. We're not lewd about it or anything. Yeah, and Harry only sees Susan's, and I only look at Hermione's, so... Ron! Nice one, Ron. Harry, you told him. Oh, come on. He's my best mate. Oh, sure. Take his side. Look, this isn't about taking sides. I'm just saying we don't go around drooling all over other girls' chests. I mean, we don't do that to you either. At least I don't. And not to Susan, obviously. Well, not to Hermione either. I mean, I can't speak for Harry. Ron, shut up. Keep talking, Ron. You're doing really well. Look, I'm just trying to explain that Harry and me... Leave me out of this. ...aren't a couple of dirty pigs like Carmichael. Oh, is that what you were trying to say, Ron? Hey, this is all your fault. You were the one who accused Harry and me of leering at breasts in the first place. Ron! My God, would you drop it? Sorry. Sorry. Right. So, back to the subject at hand. Getting information out of Eddie and Malfoy. You really think we're just going to sit by and watch you three flirt with Carmichael? And how do we plan on getting information? Out of Malfoy. Last time I checked, he hated all of us. Malfoy's a problem. I've been eavesdropping with extendable ears in the library and what, but he'd never buy it if any of us girls started being friendly with him. He's got it out for Hermione because she's a muggle-born and he hates Weasleys, and I can't imagine he'd think much of the Bones family either. Even he's not that stupid. Eddie is that stupid? Look, Ginny, maybe you can go, uh... Get friendly with him, but Hermione already made it clear that she and I are dating. And he knows about Harry and me, too. 
I told him to back off ages ago. So maybe you and Hermione need to have a fight with your boyfriends, break up for a bit, and then cry on Eddie's shoulder. I don't want Hermione doing anything on that git's shoulder. And I already told you, it's not your decision to make, Ron. Look, what else can we do? Ginny might get Luna to tell her who she's told about the book, but that wouldn't give us the whole picture. This is ridiculous. There's a much easier way to figure out who's working for Voldemort, you know? What do you mean? No, Harry. Hermione, it's the only sure way. What's the only... Oh, you mean Legilla Mency? Harry, Dumbledore told you not to. Harry, you can't. It's too dangerous. Voldemort's planning on using the deadliest book in the world to wipe out muggles. And you're telling me Legilimency is too dangerous? There's no need to snap at me. Harry, they're right. If you try it and he finds out, he could mess with your head again, like last year. I've already thought about that. I've thought about this a lot, okay? From every angle. But what choice do we have? I don't like it, Harry. I don't either. Bloody hell. Ron, don't swear. Look, there's something else we haven't considered. What about Wormtail? Maybe Eddie or Malfoy or, or Snape aren't involved at this at all. And Wormtail is getting inside the castle. He's an Amagius who changes into a rat. How hard can that be to get in the castle? He's small enough in his animal form to hide somewhere and eavesdrop all he wants. Yes, but if Wormtail's the one, how does he plan on getting Luna and the book out of the castle? Everyone knows what he looks like as a person. And he's not going to be able to carry Luna and a big book out of here if he's a rat. So we're back to someone working from the inside, in concert with Wormtail, maybe. Makes sense. There had to be a reason he showed up at Hogsmeade. Okay, let's assume Wormtail's involved and he has inside help. What if it's another Animagus? We know there are other unregistered Animagi, right? And it's not unheard of for students to learn how to do it. Harry's dad did. I'm serious. And there's all kinds of animals all over this place around here. Yes, but Hogwarts has Kneezles, remember? Kneezles can detect somebody untrustworthy, especially a dark animagus. You can bet archers guarding the school are using them. We would have heard about it if an animagus had been spotted inside the castle or on the grounds. What about a shapeshifter or a metamorphagus? Can Kneezles detect them? Theoretically, yes, but only if they're untrustworthy. But metamorphagi are really rare, and shapeshifters even more so. Okay, why don't we just have Crookshank stand near Eddie and see if he hates him? He knew about scabbers, didn't he? Actually, you know, that's not a bad idea. We could find some excuse, something related to prefect duties, and have Eddie come to our common room, and Crookshank could just happen to be down there. That's great. But if it isn't Eddie, we can't exactly hope to get every student in the school to show up at our common room so that Crookshank can hiss at them. Harry, legitimacy is dangerous. Please don't. Everything's dangerous, Imani. I have to do it. Harry, how do you know he won't catch you at it? I'm sure he will. Just like I catch him messing with my head. Look, I only need a few minutes. I know I can hold him off for a couple of minutes. I've done it loads of times before. I don't know, mate. Oh. Okay, how about this? I do it in my room, in front of Ron, yeah? If Ron's there, he can snap me out of it if something goes wrong, or raise the alarm, or whatever. And I'll wait until late at night. If I can catch Voldemort while he's sleeping, I can get in and out before he even knows what happened. Harry. Please, Sue. Ron. Will you help me? Yeah, sure. I'll help you, Harry. I won't let anything happen to him, Miney. I promise, Susan. There's nothing I can say to make you change your mind, is there? No, I'm sorry. <sighs> All right, then. So, the plan. If you can call it that. 
is that Harry tries to reach Voldemort, and I try to get Luna to tell me if she's mentioned the book to anyone else, and any other information I can glean. Some plan. It's the best we can do. The following scene is from Backwards with Purpose by Dead Woodpecker. Members of the Order of the Phoenix are trying to figure out who it is that seems to be messing with their current timeline. A few have opinions of who it might be. It's Luna voicing a surprise candidate. This script was written by Kayla. What if someone else is traveling time? Doesn't that make more sense? I mean, how could someone just guess that? But if they already knew... If there is another one of us, I think it's one of you. Who else would try to fuck with our heads like this? <laughs> I do not know why everyone expects me to have the answers. I assure you I am quite as mystified as you. It's because you're Albus Dumbledore. And all we have to do is sit back and wait for you to figure it out. Hmm. I do wonder how many copies of that book there are. It is quite, quite extraordinary. That's what Ron, Harry, and I think. I believe... Uh, I believe it is almost certain that it is one of us here in this room. Harry, you do not intend to tell anyone else, correct? We are the only ones... Correct. But why has this person not shown himself? Maybe we've got to choose. But if it turns out you-know-who is secretly working towards his own downfall, and we've just got to trust him, I'm going to pack up and move to Argentina. This is insane. <laughs> Let's go tell him right now. Then we'll know everything. He's been manipulating all of us into thinking he's an evil git, but really he's... He saving the world from receiving more evil gifts. <laughs> Don't be silly, Lancelot. It's not Voldemort, it's Merlin. Honestly, Luna. Hold on, Hermione. Do you know Merlin, Luna? Sometimes. Sometimes? Why only sometimes? Well, I only really know him when I'm meeting with him, but then he gives me the forget-for-now potion, so I'll forget. Why do you let him give it to you? He doesn't force you, does he? No. No, I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't try to force me to do anything. But you don't know? Luna! I think he must be pretty convincing, don't you? Considering the fact that I've never met him, I can't imagine how convincing he may, or may not, be. But it can't possibly be Merlin. That's impossible. There's no way that the most famous wizard of all time, who would have to be ancient, is involved in this. I simply can't imagine how that could be true. What if this person had the Philosopher's Stone? If Merlin had it... Nicholas Flamel was the only maker of the stone, and Merlin was never known for his prowess at alchemy. He had other interests. Like manipulating time. Everyone knows that. But how could he still be alive? As far as I know, there isn't any way to travel to the future. Who is it, Luna? 
What's Merlin's real name? I don't know. I've forgotten. I always do. It gets a bit frustrating, actually. Do you mean to tell me that you let him wipe away your memories repeatedly? Luna, why, why haven't you said something about this before? Just because I don't remember his reasons doesn't mean they aren't good ones. But why wipe your memories in the first place? Is that why you were missing from the Marauder's map right before Christmas? Were you meeting with Merlin? He is the one who cast the shield charm, right? Oh, yes. He had to give me my Christmas present. It was quite, quite wonderful. Just the thing I needed after... after Daddy died. What was it? I can't quite remember. Uh... Luna, do you know if this person is indeed an ally? Do you know what his motivations are? Do you know why on earth he won't reveal himself to us? No, I don't know what he's doing. But how did Merlin do it? We know he didn't use the time-turner, and I'm pretty certain that... Did one of you use the tears of Merlin? Besides me, Harry and Ginny, I mean? It could have been another matter of time travel. There are other methods, I believe. There are several, but I wouldn't think that any of them would work. That's what you said about the tears of Merlin. You said that you couldn't imagine being that desperate. You said that the author was completely mental. Times have changed, I suppose. Anyway, the book has a list. It's sort of an introduction to the time travel section. Right after that quote... I've done additional research, and I haven't found any other methods. So, I think this is what we have to work with. <clears throat> time, an introduction. The wise asp. Time is far more fragile than any normal witch or wizard would suppose. Which is why this particular subject is kept under close scrutiny in the Department of Mysteries. The unspeakables, taciturn and tight-lipped on the best of days, refuse to even acknowledge the fact that using a time-turner is the absolute least powerful way to change things on a grand scale. Brace yourselves, for I am about to open your eyes to a world that you did not think possible. Time-turners are useful in certain situations. Only a minimum of changes can be made. Tempus Luminous can send a body physically back in time. It causes physical weakness and great age. Very little can actually be done with this method, as the body will rapidly disintegrate over the course of one week, and it is only on the first day that anything can truly be done. The Waking Death is the foulest known method of time travel, and the only one that I will not give specific instructions to. The full details will not, of course, be given. But know this, it involves possession, soul subversion, and a complete lack of conscience. The Trojan Horse is generally considered dark magic. It is blood magic, and it requires a victim and a perpetrator. The victim is bled at regular intervals, and a spell is enacted to allow the perpetrator to send his own consciousness back into the body of the victim. The spell only lasts from the new moon to the full moon. The Gateway is so passive a method of time travel that some do not even consider it time traveling at all. In the Department of Mysteries, there is a gateway that allows one to step into the past and view it. The Traveler can watch, but cannot change anything. Fulcrum Memoria is the method by which a time traveler enters a pensive and enters the memory, retaining a physical body. It is also exceedingly dangerous to the Traveler, as the memory of a certain event is set and bound by rigid constraints, not unlike those of a time-turner. And if one tries to act in a manner that is not confined by the laws of the pensive, it could cause death.
The Tears of Merlin is quite possibly the most complex, the most dangerous, and the most fascinating of the methods. There is documentation that King Arthur, his queen, and Lancelot du Lac used the Tears of Merlin. It is said that Merlin devised a way to change everything after the destruction of Camelot, and King Arthur, Queen Guinevere, and Lancelot du Lac fearlessly set forth on this new challenge. This wizard sounds insane. I can't believe you did what he said. Completely mental. We were pretty desperate. I'm starting to think we're a little insane. Next time I let Harry talk me into doing something this bizarre. It was Harry who came up with this? You didn't show them that memory? Uh, I, um, forgot. <laughs> Looking back, that's one of my favorite parts. We were all drunk off our asses. Creech had to help me to bed afterward. There we were, swinging fire whiskey like a trio of Irish sailors, and Harry gets this look on his face, like he's just been hit in the head with a bludger. I think I've seen that look on your face a time or two, Ron. Harry always has the best ideas when he's drunk. <laughs> I don't know. Your idea about giving Umbridge that love potion. I can't believe that you thought of this mad scheme when you were drunk. We went to Hogwarts to talk to Dumbledore's portrait right after we recovered from the hangover. <clears throat> if we could get back to the matter at hand, does anyone have any thoughts that are the most likely? I believe we can rule out the waking death, time turner, and tears of Merlin. So, what was the Temper Lumans one? Tempus Luminous. I would like to think it's this one, but that's pretty unlikely. If Luna met him before Christmas during the Potter's army meetings, and then there was about a week or so in between that and Mr. Weasley being attacked... They could have come back multiple times, couldn't they? There are illustrations of what kind of toll it takes on the body, and that's after one trip to the past. Right, then it's pretty obvious that it's the Trojan horse, isn't it? But why would a dark wizard help us, Ron? It's not necessarily dark. How? The men defeating Voldemort, I'd volunteer to be bled. It didn't sound like the victim would have to die. It is also interesting that it can be done multiple times, and it does seem the most likely choice. Though I would not discount Fokan Moria. Will you explain what it actually is? I'm afraid that I didn't get a good grasp on it. It is far less plausible than the Trojan Horse. For one, I know the laws of the Pensive and it would be extraordinarily difficult to change without destroying the fragile web of a memory. I imagine that the backlash of that would severely injure or kill any wizard who made the wrong step. For two, the changes made would have to be subtle, far more subtle than what could be done with the Trojan horse. Theoretically, the one who uses the Trojan horse to travel time would have as much chance to change the past and future as Harry, Ginny, and Ron have done. But Fokan Memoria, I believe, is best described as changing the present using future knowledge. Huh? I think it means that if Fokan Memoria is being used, Merlin isn't changing our futures. He's changing our present in order to change the future. Which means that Merlin's using the damn Trojan horse method. Merlin knows that... Well, that phrase just takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? It was difficult enough figuring out how to use the tears of Merlin without effing everything up. No way we could do the pensive thing. 
Dumbledore could, Snape could, maybe even Percy could. But why would I hex myself? Maybe to get us thinking about what's going on. I think that it is only the remotest of possibilities that the Foci Memoria would work. As the only two of us capable of this kind of subtlety were likely obliviated by Merlin, I would bet any number of galleons that it is the Trojan horse. Is anyone else having a hard time understanding every other word since Luna said it was Merlin? Does anyone else's head feel like he just got hit with a bludgeoning curse? Mine. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, though? If anyone is Merlin, it's either Sirius or the twins. I really believe that. I have a feeling that he's laughing at us. Oh, he is. I remember that. I don't think he's being unkind about it, though. See, Ron? Remember how you used to think that Dumbledore deliberately made things tough for us? How you thought he was having a laugh? Well, this time somebody actually is. Let's give him a good pounding once we find out who he is. And that's, of course, it's me. You're listening to the Off-Topic Network. Abiothema, Swish and Flick. Stay tuned for our Wizarding World news. But for now, back to your program. Harry Potter and the Power of Truth by Creative Quill, written by Scott. War correspondent Maura Kennedy was met in her apartment lobby by three strange people who said someone needed to talk to her and then woke up in an unknown house with a man in front of her who claims he's Harry Potter. There's a new dark lord on the rise and they need her help as a liaison to the muggle world. Harry Potter is only a book series, but he's got the hair and the eyes, not to mention a large scar that'd be really hard to fake, and for some reason she really wants to believe him. Fine, but I want to know. <laughs> no, what? I've read the books. You're telling me that they're mostly fiction. I want to know the true story. What really happened? I have questions. <laughs> of course you do. You're a reporter, right? Did they really refer to you as the boy who lived? Among other things, yes. Did you really only find out you were a wizard when Hagrid came to you? There is no Hagrid, and I wasn't a wizard until I graduated Hogwarts. What? Hagrid doesn't exist. Albus Dumbledore came for me. My aunt and uncle raised me, knowing nothing of the magical world. My mother was a muggle, not a famous witch. My father was a wizard, but I don't know if my mother knew or not. Perhaps at the end. You can't really be attacked by Death Eaters and not know something is up. My parents were killed by Voldemort in an attempt to get to me. There is, was, a prophecy. I was destined to be Voldemort's downfall. In 1980, when I was eleven years old, my aunt and uncle received a letter inviting me to be a student at Hogwarts. When they learned that it was a boarding school in Scotland, they assumed that they could not afford the fees and simply dismissed it. I was slated to go to the public school in the village. Were they abusive? Cruel to you? They were inattentive. My cousin was born to them late in life, and they doted on him. 
He was difficult. They had a lot on their hands with him. My presence in their home was insignificant. You didn't live in a cupboard under the stairs? <laughs> no. But I did work hard, which only managed to instill a strong work ethic in me, and the belief that you get nothing for nothing. I wasn't used to affection, and it was no great loss to me or them when we parted ways. Is there a Diagon Alley? Yes. I'll take you there tomorrow, if you wish. Is there a Hogsmeade? Yes, although it isn't called that. It is protected by many charms and spells to keep it from being discovered by the non-magical community. The Dursleys? Before you begin searching out every Dursley in England, let me tell you that their names were changed in the writing of the book. I can only suppose the author didn't want any difficulties, shall we say, with real people recognizing themselves in her stories. Also, my cousin's name wasn't Dudley, although he was a bully. Was? <laughs> There isn't really a restriction on underage magic, either. So, when Dumbledore came for you... My aunt and uncle were hesitant to let me, at eleven years old, leave with a complete stranger who looked like something out of a King Arthur tale, much less let him take me away to Scotland to a school that no one in the muggle world had apparently heard of. They were, well, suspicious, to say the least. I can imagine. Dumbledore convinced them that he was who he said he was. I can only imagine how, as I wasn't allowed to be party of the conversation. Nevertheless, I made an unexpected visit to Diagon Alley that day, and then ended up in King's Cross Station on my way to boarding school in Scotland. Is there a platform nine and three quarters? Of course. Do you access it by walking through a wall? Not exactly. Suffice to say that those who are meant to be on the train find their way to the appropriate platform, and those who are not are pretty much oblivious to what is going on around them. The Hogwarts Express leaves King Cross Station at 11 in the morning on September the 1st. Like clockwork? Well, the transportation that is commonly referred to as the Hogwarts Express leaves from King's Cross Station. All those expected to attend Hogwarts are expected to be there by 11 in the morning on the 1st of September. You're being evasive. <laughs> I know. But the mode of transportation to the school has very little to do with what we are doing here now. Fine. For now. You met Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger on the Hogwarts Express the first year? Yes. Is there any such thing as a chocolate frog or birdie bots every flavor bean? <laughs> no, there isn't. However, some wizard shops sell sweets that are not available in the muggle world. When the sorting hat told you you were in Griff... There is no sorting hat. We were sorted based on our academic achievements to that point, and a rather intense round of personality tests. We were given our house information before arriving at the school. No sorting ceremony? No. Although there was a rather spectacular feast, as I remember it. That, however, could very well be my memory playing tricks on me. Food had never been in much abundance at my aunt and uncle's home. It was a bloody amazing feast, Harry. Yes, I rather remembered it that way. I remember eating until I felt like throwing up. Everything tasted so incredibly good, and it was endless. Co-ed dorms? Absolutely. Draco Malfoy. What about him? Does he exist? Oh, yes. He's your nemesis? I wouldn't call him that. He was more of an irritant. It was a right pain in the arse, you mean? 
annoying little git. And did Mad-Eye Moody really change him into a ferret? Not much of a change, that. <laughs> no. He merely made him... bounce. Did you save the Philosopher's Stone in your first year? Such as it was, yes. There really is a Philosopher's Stone? Was, yes. It was later destroyed. And the things you had to get past to get to it? All there. And before you ask, Quirrell was possessed by Voldemort, and he had... Uh, well, the turban was in place for a good reason. The mirror of Erised was there. That scene in the books is quite accurate, actually. What about the Chamber of Secrets? Mm, pretty accurate. Except that Ray Snape was more like 200 feet long? Oh, and there was no Gilderoy Lockhart. I have no idea where he came from. Was Ginny Weasley really contacting Tom Riddle? Yes. I was. And it was indeed through an enchanted diary. I have read that book, too. From my perspective, it's pretty accurate. And you saved her? Uh, well... Yes, he did. If it weren't for Harry, I would have died in that chamber. Can I see it? See what? The chamber! It's been sealed. Some students tried to... Well, it's been permanently sealed. Even I can't access it. And later, did you set Dobby free by tricking Lucius Malfoy into giving him one of your socks? There is no Dobby. There are no such things as house elves. And it's been a good many years since anyone was stupid enough to try to pull one over on old Lucius. Mora, many of the magical creatures featured in the books don't exist. Some do, but they are few. Any that are presented as common certainly aren't real. Goblins and centaurs, for instance. House elves. And Sirius Black? <laughs> Come on, you're not serious. Come on, Sirius? The dog star? I have no godfather, at least that I'm aware of. There was no prisoner of Azkaban, unless you count Peter Pettigrew, who was indeed the person responsible for giving up my parents to Voldemort's minions. He went to Azkaban for that. I believe he was released that year, but he went running back to Voldemort. So far as I know, he wasn't an animagus, nor was he ever Ron's pet. Perhaps... perhaps you could just tell me what did happen? Starting, of course, with your third year. Nothing much happened in third year. The ministry was becoming a bit of a pain. I remember Cornelius Fudge held some inquiries that year into things he should have just stayed out of, but overall our third year was pretty uneventful. We spent too much bloody time in detention with Snape to get up to anything. No, third year was quiet. It was the next year that all hell broke loose. The Triwizard Tournament? <laughs> yeah, that. What? <laughs> Look, Mora, it's all about creative license. None of what you read is really... Well, it's all based on actual events, but... Harry, why don't you just tell Mora what you remember and allow her to interpret it? Well, in our fourth year, we had an inter-school exchange. It wasn't a Triwizard tournament. I have no idea. Well, anyhow. While we were playing host to two groups from the other European schools, we had a, well, I suppose you'd call it an inter-school competition. But no dragons, right? They don't really exist. <laughs> oh, they exist. We'd have to be round the bloody bend to let one, much less four, 
within a hundred miles of a school full of half-trained kids. Or you might call it a ruddy buffet. Dragons do exist, Mora, but no one would be stupid enough to involve them in a competition. The competition as it happened that year was for a prize, a goblet full of gold. The goblet wasn't portkeyed. Cedric Diggory and I weren't transported anywhere. The confrontation with Voldemort happened on the school grounds. Tell me. I entered the competition on a dare. It was stupid, but you know that the members of Gryffindor House are selected in part on their supposed bravery. Well, mine had been called into question by someone who I didn't like very much, and being fifteen and full of hormones and an idiot to boot, I put my name in. It was only supposed to be for seventeen-year-olds and up, but somehow the judges missed the fact that I was only fifteen. Wanted to see what the boy who lived could do, the stupid gits. You should never have been there. You say that now, Weasley, but that isn't what I remember you saying when I got my dueling schedule. Well, I was fifteen, too. We were both stupid, hormonal teenagers. The competing was done in the form of a wizard's duel. Each duel was judged by a panel of auras from the Ministry. At the end, they decided the final dueling schedule by points. The two top point scores dueled, and the two bottom point scores dueled. Then the two winners were to duel for the prize. Victor Crumb and I were the two top duelists. While watching our duel, Cedric Diggory was hit by a curse meant for me. Victor Crumb killed Cedric? No. Unofficial from Durmstrang. It was assumed that he had been put under the Imperious Curse. There was no way to tell afterwards. That was a suicide mission if I ever saw one. Every order from the Ministry there. Any sense take out Harry? Bloody right, it was a suicide mission. You killed him? No. When he missed me, he tried again, and was, well, forty separate stunning spells taken all at the same time, as much the same effect as any killing curse. Voldemort knew that anyone attempting to eliminate me in that arena would be in the middle of a very bad place, even if they succeeded. Surrounded by ministry officials and auras and several hundred nervous, half-trained, pissed-off and scared students, well, it wouldn't be very smart for him to send in a Death Eater. He got hold of one of the minor officials from our brother's school in Eastern Europe, and we assume it was the Imperious Curse. Any of his Death Eaters that are suitably high up to be willing to walk into an almost certain death situation to do his bidding had far more knowledge than Voldemort could risk if somehow they were caught in question. And Cho? Cho Chang? What about her? The whole thing with Cedric? Uh, she was never with Cedric, really. She just... She just needed an excuse to get near Harry. And was a type to use just about anything, even pity, to get there. It was over before it started, Ron, and it was twenty years ago. Where is she now? Voldemort assumed she was important to me. It's unfortunate that his informants were mistaken. So you didn't face Voldemort directly in your fourth year? Oh, yes, he showed up. We had a bit of a difference of opinion. He didn't expect me to be as strong as I was, and he ended up leaving before he got too far along. Harry kicked his ass in a duel behind the school. Well, everyone was distracted with Cedric. He's a bit modest, our Harry. And then? And then I told him I would kill him or die trying, that nothing would ever stop me until one of us was the victor, and he was through hurting the people I cared about. In that, at least, I was wrong. 
He took exception to my determination and left. And the next year, Professor Umbridge? Mm, that woman! Most of what is in that book about fifth year is reasonably accurate. Close enough not to matter, anyhow. However, this house never belonged to the Black family. There is no screaming portrait. Sirius never existed, and Remus is not, nor has he ever been, a werewolf. <laughs> but he sure is amused by the fact that he is in books. And he is a bit of a wolf at times. So... They don't exist, Mora. Nor do vampires, at least in the form that the muggle world thinks of such things. Harry, I'm getting the impression you're not too... Thrilled? You're right. I never wanted any of this. I'm not particularly thrilled that I not only have to face a lifetime of being the boy who lived in the wizarding world, but that my fame precedes me into the muggle world as well. Then why? Albus was... Dumbledore was determined that Harry's story be told in the muggle world as well. He said something at the time about needing to set the stage. He didn't exactly consult Harry. Ah, well, he was right. What? What do you mean? What I mean, Harry, is that there isn't a kid in the Western Hemisphere who wouldn't die a thousand deaths for the opportunity to become a wizard, just like Harry Potter. That is what we want, isn't it? You may be right. But it's late. Perhaps the rest should wait until morning. I can... How do I get home? Where exactly am I? You're still in London, but it may be more convenient for you to stay here tonight, if you have no objections. I... well... I don't have anything with me. Night clothes and a change of clothing for tomorrow, and anything else you might need, can be provided. That's fine, then. Ginny, could you show Mora to her room and see to her needs? Of course, Harry. You won't be too far behind, I hope. You need your rest. I know. Now go take care of Mora. She needs it right now. And you don't? Silencio. You okay, mate? Yes. I'll be fine. We can go back, you know. A sleeping drought, an obliviate charm, and she's none the wiser. And the prophecy, Ron? What then? I don't know, Harry. This one's got you deep, and I hate to see you like this. Our entire world rests on our ability to do this. I know what she's in for. I have essentially asked her to throw away her entire life. Not all of it. She might as well. Harry, sometimes we have to form alliances with the muggle world. To do that, we need to have contact with her. Just because she's up to her neck in it right now, doesn't mean she always will be. What if she is, Ron? What if she chooses to be? You know the consequences for her. Not much we can do there, mate. Gotta let it play out. I figured you, at least, have that figured. Yes, you can't change a prophecy. No matter how hard you try, it always manages to happen anyhow, somehow. Right, mate. So why... Why do I feel like I'm murdering Maura Kennedy?
This is a scene from When a Lioness Fights by Kaylee Silverstorm, and the script was written by Cody. While Harry and Hermione are discussing order business, an owl comes for Hermione. Damn, something bad must have happened, Harry. The latter read, Miss Granger, please report to the headmaster's office immediately. There is an urgent matter to discuss. S. Snape. Sounds normal enough to me. Probably some spy thing. He calls me Miss Granger and then uses the keyword urgent, and the abbreviation of his surname tells me that I must be careful. But the please, it can't be the worst, or he would have used a do instead. Let me see the crinkles of the parchment. A dumbfounded Harry handed her the letter. It's fudge. The brainless bastard. He's found out about my position with Voldemort and has come to arrest me. But Dumbledore wouldn't let him. Dumbledore is totally helpless in such a case. But don't worry, Harry. I have planned for this. Poor Fudge won't know what hit him. Hermione gestured towards the letter. Burn that, please. Harry looked at the crinkles of the letter, trying to discern some message or other. I always told you to read Hogwarts history. Don't worry, everything will be all right. Burn that letter. Harry and Hermione walked into Dumbledore's office. Her, the perfect image of a terrified schoolgirl. Waiting for them were Dumbledore, Professor McGonagall, Lupin, and Snape, along with Fudge, flanked by three auras. While the others stood by, Snape and Hermione used their occlumency technique to communicate. Do you require help? Everything is under control so far. Anything specific yet? No, just general menaces. And I obliviate yours, please. Hermione moved into an open chair, and Fudge began to speak. Miss Granger, I presume? Hermione nodded meekly. Fudge looked surprised at this reaction, obviously expecting something quite different. Hermione Jane Granger. You have been accused of reliable sources of joining the followers of Lord Voldemort, the so-called Death Eaters, and entering their inner circle. Hermione paled, and her lower lip began to tremble. Death Eater? Who could have told you something like that? I would never have anything to do with the Death Eaters. Cornelius, Miss Granger is a muggle-born student, and the best friend to a Harry Potter. She would never side with Voldemort. Your sources must be wrong. I'm afraid I need proof for that, Dumbledore. Better than the word of a suspected Death Eater. Fudge made a gesture, and one of the auras pulled up Hermione's left sleeve, exposing the dark mark tattoo. Cornelius, please. Miss Granger may carry the mark, but she is in fact a spy for our side. Do you mean she is spying for your precious Order of the Phoenix? Do you expect me to believe such a cock-and-bull story? Muggle-born girl, and you let her spy for you? Do you want to insult my intelligence? Not possible. May I at least say something about this before my fate is decided? Make it short. Very well. Hermione's very presence in the room changed almost at once, to become a commanding, intimidating figure, eyes glittering dangerously. If I have to make it short, let it be this. Fudge, you will not bother me any further. You are in no position to command me, girl. Am I not? Before you do something foolish, Fudge, let me warn you that I am not unprepared. I have expected you to take this course for some time, and there are three little parcels deposited at different solicitors that are waiting for exactly the action you are about to take, namely, my arrest. We have no time for games like these, girl. You'll be brought to Azkaban immediately. Everything else can be discussed at your hearing. Now, don't be hasty, Fudge. You don't want to know what gifts I prepared for you? 
One is a small collection of photos and documents which prove your long-lasting relationship to a Miss Cynthia Redgrove living in Diagon Alley. The pictures I am quite proud of, actually. I managed to capture you in a variety of positions. Needless to say, this package is addressed to your wife, Fudge. Fudge turned an interesting shade of red upon hearing this. This is impertinent. I expect you to stop this foolishness, Albus. She is your student, and you should control her better. Dumbledore simply shrugged. Number two is a series of letters addressed to all members of the Wisengamot that prove your involvement in massive irregularities concerning the Aura training program. I found out that you have been manipulating the test for years, keeping out pupils and protégés of Dumbledore and substituting them by favorites of yours, even though these favorites are far less competent. Need I go into detail, Fudge? We both know that the proof of this affair is enough to lose you the title of Minister, and I have found more than enough proof. This is nonsense! And should this not be enough, all of my teachers will tell you that I am a very careful and meticulous person, Fudge. Parcel number three is addressed to Mr. Lucius Malfoy, who happens to be a personal friend of mine. This letter informs him that you have decided to take rash and determined action against the Malfoy clan and have found out about secret houses and estates of his. It also contains information about your daily routine, your private life, and your three children. Now then, Minister, what do you think of my preparations? Have I promised too much? Your preparations were excellent, Miss Granger. The Ministry will delete all accusations concerning your position, and I will personally make sure that all information concerning it will be ignored in the future. I hope this satisfies you. Of course it does, Minister. Oh, but one more thing. You will completely legalize the Order of the Phoenix, grant the same authorities and rights to it that the Auras already possess, and confirm their right to establish their new headquarters in Hogwarts. Twenty-four hours' time should suffice for you to pass these decisions. If I find your enthusiasm concerning these points lacking, I will concentrate on the distribution of said little packages. I will not do this. Threaten me with whatever you will. I will not legalize that bunch of vigilantes. It's my duty as Minister of Magic to... I would be pleased if I thought your refusal the consequence of some sense of humour or duty you might have, but I know better, Minister. In fact, you are the most spineless, pathetic creature I have ever met. Your only interest is in your own public image. You haven't deserved respect or mercy, Fudge, and you will certainly not receive them from me. I will not be blackmailed by a mere girl, someone who wasn't even born in our community. Horrified faces developed from the free auras. It was obvious that Fudge had made a grave error. Oh, I see. You probably don't believe that I'm capable of this? Do you think I'm bluffing, Minister? I'm sorry to disappoint you. All this is the truth. In fact, I've done far more than you know, Fudge. I've been in your house one night while you slept in your very bedroom. <gasps> oh, yes. I remember that room well. It has light blue walls and your bed is richly decorated. Dark blue canopies and wonderful wood carvings? Probably chosen by your wife? By your bedside is a small rosewood chest in which you keep your collection of newspaper articles on your person. And you don't file them chronologically, Minister, I couldn't help noticing, but according to the pleasantness of their content. Do you still believe I'm bluffing? It can't be. No one can enter that house without a dozen auras noticing him. I... I have been a Death Eater in the inner circle for nearly a year, Fudge. I am Mudblood. I have risen to the highest rank among the Death Eaters. Do you really believe there is anything I can't or wouldn't do? A look of terror filled Fudge's face. Do you want to risk your children's life on it? No, I didn't think so, Minister. You are not, after all, an evil man. I suggest you and your men had better leave. You'll have a lot of paperwork this afternoon, won't you? Silently, 
looking as if he was choking on the indignity of it all. Fudge left. The three very angry auras following him. That was rather dramatic, Hermione. Hope so. Her appearance changed back to one of a tired girl, not the commanding queen she had been seconds before. Fudge is always for the dramatic. All weak characters are. Did you give him the anti-obliviate potion? Poured it into their tea. That was a mean twist, by the way. Why did you give them an anti-obliviate potion? <laughs> Gryffindors, all of you. There were three auras in this room today, and all three heard Hermione accuse the minister of meddling in their affairs. Though she may not prove it, this will be through the aura's ranks in a few days' time, and no aura will ever trust Fudge again. That's why he will use a memory charm on them the moment they have left Hogwarts. I slipped the potion into their teas so that they can remember the accusation and the fact that the minister tried to manipulate their minds. I believe we can expect the Aura headquarters to contact us quietly over the next days. Remus looked a bit taken aback at this. Slytherins. Good planning concerning the Order. I hope you didn't believe my idea unrespectful, Headmaster, but we didn't have time to discuss this beforehand, and I thought it best to achieve as many advantages as possible in the situation. It was a brilliant thought, and brilliantly executed, though I wonder if those bluffs weren't a bit risky. But the parcels were no bluffs. I used part of my summer holidays to prepare them. There are similar parcels waiting for a number of other persons and occasions. My leverage on Rita Skeeter, for example, was very useful. It's quite shocking how sloppy some people are with their secrets. There was a strong sense that everyone in the room was very grateful not to be enemies of Hermione. I certainly admire your handling of this situation, Miss Granger, but wasn't entering his house a bit too dangerous just for the effect? God, I'm not stupid, Headmaster. I would never enter a guarded house for such little reason. Then how did you know these things? You must have known, or he wouldn't have been so frightened. Percy Weasley told me about his sorting system. He called it a brilliant approach to filing, I think. And the way his bedroom is decorated? Hermione grinned, mischievously. I read the article in Witch Weekly. I am a girl, after all, you know. <laughs> Dumbledore's army, a mirror of darkness. It is the second day of class. The Caros are insulting muggles. Seamus insults them and is crucioed. Then he hexes Electo and is punished severely for it. This results in the rebuilding of Dumbledore's army. What in Merlin's name were you thinking? Zampor, hurry, Here, drink this. You can wait to tell us all what possessed you once you're patched up. You're not in the hospital wing because the Caros wouldn't let us take you there. Electo wanted you to suffer for what you've done. None of us wanted to try healing spells on you while you were unconscious, but I brewed up a mixture of Dittany, Mertlap, and a few other things that should help a lot, and Ginny's going to give the spell work a try for the rest. Oh, don't give me that look. This isn't potions, it's herbology. I wanted to set an example like Harry. I thought if someone stood up to her straight away, folk could see it could be done, you know? What we saw, Finnegan, you ass, is an excellent alternative, if poking the Wampin' Willow is inconvenient. Ginny, you can give healing a try while I add a little more tincture of Mandrake, I think. And then now wait a moment. Hold still. Do you really think I could have lived in that house with six brothers all my life and not learned a thing or two about healing spells? 
If we had to take Fred and George to St. Mungo's every time they blew themselves up, we would have been out on the street. A pisky dentata. You have a broken rib, a few cracked ribs, a sprained ankle, and more bruises than if you'd be used for practice by every beater in the school. That's not to mention a knot the size of a snitch on that thick head of yours, two black eyes, a few wand scorches, and a mouth that is just starting to look human again. I suggest you lie back and think about Gryffindors having a tendency to be brave at the point of stupidity, and then we need to talk about what you originally had in mind and make some decisions. Wow, Neville. You sounded just like Harry there for a minute. It was like the DA again. Yeah, well, Harry's gone, and so is Dumbledore, and so are Ron and Hermione and Dean and Justin, and another dozen from the DA, and another hundred from the school. It's not like when all we had to worry about was Umbridge and her little squad. But this is why we had the DA in the first place, isn't it? Because Harry knew it might come to this. That's true. But I think this is worse than even Harry ever guessed it would be. I mean, Dumbledore's dead, Snape's in charge of the school, Death Eater's teaching classes, the ministry under you-know-who. I don't think anyone could have seen this coming this fast and this completely even six months ago. You're not suggesting that we just roll over. Or that we let ourselves be punching bags in the style of brilliant Mr. Finnegan, I hope. I don't know what I'm suggesting. Seamus, what was that hex you used on Carol? I didn't recognize it. Is it something Harry taught you personally? Nah, it's not approved. I shouldn't have done it. It's like an unforgivable, then? Not even. It's one of the old ones from my nana, Gaelic. All the ministry-approved spells are of nice, proper, respectable Latin, you know, but the Celts had their own brain of magic, even if it got pushed off as all backward. It's mostly died out now, but some of the old ones still remember a bit here and there, mostly hexes and jinxes and the odd witch's charm, you know, for telling what kind of baby you'll be having and the like. My grandfather was a fakir in Bombay. He used to tell us that there was all kinds of magic we would never learn at Hogwarts. He tried to have us sent to India to learn, but when our parents refused, he taught us a few spells. Padma can even control snakes. She's learned parcel tongue? No, she can't talk to them. Only make them do what she wants. Great. Tell her to make that big one you know who's got to eat him. That would be nice, but it's just little ones. Normal ones, like cobras and adders. And I know a few French spells from one of the boys from Bobatons. And Anthony Goldstein comes from a family of wizards that goes all the way back to the Essene scholars. I bet he knows some stuff in Hebrew. Veins always going on that her family are genuine rom. Those are gypsies, and Ernie's family was so deep in the clan wars that they didn't start going to Hogwarts until 150 years ago. So maybe he has something like Finnegan, old Gaelic magic. It'd be Urse. Not Gaelic. We're not the same, and we whipped Scotland at Quidditch last year. <laughs> I don't know about you, Neville, but I'm feeling rather plain all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, my family's just been, you know, wizards. Normal old British wizards. Tut tut, conjure you a cuppa? But certainly, darling. <laughs> <laughs> It's good, though. I mean, Carol didn't know what hit her, did she? She couldn't have blocked that one if she tried. And the Death Eaters are going to know all the usual spells. No matter how much we practice, Protego and Stupefy and Impedimenta aren't going to be enough on their own against fully qualified Dark Wizards. You remember what Snape said about the Dark Arts. They're unpredictable. We have to be, too. I thought you were against me fighting back at him. Not like that. We've got to think more like your brothers, Ginny. Like the twins. Mischief and little rebellions. We'll take some hits, get punished, sure. But Seamus took it too far. He nearly got himself killed on the second day of the school year over nothing at all. 
Beaten is fine, but no more unless the situation really calls for it. We keep the DA going, but just enough to get on their skin and keep the other students' hopes alive. Nothing full-fledged until it's time. What do you mean, until it's time? Well, until we have to. We all know what's coming. Ginny, Seamus, haven't any of you figured it out? I guess not. The way I see it, things can only go four ways. One, we all become good little followers of you-know-who. I don't see myself doing that. Even if I could live with myself, Gren would kill me. Me neither, mate. Likewise. Mm-hmm. Two, Harry finds a way to stop you-know-who and end all this clean and quick before the end of the year, and all the Death Eaters get rounded up and things go back to normal. I'm for that one. But I'm not putting all my gold there. It would be great, and I believe with all my heart Harry's going to get him in the end. But doing it in one year with only Ron and Hermione's help seems a tall order. Three, we graduate, and we're not safe here anymore. Sorry to interrupt there, but I don't feel so bloody safe personally. Cormac is dead. Cho and Lee are in hiding. Roger is in St. Mungo's in worse shape than you. And that's just what's in the prophet, or what Ginny's brothers have managed to pass on. Right now, he thinks there's still a chance to brainwash us in school. But once we're graduated, we lose the safety of numbers and the protection of being kids. He doesn't want the public outcry that would happen from the massacre at Hogwarts. But once we're out, we're on our own. That's four. We fight. If Harry comes back and needs us, we fight then. Personally, that's what I believe, that he can do this, but he'll need our help. It's only a matter of time before he's back, but we don't have infinite time. So on the very last day before school is over, if there's no word from Harry yet, we all go out. Either way, we make a proper battle of it. Take out every last Death Eater we can manage, hopefully Snape in the bargain. Use every exotic spell and dirty trick that we can think of. Make them pay for everyone missing, everyone terrorized, everyone killed. Even the odds a little for Harry and the Order, and give the public that massacre that you know who doesn't want. Get people outraged in a way that Prophet can't cover up. We still die, but we die in our terms. And we die accomplishing something, not just picked off one by one in back alleys with our deaths glossed over and ignored. I've been looking for a way to top Fred and George's exit. I'm in. I don't see myself winning any Death Eater popularity contests anyway, so why the hell not? I'm with you. I can't speak for Padma, but count me in. I just hope my next life is something quieter. And me? Uh, What else is the Gryffindor girl to do? I said it, so I guess I can't back out. I'd hope not, Neville. You're our leader. I'm... All in favor of Neville taking over for Harry as leader of the DA? Aye. Aye. Then that's settled. We'll talk to the Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs later. But I think, as of right now, Dumbledore's army is back. Dumbledore's army. Psychic Serpent Trilogy by Barb Harry noticed for the first time that there was a boy at the Gryffindor table who bore an extraordinary resemblance to Neville Longbottom, but he seemed to be a little younger, and then Harry remembered that one of the first years was named Rupert Longbottom, but he was sorted into Hufflepuff, not Gryffindor. He'd noticed Neville frowning about this while the Hufflepuffs cheered, so in addition to looking very, very in charge of himself, Neville also had two brothers, did that mean his parents weren't into mungos, Harry wondered? Did they still work as auras? If so, that seemed to be another good thing about this life. Suddenly, Harry felt coldness pierce his chest, and he turned to see the bloody Baron sitting next to him. He drew in his breath. When he exhaled again, he could see it as a small grey cloud before his face. 
The air around him had become so cold. The ghost's dark, disturbing eyes bore into Harry's. Harry was paralyzed with fear. He felt utterly alone, despite being surrounded by people. This is not right. Fix it. What? What? What do you mean? You know, you have done this. It is wrong. This is not how it should be. How do you know? Does anyone else? Only those of us who move between worlds. She knows as well, but she does not know she knows. Professor Trelawney? She moves between the worlds. She's eating pudding and staring at the ceiling. But I, I don't know how to fix it. Find a way. And suddenly, she flew up and up, through the ceiling with its enchanted sky, and was gone. Harry saw nearly headless Nick sitting next to Ron at the Gryffindor table. Nick turned to look at him. Fix it. Harry looked at the Hufflepuff table now. The fat friar gazed back at him, his dark eyes frightening instead of friendly, as he usually appeared. He shook his head mournfully, turning away from Harry. The ghosts knew. They didn't like it. It wasn't right. Harry swallowed, taking in this strange world, the world he and Voldemort had created. The trouble was, if he was going to attempt magic of this magnitude, there were only three people he knew of who might be able to help him. One was Voldemort himself, bloodly unlikely. He'd wanted things to turn out this way. Another was Albus Dumbledore, who was no longer headmaster, who didn't approve of changing time, and who could be anywhere doing anything, and probably didn't even know who Harry was, except being the son of his former students. Harry told him what had happened, he doubted he would be believed. The third person he knew who might be able to help him was someone else who didn't know him. Not anymore. She was probably the smartest witch in England, and she didn't even know she was a witch. She was living somewhere as a muggle, completely oblivious to her own considerable magical powers. Harry knew what he would have to do if he were ever to fix this, if he were ever to right this wrong that had resulted from trying to right the wrong of his mother's death. If this was ever going to be fixed, he needed desperately to find Hermione Granger. Hermione looked more like she was dressed for clubbing than giving a Tuesday afternoon cello concert. She wore tight black bustier that appeared to stop above her navel, black shorts that were very brief and tight, and sheer black tights with clunky black Doc Martens. She cradled the cello between her legs. The tip rested not on the floor, but on a small disc that was attached to the leg of her chair, like a dog on a lead. Seeing the way that she held the instrument to her body, he was aware of his mouth going dry. Her hair was done in what seemed to be a thousand tiny braids pulled together at the nape of her neck, reminding him of the way Jamaica Thomas had worn her hair. A single lock of hair that began at the left side of her brow was not braided, hanging in a sinuous curl that lightly touched the side of her face. This long curl was dyed bright red, which matched her eyeshadow. In fact, Harry could not even ever remember Hermione wearing makeup. And here she was, looking as though the cosmetics display in a chemist shop had exploded and she was unfortunately in the line of fire. He was uncertain how many holes were in each of her ears, but a parade of studs marched up the curve of each one, and a single dangling earring in her left ear had a long red feather that echoed her dangling red curl. And then there were the matching tattoos that adorned her arms. They appeared to be some sort of red and gold creature, the image winding around her limbs. Harry was flabbergasted. He turned and looked at the concert audience, seeing an amazing number of young men who also looked like they were dressed for clubbing. It did not seem to be the usual Xello concert crowd, despite the presence of some middle-aged matrons and pompous-looking pseudo-intellectuals and professorial types. Harry was not convinced that most of the young, or not-so-young, men were listening to the music. They appeared to be watching her closely. This should be interesting. Hermione. 
I need to talk to you about the Carnegie Hall incident backstage. How do you know about that? I can't reveal my sources. I have no interest in this becoming public knowledge. Really, I don't. All I ask for is a little of your time. Why, you, you filthy little blackmailer! I don't bloody care what you think you know. Get out of my sight before I, before I. Yes, that's it. Get really, really hacked off at me. Look at me and think the angriest thoughts you can possibly think. Go on. Hermione, I think you should sit. He reached out and traced the letters with his fingers. The stone was still slightly warm from the magic that had created the carving. The letters were clear and neat, and he wondered briefly whether anyone would think it odd or even notice that the marker that had formerly memorialized James Potter and Lily Evans Potter now bore a third name. Jamie Rose Potter, 1982-1997. Beloved Sister. The following scenes are from chapters 15 to 20 of In Blood Only, written by E. M. Snape. Severus discovers that Harry is his son by Lily, and Dumbledore has hid it from him for years. He decides to take Harry into his custody for the holiday, not in hopes of forming a relationship, but in order to make both Dumbledore and Harry miserable. However, events quickly spiral out of control when an escaped Lucius Malfoy seeks refuge with Death Eater Snape. Desperate to hide Harry, Snape removes the blood magic which disguised Harry's true appearance, leaving behind a boy who bears little physical similarity to the Harry Potter Lucius is familiar with. He informs Lucius that Harry is in fact his delinquent but pure-blood nephew, staying with him for the summer, and orders Harry not to seek the man out, a command with which Harry is all too happy to comply. As our scene opens, however, Malfoy has instead found him. My apologies. Am I disturbing you? No. I was just exploring Severus's house when I noticed how heavily warded this room was. He certainly treats you like a delinquent, doesn't he? Where is Snape? Called away, hopefully learning some manners. Severus was never very skilled at constructing wards. The Dark Lord tore through that monstrosity cast over the flu in mere seconds. Wow! You must feel really lucky. Have you not heard of the Malfoys, boy? Of course I have. Uh, I guess it was pretty stupid of me not to realize such a prominent family would stand in favor with the Dark Lord. Lucius' eyes fall on a book, kingship and related curses sitting on Harry's bed. And what is this? Well, um... My, my. It appears you are quite the young hooligan. I have quite a history with this book. Sir? Inficunditis. My son somehow discovered this very spell when he was much younger. He'd just learned of wizarding inheritance laws, you see, and he concluded that it was in his best interests to ensure he remained the only heir to the Malfoy estate. He was quite a little fiend, I'll give him that. To this day, Narcissa and I have been unable to break the enchantment. He won't even divulge which variation of the curse he used. He was always clever that way. Have you tried any of these curses yet? No. Just any of the spells I want to use. I'd have to marry this person first. That is never going to happen. But this person is kin. Yes. 
This person is not Severus, is he? No. I could help you if you like. I can't imagine I'll have much else to do around here. Severus in his perpetual sour mood can be rather tedious company, wouldn't you agree? Well, boy, what do you have to say? Harry felt his lips pulling into a smile. He couldn't help it. Some part of him felt an evil little thrill that made him want to break into wild peals of laughter. Lucius Malfoy teaching him to curse Bellatrix Lestrange. Oh, that would be great. Thanks, Mr. Malfoy. Rictus Sempra. <laughs> Stop it. Not until I'm sufficiently assured you won't fall directly back to sleep. I won't, I won't. I don't know. My son has been known to sleep like a baby right after this spell, and he doesn't slumber nearly as late as you apparently do. Yes, eleven o'clock. Can that be right? Why, it's nearly lunchtime, boy, and you're idling the dareway in bed. <laughs> Please, <laughs> just take it off. Oh, very well. But only because you ask so nicely. That's not fair, you know. I had no chance to fight back. Oh, of course it's not fair. A relation of yours will be pleased to inform you I'm a right bastard. Now be down to the parlour post-haste. Looks like we will have our run of the house today. Whatever Lucius Malfoy's flaws, and there were many, the man genuinely loved his son. He was vain, arrogant, selfish, and literally an agent of evil. Yet, he was a decent father. At least, that was the impression Harry received from their discussion over brunch, which consisted of Malfoy making unfavorable comparisons between Snape and Malfoy manners, and Malfoy bragging about Draco's various accomplishments, half of which either he or his son had invented. Harry had no recollection of Draco ever bagging a house cup for Slytherin, scoring the highest styles in his class, or taking the dark... The dark mark? Yes, the youngest Death Eater in two decades. After our dear Severus, of course. You were aware that Severus was a Death Eater, weren't you? You seem to be an intelligent boy. Surely his harboring the fugitive Lucius Malfoy would have tipped you off. Well, my parents, I guess they'd speculated about it. And I heard about that uh, disgraceful talk about ministry, um, about them putting you in Azkaban. So, um, how, how was that? Azkaban? That idiot fudge. After everything I've done to advance his career, he buckled under the slightest pressure. <sighs> you can't know what it's like. Pray you never do. Torn from your home, your family, on some odd, ridiculous pretense, contemned in an absolute farce of a trial. I haven't seen my son in six months. My wife has burned through half of the Malfoy fortune already. Malfoy buried his forehead in his hands, knocking over his goblet with his elbow. It was only when the smell of alcohol filled the air that Harry realized it wasn't pumpkin juice the man had been drinking. My life is falling to pieces, and I am stuck here, playing house with Severus. Harry reached over quietly to set the goblet back upright and was just dabbing his napkin at the fire whiskey stain, considering a scorchified charm for the wet tablecloth, when Malfoy's head shot back up, looking at Harry as though he were some bizarre animal. What on earth are you doing? Just cleaning the spilled drink. Leave it for the house elf, you silly boy. One would think you were even wizard-born. Well, I am. You look like someone. Someone familiar. Gee, 
Who could that be? <laughs> oh, naturally, you look like Severus, but someone else. A face. I just can't place it. Ah, I've never been much of a drinker. It is one of the few luxuries a good pure-blooded lineage could obtain me in that place. I suppose I've discovered the virtues of a stiff drink. One would think those guards had never even heard of the Malfoys. Forbidden visitors, indeed. How terrible. It was. But fortunately, that distasteful period of my life is over. Enough unpleasantness. Tell me about this person you wish to kill. Hurt. Details, boy. Who is it? Those unhuman parents who foisted you upon Severus for the whole day? I'd certainly kill any relative who did that to me. A scornful lover, perhaps. Just a woman. She, uh, she, uh, hurt my father. I want her to pay. You're avenging your father? Yeah, that's the idea. He's fortunate to have you for a son, Septimus. And I'm pleased I can help you take your revenge. Despite the fact that the entire story was a complete lie, and despite Lucius's use of that ridiculous name Snape had given him, Harry felt oddly touched by the fact that the man seemed to genuinely mean what he was saying. Infervesco sanguis. It's a blood-boiling curse. One of the variations, at least. Oh, come now, boy. It's actually quite delicious to watch, really. If it helps you with your squeamishness, I'll assure you that it does not literally boil one's blood. The pain receptors merely react as though it does. So, excruciating agony. Uh, I don't know. Malfoy looked severely displeased, and Harry felt an absurd twinge of worry at the disappointment in his eyes. It's not that I don't like the idea, it's just that, well, it seems like you hurt them and then it's over. No damage done. I guess maybe I'd want something a little more... lasting? That's my boy. Something slightly more malignant, shall we say? A pity I can't teach you the Cruciatus curse. <gasps> Severus would surely murder me while I slept from bringing the ministry down on his head. And it does take a certain disposition to pull off such a curse. Harry disliked the way the man's gaze rested upon him, and he threaded his fingers in the grass, curling them into fists and tearing several blades from the earth. Perhaps you don't have it. But I must admit, Septimus, your relation to Severus, and the fact that you were reading a book of dark curses, as well as plotting vengeance when I first spoke to you yesterday, leads me to think you just might. Well, boy? I don't want to go to Azkaban. Ah, legitimate fear. <laughs> if a Malfoy can be sent there, I suppose anyone can. But I assure you, you need not fear Azkaban for much longer. The Dark Lord will prevail, and then none of our ilk will see the insides of those cursed walls ever again. Tried to before. The Cruciatus curse, I mean. And it didn't work. I was angry, but I just... I couldn't. Lucius's fingers threaded themselves parentally through his hair, and Harry found the gesture oddly comforting. Even though the man was consoling him on his failure to execute a curse, it still made him sick to remember he'd even attempted. Very few succeed on their first try. It took me two months of practice on house elves before I could make a man scream. 
How easy it had been over the course of the day, as Malfoy sought a confidant in him, as Malfoy sought a boy to indulge in him, as Malfoy stood up to stay for him, to forget that this man was a ruthless killer, who would murder Harry in an instant, were he somehow to see the scar on his forehead through Snape's glamour. He should return to the house and get away from Lucius, but Snape was in the house. Harry's thoughts involuntarily turned back to the night. I suppose you're feeling quite smug you helped your poor, pitiful professor. Perhaps those muggles left you so pathetically desperate for attention that you hope to win my affection with this. Out, you sad, pathetic little boy. Harry opened his eyes, feeling Lucius's hand still resting comfortingly on top of his head, seeing those gray eyes filled with such understanding and such evil. Desperately, he argued with himself. Am I really pathetically desperate for attention? Harry wondered, thinking of the odd, childish delight he'd felt earlier when Malfoy had given him some bread to feed the ducks. Honestly, he could have conjured himself. He just hadn't thought to do so. And Malfoy had looked so pleased when he'd declared he was avenging his father. Harry had been thinking of Sirius, the closest thing to a father Harry'd ever had. In all likelihood, the man had been hoping for some similar gesture on Draco's part. Lucius had probably looked misty-eyed, thinking longingly of Draco avenging him by punishing Harry. It now seemed unbelievable to him that a few moments earlier he'd exaggerated his own evil, just to win a look of approval from Malfoy. I'm pathetic. Saint was right. What's wrong with me? Exchanging secrets with Lucius Malfoy as though he were a friend. Malfoy's out to kill me. I should be out to destroy Malfoy. I'll be damned if I forget it again. On second thoughts, tell me about that blood-boiling curse. A somewhat disgruntled Lucius Malfoy returned to the house that night to beckon for Harry to follow him to the street. He spent twenty minutes or so explaining to the boy how to shed his own blood in order to be in the Infrafresco Sanguish Curse. Because of your shared lineage, your blood will contain the properties necessary for the spell to reach her through her blood. Right, I think I have it. Is that all for tonight? Ah, I'm a bit tired. Severus does not trust me. Oh. Do you trust me? Uh, yes. Good. Imperia. A wonderful floating sensation descended upon Harry, the fears and anxieties of the last few weeks evaporating from his consciousness. The command filled his mind. Sit down. His body automatically moved to obey, sinking into a chair, although another voice, his own voice, penetrated the blank euphoria of his mind. Fight this. Sit down. He could fight the Imperious Curse. He didn't need to obey. Yet some instinct screamed at him not to resist the voice. It can't hurt to sit. When Harry found himself sitting, the nauseous trendles of the spell crept from his mind, and Lucius retreated several steps, looking at him appraisingly. Harry's mind was slowly returning to his control, and it dawned on him in some shock that Lucius had actually used the Imperious Curse on him right under Snape's nose. He wondered how he should react under Lucius' intense scrutiny. He was thankful for whatever instinct had curtailed his resistance. It would have raised questions had Malfoy perceived him to be resistant to the Imperius curse. Yet, he was utterly confused as to why Malfoy had cast it in the first place. If he'd simply asked me to sit, I would have sat. He finally met Lucius's eyes, gazing at the man blankly for a long moment. 
He wasn't sure just how he should be reacting, so he did not. A satisfied glint crept into Malfoy's eyes when the man perceived the boy was not going to confront him about taking control of his mind for those fleeting seconds. Perhaps he believed Harry unaware of what he'd done, or perhaps this had to do with the trust Lucius had asked him about. You may go now. Still confused, Harry nodded shakily and slipped back out into the hallway. He did not notice that Snape had just ascended the staircase at the other end of the hallway. The professor stood, staring, utterly stunned at the boy who had just emerged from Lucius's bedroom. Harry also missed the smirk Malfoy sent Snape's way before shutting his door. To Harry's relief, Lucius was friendlier as the morning wore on. He showed Harry a blasting curse significantly more powerful than those he had learned at Hogwarts, and seemed to take pride in how quickly the boy perfected it. Harry had already destroyed several bushes and a sizable rock before Lucius called the exercise to an end and summoned Minky for their lunch. How so? Such wretched creatures. Harry picked at his food for a while. His sandwich became increasingly unappealing. He didn't enjoy hearing Lucius rant about the treachery of deviant house elves, and he felt rather ill when Lucius bragged about destroying the house elves whose loyalty he doubted after having an unfortunate incident several years back. When Lucius started in on his third glass of wine, Harry occupied himself with feeding the remains of his lunch to the ducks. You seem to enjoy those creatures. I guess. They must be diverting that you're looking at them and not at me. Sorry, I, I just... sorry. Well... He uttered a quiet spell, and something clear and blue flickered briefly over the pond. Harry shot Malfoy a questioning glance. Just so they can't fly away and deprive you of their presence. The gesture seemed well meant, but Harry was instantly uneasy. Now, let's resume our lesson. Dark magic is more than a conglomerate of destructive spells. It's a mode of thought, a way of conducting oneself. The use of the darkest spells requires years of cultivating the proper mindset and disposition needed for the channeling of such powers. One must be prepared to destroy anything that stands in the way of acquiring greater abilities. He stopped and peered at Harry calculatingly through those narrowed gray eyes. You enjoy feeding those ducks over there. You find it gratifying to nourish those... Simple creatures. Harry's eyes shift back to Lucius, suddenly not liking the direction of this lesson. You know what would gratify me? If you showed me just what a wonderful teacher I am. Harry realized with a sinking feeling that Alfoy wanted him to use the blasting curse on the ducks. Get to it. Or must I condescend to explain what I wish you to do? No, you don't. And no, I won't. Feeling squeamish? Yes! I'm not just going to blast one. I don't see how this has anything to do with... Oh, but it has everything to do with your vengeance scheme. You see, performing a malicious spell against another wizard requires a certain inhumanity. Hatred alone will carry you only so far. You will have to accustom yourself to the destruction you'll wreak, even come to embrace it. Forget it, then. I am not going to use that spell on one of them. It's... it's completely unnecessary. I thought kinship curses... 
Let me make this simple for you. Incendia. Harry flinched reflexively, hearing from behind him a shrill squawk. He whirled around to see a burning creature flung into the air by the force of the flames, and a crowd of ducks fluttering and squawking frantically around it, attempting to fly away, but trapped due to Lucius's spell. Just as suddenly the burning creature dissolved into ashes, carried away in the wind. Harry stared at the frantic ducks for an extended moment, before he heard Lucius's voice directly behind him. I can incinerate all of them, or you can kill a single one yourself. It's up to you. Why do you care so much if I kill a duck? Because it would warm my heart to see you putting knowledge to good use. Now, be a good boy and do it. Warm my heart. Harry gritted his teeth. They were just ducks. That's all they were. He'd eaten them before at Hogwarts. And besides, he'd killed a living creature before. The basilisk, for instance, had far greater self-awareness than those birds would ever possess. And wasn't Lucius right? How could he ever hope to hurt Bellatrix the Strange if he couldn't blast a simple duck? But this felt so different. This was not hurting a living creature in theory. This was reality. This was not a vengeance with a purpose. It was completely arbitrary slaughter. Entirely unnecessary, except to appease a whim of Lucius Malfoy. Bellatrix Lestrange was a human being. He'd have to kill her eventually. For Sirius, all for Sirius. This should be easy in comparison. He raised his wand. This meant nothing. They weren't... They couldn't think, really, could they? It wouldn't make a huge difference. It wasn't like he could feel guilty for this, and Lucius would kill them anyway. The curse left his wand. He flinched at the loud bang that clapped through the air, the shrill cry by the animal as its body blew apart. He felt very numb, frozen in place, watching blood and feathers spread over the water. For a moment, he thought he would retch, but he swallowed hard and looked at Lucius with an impassive expression. Lucius's hand clamped his shoulder. Very good, Septimus. I think, though, that you should destroy another one, just to make sure our lesson has truly sunk in. It will be easier this time, I trust. Oh, and use incendio. Feeling sick, Harry pointed his wand at another one, a single duck flapping urgently against Lucius's confinement spell, and killed that one, too. Lucius was right. The second one was easier. I just ducks. If I can't kill a duck, I can't kill a woman. It was for Sirius. All for Sirius. Somehow, though, Harry knew Sirius would never have wanted this. Is this the reason you told me to feed them? You wanted it to mean more when I killed them? It was always a possibility. But I had another target in mind when I planned this lesson last night. I simply wasn't certain we'd get Severus out of the way long enough to do it. What? I suppose Voldemort supplied you a muggle for me to kill, too? Lucius slowly turned to look at him, and Harry instantly realized two mistakes he'd made. For all he knew, Malfoy would ask him to kill a human before this was done, and he had called Voldemort by name. Brave boy. It wasn't the reaction he had expected. After a moment of fear, Harry almost relaxed. But I can't condone insolence. Easy does it, boy. You understand why I had to do that to you, don't you? 
Harry nodded his head numbly, the world whirling unsteadily around him. Just like you'll understand when I cast that blood-boiling curse on you, Malfoy. You've done very well today, Septimus. There's one more thing you must do before I will permit your departure. Hmm? You see, we have the slightest bit of problem on our hands. I believe Severus set that accursed house-elf upon us to observe our activities. I've noticed it lurking in the bushes several times already today. There's a concealment spell around us now, but I'm uncertain just how much it witnessed. Oh. Now, Severus apparently cast some protection spell against my harming it. I tried a simple killing curse earlier, but it died on my wand. I can't destroy the little monster. Minky operated into the clearing before them, just as Malfoy's bounding spell lashed out at her. She squealed, her large eyes widening as she found herself magically and physically bound. Harry blinked at her, his head feeling like it was stuffed with cotton. The thing is, I doubt your dear uncle has set up a spell to shield it from you. Terror filled the house-elf's eyes, and tears welled up in her eyes. Master Harry- Silencio, do it. Kill it. Just like the ducks, Septimus. Harry stared at the helpless house-elf. No, he wouldn't do this. His thoughts were sluggish, his mind increasingly hazy from both the physically tasking events of the day and the drug in his system. Yet he knew this much. He wouldn't harm her. She's just like Dobby, he thought absently. She thinks. She feels. But evidently, he'd taken too long to reply. Imperio. When Lucia's spell slipped over Harry's mind... He found himself in a world of confusion, wondering just what blissful, hazy cloud was this spell, and what was the drug? He mentally retreated from the foreign command, Kill the hustle, only to find himself wrapped in a strangely similar fog in some other part of his mind. The draught felt so very like the bliss of the unforgivable, the detachment was just as tempting, that he weaved in and out of the curse's influence uncertain if Lucius was still gripping into his will, or if he controlled his own mind. Kill her. Kill her. The haze never quite lifted from Harry's mind, but somehow he knew just when the spell ended, when the fog no longer tasted of Imperius curse, and instead was entirely the climbing cloud of the draught. Harry blinked several times, though the world never quite cleared around him. It was funny. Even with such a high dose of the calming potion in his system, he still felt a profound shock upon seeing Minky's dead body. Well done, Septimus. I should tell you now, I lied when I told you she'd been watching us. Motivation, you understand. But you certainly rose to the occasion, didn't you? We'll make a fine killer of you yet. Thank you for listening to Masterfic Theatre. That is our program for today, and... Oh, excuse me. Apparently our co-director has another scene for your perusal. It is, in fact, a reworking of one of the scenes you've just heard, but slightly different. This is apparently the sort of thing that happens when Daniel has too much time on his hands. You may notice that he himself hardly features in this one. 
Regardless, thank you again for listening to the program and enjoy this encore, if you will, before the news. Howdy, my PFW partners. This here's Jen, and I'm introducing Harry Potter and the Power of Emotion by the one and only Melinda Leo. This here script was written by our very own rockin' cowboy, Scott from Hufflepuff House. This here scene's from Chapter 4. Having spent most of the summer all but cut off from everyone, grieving serious, Harry has just been whisked to Grindelwald Place after them there Death Eaters were spotted swarming around Little Winnie. Very reluctant to be there, he does not respond well to the overtures by Dumbledore in the Order. Harry! Oh, thank heavens you're all right. When was the last time you had a decent meal, Harry? Didn't that talk we had with Dursley the King's Cross do any good at all? He was locked in the room with a deadbolt, Mum. He scrambled to use the loo when <laughs> we got there, so I'd say he'd been stuck for a while. What's happening with the Death Eaters? Why are they at Privet Drive? How did they get past the wards? And what are you lot doing here anyway? Right in, George. Take Harry's trunk up to Ron's room. I'm going to put together some food. Everyone will be hungry when they return. And we'll get your questions answered then, Harry. I don't know any more than you do about what's happening at Privet Drive. Oh, Harry? I'm sorry about the howler. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I'm not sure what possessed me. I never meant to get you in trouble with the muggles. Don't worry about it. I was already in trouble. So how long have you been here? Oh, we've been here for a fortnight. There was some trouble at the borough. We've been staying here ever since. Trouble? What kind of trouble? Well, Harry, someone tried to breach the wards. The alarms bill installed worked perfectly. We all got out safely and have been holed up here. We used some acceptable ears and learned that it was some Death Eaters. They finally managed to get in. But Bill's traps gave them quite a run for their money before they succeeded. Oh, Harry, it isn't your fault. Oh, no? Which one of you was Voldemort looking for, then? Well, I suppose it could have been any one of us, really. More than half the families in the order. And we've made no secret we support Dumbledore. Bill and the twins can be right peens in the arses when they set their minds to it. Where's Ron? Is Hermione here too? <laughs> Hermione isn't staying here exactly. But the flu network has opened her house, so she's been here quite a bit. She and Ron went to Diagon Alley with Bill this morning. I expect they'll be back soon. They've been doing a lot of studying <laughs> lately. Studying? But we don't know what classes we'll be taking yet. Did they get their owl results? No, Harry. I didn't mean schoolwork. More like they've been studying each other. No, don't tell me they finally got a clue and I missed it. Don't worry, Harry. You'll catch plenty of studying. Rather revolting if you ask me. Harry... You know it's a risky business, leaving those twins alone with your stuff. Why don't we go up and check that they're not leaving you any surprises? Hmm. 
You know, when we arrived here last summer, those twins tried to even prank Sirius. We were all a bit shocked at first to find them here and discover that he was, well, innocent. But those twins, they took to him right quickly, and they tried to get him to eat one of their canary creams. <laughs> he didn't fall for it, though. When they tried one of their new inventions of me, Sirius came up to me and told me what they were doing. Together we twitched the belching banjer back to Fred's plate, and George thought that was the funniest thing that ever happened. Sirius loved life, Harry, and he lived it to his fullest. That's how you honor his memory. Not by giving in, and not by giving up, by living, Harry, and having a damn good time while you do it. I know that's what he would want, but I don't know how. It hurts to eat, to think, to breathe, to walk, to feel. I just keep trying to push it away, but it suddenly overwhelms me, and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with that. Harry, my dear Harry, you're supposed to let yourself feel it. Feel it, Harry. Burying it only makes it stronger and more determined to get out. Until you let yourself feel that hurt, it's not gonna get any better, Harry. Hiya, mate. How are you? I think your mom knocked me out. Well, honestly, Harry, can you blame her? You still look like it's been ages since you've had a decent sleep. You're terribly thin, Harry, and you've got to eat. Let him breathe, Harmony. Sorry, mate. Mom did slip you a sleeping potion. She was just worried about you. What time is it? Have the rest of the order arrived back from Surrey? Where's Ginny? The other members of the order are downstairs. The Death Eaters gave up without much of a fight after they hit some resistance. They probably figured you'd already been risked away. Your relatives are fine and weren't even aware anything was happening until Mr. Weasley let them know you'd be gone until next year. It's just after dinner, but Mum saved you a plate. You better go and eat some of it or she'll have kittens. <laughs> Jenny's off sulking in her room, I suspect. Sulking? He broke up with her, the git. Good riddance, I say. What the bloody hell was he thinking anyway? It's beyond me. Ron, you have to admit, from his point of view, things were strange. Ginny couldn't tell him where she was, she couldn't meet with him, and told him to limit the number of hours he sent. Not very encouraging from your supposed girlfriend, I would think. Maybe she can fix things before back at school. Hmm, maybe. Dumbledore's downstairs. He's waiting to talk to you. Let's go down, then. It's good to see you, Harry. You too. I hope you're not angry, Harry. But you really look like you could use some sleep. What happened? We're still not sure, Harry. Though there were a significant number of Death Eaters on Privet Drive, they never got close enough to breach the wards, which remain intact. If they have found a way to get through them to enter the house, it's still a mystery to us. We're going to be keeping a close eye on the house for the next several weeks. But since they have at least figured out the location, we feel it's safer for you to remain here. I thought it best to update you on what's been happening since the end of term. Right. Right, Potter. Is that all you have to say? I would expect a bit more respect when addressing the headmaster. Obviously, your arrogance has exceeded even... Zerus, that is all. So, the Potter boy returns. <laughs> but 
to finish the destruction begun by your traitorous godfather before he met his end. You lied to me, you son of a fruitcake. I'm going to rip your foul lying head off. You said you'd taken care of him. I'm sorry, Harry. He was supposed to stay away from you, but you arrived earlier than expected. I'll see to it that you don't come in contact with him again. You? Am I supposed to believe that? Am I supposed to believe anything you say anymore? How much of the truth are you actually giving me? How much have you decided I can handle? I don't know what you think or believe or quite frankly who to trust at the moment. Harry, you can trust all of us here. You know that. Let's sit down and get back to the meeting. No, I am not listening to this. I don't need to. I know exactly what Voldemort's been up to. I've witnessed most of it. Great gopher holes. If you had taken occlumency seriously, this wouldn't be happening at all, and you know it. Yes, and if you'd have taken the time to actually teach me something and not use it for continuing a sparring match with a man who's been dead for nearly 15 years, a lot of things might have been different, wouldn't they? You insufferable, arrogant little... Severus, that is enough. You can all go on discussing and rehashing all you want. It changes nothing. You and I both know how this has to end. With a dance number! <laughs> <laughs> For a bigger staff? Having trouble keeping the flag flying? We think he has ED. A common problem with many men, but now with our patented method, we can help you last all night. Flu call now. Operators are standing by. Good evening and welcome to OTN's Wizarding World News. I am your anchor, Gilderoy Lockhart, best-selling author, expert dueler, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and 12... And I'm Romilda Vane, an actual journalist, and hopefully enough to keep him in line. Also, a hearty welcome to our co-anchor tonight, Luna Lovegood. Oh, hello. Make sure not to stop on wandering club, There's a lot of them out this week. Yes. In recent celebrity news, Hermione Granger Weasley, chief prosecutor in the case of Ragnar Krishna, uh, in the recent Goblin Rights case, caused a courtroom sensation by allowing herself and her clients to attend court in full tribal regalia. Her basis for this dress was the invocation of an ancient and overlooked protocol apparently discovered during research into the traditions of Valhalla, which allowed the injured party the right to such regalia. Each goblin leader wore their clan's ceremonial garb, while Miss Granger herself appeared in court decked out in the war paint, leather, and furs of an ancestral Pict, along with what is a pretty sizable axe. 
Miss Granger denies all allegations of intimidating her opponent, insisting she merely wanted to show solidarity with the warrior traditions of her clients. Unsurprisingly, Miss Granger's case wrapped this afternoon. No word yet on exactly how authentic or extensive those paint designs were, but I'm sure her husband, or Ronald Weasley, is keen to find out. Any others out there with a similar mind might note that profession and Miss Granger's own creativity. However, I do have it on good authority that several top wizarding clothiers and skin artists will be debuting related designs, both temporary and permanent, in the near future. Ladies, something to watch for. I say, there might be a book in this Valhalla place. Oh, let's see. Vacations, I've done that. Voyages, oh, that too. Voyeurism? Well, that might... Wait. <laughs> in other news, our newest exclusive. A crack team of Ministry Unspeakables have been dispatched to Yellowstone area of the Americas perhaps to help deal with some of the rumored geological pressures. The precise nature of their mission is, of course, classified. But I can personally reveal that with their help, and of course my expert advice, our fellows in the colonies may yet save themselves and countless muggles from sudden fiery death. Wouldn't have stood a chance without me. Right. In other news, well-known periodical Witch Weekly, one of my many publishers, has reached its 35th year of printing. Don't forget to vote for its perennially popular Most Charming Smile Awards presented later this month. I myself am once again... Getting off the point. The unspeakables declined comment, but our reporter on the scene discovered other magical goings-on which led us to develop today's sensational extended report. Yes, yes, one which I had quite the hand in coordinating, if I do say so myself. Which you always do. Though, of course, one must give credit where it's due. As you may know, some weeks ago, one of you, our listeners, brought to our attention a shocking development. Muggles become aware of magic. It seems that a series of books has been published revealing a number of details about the magical world. Special correspondent Rita Skeeter has more. Rita, can you hear us? Of course I can, you dolt. I'm standing right here. You're supposed to be our on-site correspondent. I just thought it would add a touch of... That's the next bit, Gilly dear. Rita, about these books? Yes, yes, of course. This series, apparently begun in 1997 and published all around the world under the name of J.K. Rowling, follows a group of students for seven years, most particularly our own Harry Potter. Ah, yes, Harry Potter. Dear Harry, I know him well. He was a pupil of mine, you know, star student, quite a little actor. The series began with their first year at Hogwarts and continues through the build-up and accumulation of the Second Voldemort War. This reporter can hardly believe that the Ministry and Department of Magical Law Enforcement have overlooked such a massive breach of the statute of secrecy. However, this may not be so massive a breach as all that. On contacting Mr. Potter about this story, he said, The world that these muggles have read about, the magical world that is in the books of my escapades at Hogwarts, is only based on fact. Many of the details are pure fantasy. Fortunately, all but a few muggles seem to believe that these are merely fictional fantasy stories. But if these books have been around for years, what's the new development? 
Well, apparently, Muggle fans of the series have decided that the story doesn't end with the published books, and have instead been publishing something called fan fiction on their internet. This is a sort of network which connects Muggle computers together. Much like Irving's Instant International Flu Service, the only way to travel the continents. Rita used it extensively on her fact-finding mission. Well, yes, but not really like that at all. Because this interwebby thing allows people to leave comments and stories on their message boards or other sites, which can be read and responded to at any time, and by many people at once. They've written stories about all sorts of things, ranging from the surprisingly accurate to the incredibly weird. Yes, I have heard about that. I believe there was some about a werewolf and a singing tree. Don't forget the rat spots in the trees, good. Believe me, I've been trying. Unfortunately, I've found that there are far too few stories featuring a certain stellar defense professor. Yours truly. Yes, horribly shocking, that. I know, isn't it? Getting back to the story, they not only have millions of stories on hundreds of sites on their interwebby thing, which is really quite amazing for uneducated muggles, they also have news and commentary of this entire world, and some of them have found ways to capture a multi-person flu or telephone call, which is like this broadcast or an auditory pensive. It's called podcasting. One such broadcast is generally three hours long. They do try to cover stories, but the main host just monologues about everything and throws in these obscure references to a battle star. Though there have been some signs with other shows as well. This one in particular, known as Potterfic Weekly, seems to operate under what some regulars are beginning to call a podcast curse. Ah, yes, the podcast curse. Very tricky bit of work, that. Quite complex, but I personally have it been known It is unknown at this point whether it's actually an active curse or simply a chain of coincidence. Yes, that's just what I was about to say. There is some evidence that it draws on the ambient magic around the areas in which it's played, or the persons of regular participants. I discovered a fading trace of such magic while in Yellowstone, leading to a strange but quite amusing story about a photographer, Jen by name, being stalked by a grizzly bear and hiding underneath her camera for four hours, behind a group of nuns who chased off the bear and may or may not have fallen into a pit of lava. Having happened over a year ago, I'm afraid the details were somewhat confused. No kidding. But I tracked down this gen to learn more. I am standing on the street, which is home to podcaster Jen in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Research shows that the bear incident was but one among many. Apparently, Jen has encountered many creatures, such as oversized scorpions and giant rats, not to mention inimical plant life. I was unable to find Jen herself, but in another exclusive interview, I have Jen's neighbor. She was unable to confirm my reports of animal attack, but did witness another incident. Well, a few months ago, I was standing at the sink washing my dishes, and I looked out the window and I saw that Jen running after her car. It was just rolling away down the lane. I almost snapped into that tree there, it did. 
there she was with her phone in one hand, talking away and running after the car. I don't know what she would have done if she'd caught it. Wizarding witnesses in the area are unsure if the car started itself by magic, but admit that it might be a possibility. One such witness, who wishes to remain anonymous, insists the car was, in fact, trying to perform a Ronsky feint, but was hampered by the fact that it isn't shaped like a broomstick. It is also reported that Jen was muttering something about a gear like none other and Draco in leather pants at the time. Further research reveals that whatever it is, this podcast curse apparently communicates itself to both creatures and all sorts of muggle devices. And not only Jen is affected. I myself have infiltrated their forum, which is modeled after Hogwarts itself, complete with classrooms, although most seem to have been sabotaged by peas, leaving the greatest amount of activity in the Quidditch pitch and the Great Hall, which has several more annexes than our own. Stories abound of electricity disruption, cockroach invasion, and exploding showers and toilets. All sorts of technical difficulties. Thank you, Rhea. We'll have more of your Wizarding World news in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. Do you have the Midas touch? Is the charlatan in you bad to the bone? Or do you escape from every relationship? Well, let your seduction style be known to your friends and family with the Weasel Wizard Weasel's Seduction Deduction Potion. Our potion slips seamlessly into ordinary drinks and reveals what type of seducer or seductress your date can be behind the sheets. Feeling stressed, getting older, shedding too quickly. Undergone an intense series of diet rituals that caused all your hair to vanish? You need Hirsute Harriman's Healthy Hair Head Tonic. When I regained wizardly form, I was much dismayed to discover its lack of hair. Now, thanks to Hirsute Harriman's Healthy Hair Head Tonic, I feel like a real lord again. Who needs the Cruciatus Purse when you have a proper head of hair? In honor of Lord Voldemort, you have one hour, that's right, one hour, to buy our product. But wait, what's this? Now, for one day only, we will grant you an additional hour. Our fireplace will be open for two hours from the time of this broadcast, but if you get your flu calls or owls in within that first hour, you'll receive not one, not two, but three bottles of Hisuit Harriman's Healthy Hair Head Tonic. Put hair on your head and a smile on your face. If it's good enough for a dark lord, it better be good enough for you. Absolutely no refunds. One of three bottles received may be exchanged if effective. Any appearance of scales you did not have before you should be treated by a healer. Perriman's prepared potions is in no way responsible for overgrowth of hair, continued hair loss, or any unforgivable seal must not be named. That's how may choose to inflict upon the population. Welcome back to OTN News. For our weather report, we turn to Luna Lovegood. So, Luna, what's happening with the weather lately? Oh, I don't really know, I'm afraid. It's really hard to tell. You don't know? Well, it's clear here just now. It's rather cold, but it could easily be snowing somewhere else. Or it could be raining, really windy. It could even be summer. It all depends on where our listeners are, you see. Ah, uh, yes. But what I meant was, have there been any strange reports of a magical nature related to the weather? Well, of course there have. 
Why didn't you just say so? There are all sorts of things that can affect the weather oddly. Why do you think it changes so quickly sometimes? Usually that's because of the... Yes, yes, I'm sure that's very intriguing, and we'll have to go into detail some other time. But did you have anything more specific? Like the Americas, say, since we're doing so much coverage today over there. Oh. Well, there were a lot of storms, tornadoes, and hurricanes this year. Some particularly strange ones in the Plains region. Some of them were so severe that pigs and hogs were falling all over, landing in creeks and cauldrons for miles. They do make wonderful soup, but you really shouldn't start with a live pig. And most of those people weren't planning on soup anyway, so it was quite a disruption. Also, I'm afraid it started an outbreak of swine flu. Fortunately, the storms were magical enough that it was actual swine flu, which is really quite funny. Not like the muggle version, which just seems to make people unhappy. It doesn't have anything to do with pigs anyway. Muggles are so odd sometimes. Yes, I wrote a story on that outbreak. In another example of magic communicating through the muggle interweb, it seems to be mostly concentrated among the Hufflepuffs of PFW, who were therefore placed under a quarantine, if a largely ineffective one. Fortunately, the flu quickly ran its course and has since been cleared up. So what was responsible for these storms, Luna? Well, most muggles think they are caused by masses of air of different temperatures and moisture stacking into each other. And the people at PSW think there might be a podcast curse. But really, strange ones like that are caused by stray astronomical remote paths. <sighs> shouldn't have asked. Generally, they like to stay up in the auroras, but sometimes one gets lost and winds up further into the atmosphere, and they tend to draw on air currents. And if they try to start their dancing while they're here, strange things happen. Oh, and sometimes one of them gets hungry, so they'll fry something in passing. That's what happened to poor Bernard, I think. They really don't mean any harm, but... Um, yes, well, that may be more than our listeners need to... Wait, did you say Bernard? Yes, he's the Potterfic Weekly mascot. He was. I think he still is. Sort of. So, you knew about this podcast before our coverage? Oh, yes. I like their theories on things, and they're not a quibbler as well. It's not as good as Daddy's books. But they do have fun. It's a very good effort, really. I thought when Rita joined at Forum 2, but I think she's trying to be sneaky. So I didn't see anything. Sneaky can be fun sometimes. <coughs> I wonder if the Weasley's ever tried anything that turns someone into a gardener. The muggle kind of is. It could be fun. If they... What? You mean those little Father Christmases with spades and things? That's right. I'm... I'm pretty sure they haven't, as far as I know, at least. Why would they want to? What does that have to do with anything? Well, Pansy Parkinson almost was one once. She might like to try it. I see. Well, that's very interesting. But perhaps we should move on. You can always owl them about it later. In other weather news, people in the southern parts of the colonies are just discovering snow. I saw ground. I think it fell off someone's bumper, but it was there. Boston, too, is covered in the fluffy white stuff, as are many other places unused to its appearance. I have to talk about the weather crisis that has gripped the northeast coast of the United States. Yes, let's 
I can talk about that too if you like. P.S. How are you faring? I'm faring as good as can be expected because I haven't been anywhere. Are you eating any type of, like, you know, cat food, or do you have doggy treats to sustain yourself? Do you have any food? Yeah, I have food. I, I had a leftover sandwich. Okay. But you know, okay. Ryan, yes. upstate New York by the lakes, we get more snow than Massachusetts does, I think. How much snow do you have? About six inches now. Six inches, okay. You are getting a foot tomorrow, Ryan. We are going... Outside. Do I have shoes? I have shoes. Okay. I don't have a coat. Oh, no. I am now freezing. I am in the catch pneumonia, but I hope I can prove that I have more than six inches of snow on the ground. How many inches do you have? I have right now like nine, and I'm get, we're getting another nor'easter tomorrow. Yesterday, the governor of Massachusetts got on television, and he told everyone to run for their lives. He said, leave your grandmothers behind. They're slowing you down. And he recommended that we all take two of each animal type, like a male and a female of everything, and shove it onto an ark. I'm so glad I didn't have to go anywhere. Several parts of England also received much more snow than usual this winter, causing confusion and consternation for many. Though, of course, I myself handle it easily. <sighs> Tying in with our coverage on this mysterious podcast curse and runaway cause, other car accidents have been reported from the Wizard of Muggle Relations Office. Numerous petrol stations across the world required magical restoration and muggle obliviation after an outbreak of laughter while driving last week. Apparently, listening to these fan fictions and podcasts while driving can be detrimental to motor skills and coordination. Most of the damage was localized in the greater Boston area of the Americas. Though other reports show damage in the state of Oregon. That's right. Muggle gardening machines that are written were damaged as a result of these Harry Potter media outlets. No one was hurt, but all parties were rather embarrassed. In Quidditch this week, a close-run Ballycastle Puttermere game, with United pulling ahead of the bats with a snitch catcher in the 64th minute, the Hollyhead Harpies put in an amazing performance, chaser Ginny Weasley scoring an all-time high of 12 goals and 7 assists, bumping Wimborne down two ranks in the standings. Across the pond, quad pot season just wrapped up, with the Pittsburgh team scoring 270 to 230 over Phoenix in their championship game. Also, a banner day for the Chudley Cannons. While participating in a New England exhibition match, they lost to the Wollongong Warriors by only 60 points, their closest run game in over 80 years. Fans must be celebrating. Maybe they'll actually beat someone one of these days. Yes, Leonard was disappointed, but he was really quite happy too. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsors and the new startup station, The Villains Are Us Catalog. Do you have trouble sleeping because there might be a mouse in your kitchen? Worry about cockroaches in your wall, ants in your sugar, or gnomes in your lettuce patch? <coughs> Professor Eradicum's Vermin Be Gone Shield Bubble is for you. When you receive your package, simply activate the ruin stones, bury them at the corners of the area you wish protected, and rest easy. Or if you'd like your shield portable, attach them to a central locking stone and follow the instructions to set a diameter. It's simple. You can set your shield to ward off a specific pest or a whole range of unwanted critters. Now that I'm confident the cockroaches will stay away, I can finally move back to my apartment for a good night's sleep. Thanks, Vermin Be Gone. It really works. Give us a flu call and order yours today. Have an ultimatum to deliver, but you're not sure how? 
aiming for that perfectly elegant, malevolent edge. Just a little shaky on your sonorous charms. To get Magnus Mulgrew's maniacal megaphone. Perfect for projecting over large distances or to targeted locations or even a single person's mind. The Magnus Megaphone is a must-have accessory that adds a little touch of true evil to any wizard's schemes. Available in magenta flytrap, acid green, violet violets, unicorn blood silver, iridescent oil slick, or polka dots in any combination. Owl today. And I'm afraid that is all for our broadcast today. Tune in tomorrow for more of my dusting wit. Goodbye. And don't forget to pick up the latest Witch Weekly and cast your vote in their prestigious Most Charming Smile Awards, which will hopefully be covered on another station. We will be back tomorrow for more off-topic banter here on OTN.